We finally did it. It's been a long time. One year anniversary and episode 100 of the mighty Not Safe for Wonks. This is Brandon. Everybody's here. I mean, basically. Yo, cannot believe we made it this far. Yeah, how cool is that, though? And how good have we gotten at this? Like, I was thinking about that uh, while we were recording one of our guests a couple of days ago, uh, and it was, like, just me and Ren, and it cut out completely. Like, our guests completely dropped off. Uh, And I just, like kept it going as though it hadn't happened and he came back and I was like alright well it's been so great to have you just like ended it like right there but it like was seamless and I was like I'm a motherfucking professional now I got this you know, I remember Kennedy told us, I think it was Kennedy that said, the mark of a successful podcast, and the thing you really want to focus on is getting to 10 episodes, because if you can consistently put out one through 10 episodes, and you show that you're dedicated to it, then then you have what it takes to make a great podcast. And not only have we got to 10, we got to 100, which is still incredible to me. It's Anybody amazing. who sees us, like, you know, whenever you see a podcast and they're like on episode 104 or whatever, it's like, all right, they are really about this podcast shit. Yeah, they've been doing it. these people to continue making content. You know, it's yeah. funny you said 10 in particular, because like when we were first sort of getting everything started, I talked to Brian, um, you know, Street Fight Brian, and was like, hey, do you have any like tips or notes or anything? And he said, honestly, show me your 10th episode. <laughs> and I was like, what? I don't get it. He was like, so many podcasts don't make it to 10. So like, show me your 10th one. And I was like, all right. And then I mean, like, he kept his word. Like, then he came on our podcast and like everything. But yeah, it yeah. really. It's a magical number. And here we are. Here we are. 10 times 10. 100. It's really unbelievable in a lot of ways. I mean, a year ago, I mean, we just kind of started this out of the blue. You know, it wasn't really like a, a ton of planning went into it. You see this all the time. Like on Twitter, you'll see these people who are like, upcoming podcast launches in August. And like, they're, they're like, it's like March. Right. So, you know, and like, right. We were just like, uh, you want to make a podcast? Yeah, 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 totally. Okay, sure. Um, and then like, like Brandon was the one who really like one day was like, hey, do we seriously want to do this? Let's record something. And like, because we had been like kind of talking about it. Yeah. That's Brandon's um, energy, though. Brandon right. is the most getting shit done motherfucker I've ever <laughs> met. Yeah. So I still remember that day. It feels like so long ago when we were on a Marianne Discord server. Um, and the three of us had previously said before being on a podcast would be cool. Um, and then I th- yeah, I was I think it was Brandon pinged us and was like, Hey, do you wanna like actually make a podcast? And then we made a group DM and we talked it out and somehow we're making our hundredth episode. I think you pinged everyone, Leia, actually. I think you deserve yeah. the credit for that. But it was, I just remember it was Brandon that was the one that after we kind of, like we made the group DM, we mm-hmm. kind of kicked around ideas for the podcast. We came up with a name, uh, which is still the name today, Not Safe for Wonks. We, we, hit, we hit gold with that one. We hit really good. Yeah, I remember the first time Brandon told me the name of this podcast. And this was before I was even on it. And I was like, jealous. I was like, fuck, that's <laughs> such a good name. <laughs> God damn it. I want that to be my podcast name. <laughs> We've definitely been back and forth about it at times, you know, of like, especially early on, we were like, do we actually like this name? Do we want to stick yeah, with it? Yeah, for a while, we thought uh, we were going to rebrand and pick a different name. Yeah, around episode 20, we were like, maybe we'll pick a different name. And we like kind of kicked that around for a while. And then we made like 20 more episodes and we were like, I guess we're not changing the name. Yeah, once, <laughs> once, once it is what it is, then it is what it is. 
<laughs> it is in fact what it is. But also it's like actually a pretty accurate uh, summation of what we're doing here. You know, we're a little bit naughty and oh, we're God. irreverent. <laughs> Unfortunately, I think we're all actually wonks, but don't tell anybody that ever. Right. No, I'm definitely a hack. I don't know what you mean. But listen, uh, we're going to spend a little time doing interviews, talking to people, and just kind of checking in on them and seeing how they're doing. We'll probably do a couple interludes uh, and talk a little bit further about the things that we've done and how we've grown and all that cool stuff. Uh, but we want to get you right into the action and sit you down with our very first guest. We're going to just drunk dial. We're going to check in and we're going to get it done. So we'll see you guys a little bit later. And by later, I mean right now. Let's get going. Hey. Howie Hawkins is here. Hey, uh, apparently, like, we were just calling to see how you're doing, see what's up in your world. Apparently, they've got you, like, running for president of the United States. How's that going? Well, it's going good. I mean, the first task was to get the Green Party nomination, and we're very close to having a number of delegates that'll clinch the nomination. The second task is to get on the ballot, and uh, we've been making progress on that. This country's off the charts compared to others just to get on the ballot. Oh, but yeah. uh, we're going for all 51 ballots, 50 states in the District of Columbia. And then the third big barrier is getting covered by the, the mainstream media. And uh, today I talked with somebody from Politico and somebody who writes for Vice and Daily Beast. So if we keep doing that every day, uh, I think we'll leap over that third barrier and have a big impact. How many state ballots are y'all on right now? I believe it's 25. It's over 300 electoral votes. So theoretically we can win the presidency just with those states. But most oh, yeah. states' deadlines for petitioning where we don't already have a ballot line are coming up. And they go in the last three states are September 4th. So this will be a big source of uh, energy and financial resources to get on all these ballots. And in the coronavirus environment, where the public health advice is, don't go out and ask people for signatures. We are you know, writing the state government saying, give us relief. And Vermont gave us relief. Illinois said no. So we sued the bastards and the judge said, put them on the ballot. Nice. And uh, New Jersey said, we'll let you do electronic signatures. So, you know, every state's got its own rules, its own government. So we're just going through all the states. Uh, for those of you who don't know or weren't here watching the show when this happened, Howie was our very first guest that we asked on and came. And it was uh, it was incredible to us back then. And it still is incredible to us how we really did not expect you to come on whatsoever. And it was so we, we were so still are so thankful that you did because you're running for president and we're just this little podcast that hasn't put out 20 episodes yet. And a lot of ways, because you had us on, we we've kind of started and built from there. A foot in the door. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you were the credibility. I mean, you talk about that third that third gap being the mainstream media. Um, we were literally like Nowheresville, and you took a chance on us, and it gave us a foot in the door that allowed us to spread uh, a message talking about all the things that you're talking about now on the campaign trail. And I don't know. I don't know how to put that, but you really put us on that level to get a foot in the door. So we're really happy for that. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I helped. And in my experience, I mean, I often get High school students and, you know, college journalism students want to interview me. You know, my campaign manager says, oh, they, they, it's going to be circulated among the students. You, you don't need to waste your time with them. But you know what? And I can't tell you how many times I, you know, did an interview, went on a little TV broadcast. And then a few years later, you know, Spectrum News or, uh, you know, one of the local uh, affiliates of NBC or ABC will come up to me and the student. <laughs> now a journalist will say, you remember me? You know, I covered you. So I think. 
candidates should see the media as their friends and help them do their job. I think too many of the media figure they're, you know, Trump, you know, they call, he calls them the fake news, the enemy of the people. And, you know, even Bernie Sanders, I've known him since the seventies. He always is railing about the media. And I'm saying like, that comes with the territory, brother. You know, you just need to tell your side of the story, even if they have a different angle. So anyway, if I helped, I'm glad I did. Well, it's a very horizontal attitude, which is one of the things about the Green Party that I actually genuinely appreciate, you know, you know, and that it's not about how much power and money you have. It's about, you know, the fact that you're a human being. And I think that you really reflect that when you come and, you know, talk with people like us or, you know, upstart journalists or students or people in high school or whatever. Well, everybody's vote counts the same. And, you know, the problem is a lot of the decisions are made outside the people we elect. You know, Bernie talks about the billionaire class, but he just wants to tax them to fund his social programs. Programs. The problem is that concentrated economic power they have translates into concentrated political power. And it's not just buying candidates and lobbyists, it's financing government. So that's why, you know, we're running on an eco-socialist program where uh, major means of production should be socially owned and democratically administered yeah. so that Nobody with concentrated wealth is dictating to us what happens. We all have a say. And you need that economic democracy of socialism to have real political democracy. Have you found that like the various combined factors this year between Joe Biden, who many just find to be a completely just a non-viable candidate for them, uh, you know, the situation with coronavirus and people realizing that our healthcare system is sort of in shambles and like obviously the police brutality and like uprising of people protesting right now. Have you found that all that stuff has been like kind of maybe driven people your direction or gotten people to take you maybe a little more seriously than they might have if it was sort of a humdrum? Everything's normal, the system's working kind of year. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, the two governing parties are presiding over a failed state. You know, Trump was totally incompetent. Now he's indifferent to hundreds of thousands of people dying. And Biden is invisible. And when he opens his mouth, he says dumb things. I mean, when you think of Joe Biden, you know, what reform is he championing? championing. You know, every organized country in the world has a test, contact trace, and quarantine program to suppress the infections and the deaths. And we don't. And you would think Biden would be out there. He's got the platform. He'd be beating up Trump on that. But what's Biden's answer to the coronavirus crisis? What's his answer to anything? I mean, when George Floyd was murdered, he went to a AME church and said, police should shoot people's legs instead of their chests. I mean, come on, this guy's <laughs> out of touch. So yeah, people are looking for alternatives. And you know, in the, uh, the other pandemic that everybody can see now, I think people of color have seen it all along. We have a pandemic of racism, it's centuries old. And now they see it in action. And a lot of people are outraged. I mean, I've been around a long time. You know, the anti-Vietnam War movement was mostly white. The urban uprisings in the 60s were mostly black. And most movements since then have been in one community or the other. Now people have come together and just said, you know, we're not standing for this anymore. And we're getting movement. I and mean, even Trump had to make a gesture yesterday. And his whole playbook is racism. And uh, he's going to get his butt kicked. I mean, I think Trump is toast. And the only way Biden can lose it is by basically saying, I'm not Trump. But not Trump is not enough. You got to give people a reason to vote for you. And Biden isn't doing that. So we're giving plenty of reasons. Medicare for all, full strength, Green New Deal, economic bill of rights, on and on. Uh, how'd you meet Angela Walker and how are y'all going to celebrate if and when y'all clinch this nomination? What are y'all going to y'all going to go out on the town? What's going to happen? 
We are actually going to talk about that tonight. The campaign team's getting together. You know, how do we talk to the media other than virtually? Because our convention will be virtual. But I met Angela back in 2014. She was a transit worker riding, driving a bus in Milwaukee and got her union involved in the Wisconsin uprising when Scott Walker was attacking public employee unions, the governor, Scott Walker. And because she did that, her president of her union said, hey, you might as well be the legislative director of the union, which she became. And then she got her local involved in the Occupy movement that fall. And she got involved in Occupy the Hood, try to get black folks involved in the Occupy movement. So in 2014, people asked her to run against crazy Sheriff David Clark, the black guy with a cowboy hat that loves Donald Trump. His slogan was, don't call 911, get a gun. And he's the sheriff of Milwaukee County. So Angela took him on. Her program was, let's fight crime by fighting poverty. So we were both invited to a panel. I was running for governor of New York for the Green Party at that time. She's running as an independent socialist. And we were on a panel in Chicago. And then we were on another panel the next year. And so, you know, we stayed in touch. And, you know, when you run president, vice president, you want a team. And we have a good rapport. And we have a similar outlook on the issues. And as a speaker, she's somebody who's very clear. And she speaks with a passion that people feel. And so I think she's a great messenger for the ticket. So I called her up and she said, let me think about it overnight. And the next day she said, I'm in. And uh, that was easy. A lot of this stuff takes a while. So I'm really happy she <laughs> said yes. A lot of people uh, uh, who were so excited about politics like six months ago, maybe they feel like they need some of that energy. They need that enthusiasm. They need that vision for what society can be like. You, I, the first time we interviewed, you were on your phone and we it took us a long time to even get your phone to even connect to us. But now you're on live stream, you're on Twitter, you're on Facebook. How do you feel about like the technology? You're reaching people in a big way and people, by the way, should follow you on Twitter and start watching your shows you're doing. Well, it's kind of amazing. I mean, I go back to when you had to type out a stencil and if you made a typo, you had to start over and then you crank out the leaflets and you go out and hand them out and it costs money. And then you had to mail stuff that costs a lot of money. Now you do it online. You reach a lot of people. The one disadvantage is there's so much online. It's hard to you know get, get attention. Whereas if you got a leaflet and you're on the street and you talk to somebody, that's a pretty meaningful encounter. So, you know, we got to do both. And in the coronavirus environment, it's been difficult. I think I've actually reached more people with Zoom meetings and Skype meetings and Discord meetings and all these different platforms. So I'm actually probably talking to more people now face to face, even if it's electronic, than I was before. So it's got its advantages. And then, you know, the big mystery is how do you go viral, you know, with a tweet <laughs> or a Facebook page? We think about that all the time. Yeah, we work on that all the time. You've got to get your team together. You call us next time. We'll get you viral. Um, Howie, we also just wanted to thank you for being like literally our first serious guest and kind of setting the course and helping us get to 100. We just overjoyed and we're glad to just talk to you as a friend, man. All right. Well, I consider y'all friends. Congratulations on 100. And I actually got to get to the next podcast. So yeah. I, I, oh, yeah. I appreciate being on. No problem. Uh, you have a good you, one. You yeah, see you. Have a nice yeah, thank you. you too. Thank you Take so care. much. All right. We could not have an episode 100 celebration without our fairy pod mother, Rebecca Parson. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, thank you for having me back on. We literally couldn't do it. We'd have to just delay the episode for weeks until your schedule freed up. There would just be no way. Yeah, I have to sprinkle my fairy pod dust on it. So <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> 
I mean, but literally when we talk about like the history of this show, our interview with you was just a major thing for this show. It was a big turning point for us in terms of uh, we hadn't had a large number of extremely legitimate guests before you and you really took a chance on us and we really appreciate that. No, I I love being on here and uh, it's, uh, yeah, I think just, yeah, I, I don't know, I'm stumbling over my words, but yeah, I love being on here and I like talking to, I know that y'all are all over the country, so it's really cool being on a podcast where, you know, you, you all have united around, originally your love for Marianne Williams, right? And now it's just kind of like leftist politics and having a lot in common, so I really enjoy it. That's right. Yeah. Originally, what originally brought us together was we were all supporters of the Marion Williamson campaign. And we felt like, uh, you know, uh, we wanted to kind of talk politics from our perspective, because we felt like the people that were coming together around that campaign weren't sort of the typical left that everyone's used to hearing from already. Definitely. Yeah. And uh, I remember it was after one time when Marianne Williamson, I think it was her wonk comment that obviously, for those who don't know, I think inspired your name, not safe for wonks. And she said something on the stage that they're all arguing about something very wonky and not really talking about kind of the broad vision and big ideas and what's really going on and what's causing the things underneath. And she said something like, you know, that's great, but all this wonkery isn't going to save us. And then Twitter immediately <laughs> came with like, they had a picture of Marianne with some laser shooting out of her eyes and it said silence wonk. <laughs> That's like my one of my favorite um, memes on Twitter. And then I started just like going around orb Twitter and I think that's how I found you guys. Now that's a new part of the story that we didn't know. And it's true. People don't know this. You followed us, I think, before we followed you. It was it was pretty close one way or the other. Yeah, because I started, it was somebody coined like the orb emoji thing to be like orb Twitter and Marianne Twitter. And so then I was curious, I was poking around and looking for, you know, who, who else is on orb Twitter. And that's how I came across y'all. Yeah, I think Kennedy changed it. Yeah, Ke there was a whole incident that happened. He was like, we're taking the orb out right now. But <laughs> I, think, I think we all got over it like a couple weeks later. <laughs> no, it was just... yeah. We, we just thought at the time that meme had sort of passed somewhat and unfortunately kind of has. But of course, Marianne is still around. She's still doing a lot of cool things. So uh, obviously, like there's still a lot of people who believe in the ideas behind that. And uh, yeah, I it was the it was definitely one of those things where you followed us on Twitter. Uh, and I remember this clearly because we had literally, I think about a week before you followed us, roughly made a wish list yes we were making this list of like who do we want to try to get as a guest in the next couple of months and on that list near the top is rebecca parson like we had found <laughs> out some stuff about you and we were like yeah she seems really rad so like when you followed us on twitter we were like we have to do this and we just dm'd you on the spot and we were like <laughs> we would love to have awesome. you on the show please and you're so kind to do it and and it's just been amazing and of course you know we've had a lot of success with our show you've had an incredible amount of success with your candidacy yeah this is this is going to be a much better story when you're in congress <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i mean things have been going well over the past few months you know it, it's obviously been pretty different trying to run a campaign during a pandemic and everybody's at home everybody has been home for months. I actually stopped canvassing before our governor put in place the quarantine because we're pretty close to where the first confirmed outbreak in the States was. And I just didn't want to risk it, um, especially, you know, my district, 20% of people are over the age of 65. And at that point, we already knew that people could spread it who weren't symptomatic. So um, I just didn't want to do that. And uh, so yeah. we actually, we haven't been canvassing for a long time. <laughs> and uh, 
Go ahead. Yeah. I have yeah, two very quick questions. Mm-hmm. I guess one is, in a lot of ways, you're like the ideal COVID era campaigner. A lot of progressive campaigns have been like, yeah, man, this virus really knocked us off. But you have like such a great digital operation. Did you feel like extra confident or extra prepared? Or were you like, oh, I can't canvas. This stinks. At the beginning, it was kind of like, oh, no, what are we going to do? Because canvassing is the best way, talking to people in person. And also phone banking is, you know, it's come second place. That's why usually not much focus at not nearly as much focus is put on it unless you're doing, you know, like the some of Bernie campaign, other campaigns all have like during the Iowa caucus, they had people from all over call in because it's that's what you can do from home. But generally speaking, canvassing is the best. So I did freak out a little bit. But and another issue, of course, is what canvassing is basically free. Uh, you have to obviously I've bought the software for canvassing. But beyond that, you know, you just have volunteers go out and knock on doors and talk to people. But for phone banking to do it efficiently, instead of just manually dialing, uh, you use a phone banking software. And that can get to be even if you use one of the cheapest available like we do gets to be very expensive. And so I, yeah, I'm worried a little bit, but we've been able to adapt quickly. And we've made 300,000 calls to voters, which I'm excited about. I think we could reach half a million before the primary um, at the beginning of August. Amazing. Yeah. And I've been really helped that uh, we've had really great people from the Bernie campaign join. So uh, my field director who joined in the last month or so, they were a field director or a regional field director for Bernie in Des Moines. And they're, they're able to bring all their experience over here to field. So that's helped a lot. So it has been, you know, difficult transitioning, just like, well, how do we get over to phone banking? How do we afford it? How do we make it as impactful as canvassing or as impactful as we can? And then um, organizing all of it, but it's actually turned out really well. And also with it being summer and pretty much all the schools around the country, high school and college weren't having classes. So that means that a ton of young people were available and free to help us. Uh, so we have had, you know, phone banks with 50 people on them um, from all over the country, which has been really awesome. That's amazing. That's really incredible. My last question is, I've got, I, I've been thinking about something really hard for like the last month and a half, two months. And I wonder what you think about it, which is, and you mentioned like 20% of your district are people over the age of 60. So what kind of messaging, in your opinion, should the left use to do better amongst the older population which maybe is more materially secure um, and maybe they don't need the college loans and they're already on Medicare, Medicaid. So a lot of the broad things that we talk about maybe don't appeal to them in the same way, or maybe they do. Just uh, tell me a little bit about interacting with the senior citizen community. That's a really good question and something I've thought about a lot as well over the past couple of months because, you know, at the beginning of June, my Democratic opponent, Derek Kilmer, signed on to a letter calling for cuts to Social Security. And that's a big problem in a district where 20% of people are over the age of 65, 24% are on Social Security, that other 4% are on disability. And uh, so it was so many, almost a quarter of people depending on Social Security just to live. Uh, for him to sign on to the letter was just... Uh, terrible, terrible uh, move, a terrible thing to do. He's kind of half retracted it, but not really. And he hasn't retracted his signature from the letter. And when people ask him about it, he refuses to address it directly. He just starts talking about how he's uh, co-sponsored a bill for Social Security. And it's like, well, okay, but then why did you send a letter calling for Social Security cuts? And The Intercept even wrote an article about it. And that's really important to people. I think one thing, you know, it is uh, seniors tend to vote. They tend to be registered and vote a lot more than uh, younger ages. So I think one thing that leftists could consider is 
talking more about social security. And it's the greatest anti-poverty program in our country's entire history. Like when it happened around the time of the Great Depression, it lifted millions out of poverty and it had a disproportionate impact on women and people of color because they were more likely to be in poverty. And it still continues, you know, to keep seniors and especially seniors who are women and people of color out of poverty. So it's extremely important and it also should be expanded. It's just as bold as the Green New Deal or as Medicare for All in terms of improving people's lives. So that's one one thing, you know, talking more about social security. Another thing is talking about how will you pay for it. And I know that a lot of us progressives, we don't like this question. It doesn't feel very genuine because it's like, hey, what about, you know, the $4 trillion bailout? What about the Wall Street bailout in 2008? That kind of stuff. But it is something that gets repeated a lot on news, cable news, MSNBC, CNN. It was in all the debates. Um, so I think you can't really br blame people for, for wondering because they hear it so much. And the people that I hear it from, the vast majority, it's a genuine question. They're concerned and they just want to make sure it's something reasonable, that's not going to bankrupt the country. They want to feel like you're not offering them something that's pie in the sky. And so having a good answer and a way to respond to that is really important when you're appealing to those older voters. So one way you can say is like with Social Security, scrap the cap. Right now, uh, you don't pay on Social Security for your income above $130,000. So um, millionaires and billionaires pay almost nothing, proportionally speaking, compared to people who make $40,000 a year. We should just scrap the cap, totally get rid of it and have everybody pay an equal equally to social security as a percentage of their income, like, you know, proportionate to what they actually earn. So that's one thing you can say to people right away. They're like, yeah, that makes sense. And then you can say as well, we'll spend less on foreign wars. We'll spend less on bailing out, you know, endless subsidies to fossil fuels and the fossil fuel industry. And we'll also create the spending just the way they did for the corporate bailout. Congress will decide uh, it'll pass a bill with a priority that it deems worthy of spending money on. And then the Fed will uh, supply the money. And that's, that's how spending works. And that's how we'll do it here. So I think it's really important to be ready to answer that how will you pay for it question and be prepared to take it as for most voters, like I really vast 99%. It's a genuine question, at least in my experience, and just be ready uh, to answer that. Rebecca Parson, you know, we could just talk to you all day with things <laughs> like that. And this is this is also why your campaign is so on fire on social media, for the record. For everybody listening, if you don't follow Rebecca Parson on Twitter, you're missing out because you get <laughs> nonstop takes of this quality. Thank you so much for stopping by for our 100th episode celebration. When the history books are written about this show, they're going to have to mention you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Ian Schlackman, how the heck are you? I'm doing pretty good, Kennedy. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> Always. Really uh, happy to be here for your 100th show. It's uh, quite the milestone. Really amazing stuff. It's very exciting for us. Obviously, uh, it takes a lot of work to get to 100 episodes. And um, we've had a lot of fun along the way. And we've made a lot of great friends. And Ian, you've been somebody that every time you come back, you've always got interesting things to tell us. Uh, what, do you, what do you got going on right now in this wild time that we're living in? Man, it, you know, it's it's such a crazy, crazy time, kind of going from one crisis to the next at the moment. Uh, you know, that's why it's it's really kind of amazing that you guys are able to keep punching out these episodes in the middle of everything going on. I mean, it helps that there's like 10 of us. 
<laughs> I can't argue with that. I can't argue with that. That's got to be a, a winning formula right there. Yeah, but you got one of my favorite podcasts, all seriousness, one of my favorite shows Aww. to come back to. So it's so cool to see you all have 100 shows. That is really, shout out to you guys. That, that's amazing. Ian, I believe that you are currently the reigning champion as a recurring guest. You have been on the oh, show cool. more times than any other individual, which is rad. Uh, it's been really rough. I mean, have you just have you been organizing anywhere during the virus slash BLM era? I know that you do a lot of community work in Baltimore. How are you like holding on in that? Bit? The organizing has just skyrocketed. I mean, there's just such a need. So, I mean, we've got COVID-19, you know, where basically the second COVID-19 started, we had to, uh, I'm talking about like the tenants of Douglas Homes and the homeless community and a whole bunch of other organizers for different communities had to say, you know, one of the first things that we thought about was that there's no way for people to get access to food in the middle of a lockdown. You can't tell people to just stay home if they have no home and they have no way to get groceries on a consistent basis or other essential. And over in Douglas Homes, basically prices were being jacked up in supermarkets and then grocery stores ran out very quickly. And our governor here doesn't really care about, I mean, there's really no other way to say this. He doesn't care about poor people at all. They don't vote for him. So he doesn't care about him. So, um, you know, they scrambled the National Guard. National Guard was supposed to be handing out food and they never did. So we had to immediately start doing a food drive. And so that's been taking up a ton of my time. Every single day, Reverend Chambers is out there. I'm doing logistics behind the scenes. We got this other great uh, volunteer, Brandon Walker, with another organization that's out there every day with us. There's like been a ton of organizations coming together to make this food giveaway happen on a consistent basis. Hey, I just want to get an own in on Brandon here. How do you feel about community <laughs> gardens? He has no comment. I win. You're nitpicking uh -oh. advice. I win. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> no, Brandon and I have been Wait, having uh, an ongoing spirited debate about community gardens and their utility. Well, it's funny you mention that because the Baltimore Teachers Union came by the Baltimore food giveaway and actually put out a bunch of garden boxes for people. And, you know, I was kind of on the fence. I was kind of like, I don't see how that's food in someone's hand right now, but maybe I'm just being short-sighted. And the tenants loved it. I mean, the tenants really appreciated these small garden boxes. They felt like it was their way to start growing something that they could invest in and something to do during COVID-19 in the middle, you know, like you couldn't even leave the, leave the house in the beginning. Yeah, and it builds community. And it exactly. feeds people, right? Ex eventually, it'll feed people. So I totally understand the argument. Like it's a little, <laughs> you know, it, you know, it's, it could seem a little, a little bougie. Let's be clear, but you know, like it, it's not my. <laughs> this is very good. You're <laughs> actually <laughs> currently making both mine and Brandon's point. <laughs> Ian for three from three point land. I love it. All right. Yeah. All right. Keep but, going. No, no, let's keep I mean, going. Let's hear it. No, you can just tell him to stop the second he agrees with you about part of it. We have to hear the whole opinion, Brandon. <laughs> All right, come yeah, on. It's the, te uh, the tenants loved it. The tenants really did love it. And so it's not for me to say. And, you know, I mean, for a lot of these folks, it's families with really young kids. You're talking infants or really young kids under the age of 10 that can't really get out of the house during COVID-19. Then you've got the other side, which is elderly. The city was doing food giveaways at the nearby 
schools. But first of all, they demanded that you have a kid with you. And second of all, when we complained about that and they opened it up to the elderly, then someone has to, you know, like it's literally telling your grandma in a the walker to go walk five, ten blocks to go get a sandwich once a day or else you starve. I mean, that's just not, it's unacceptable. So, I mean, you know, the food giveaways being close to people or someone coming to them and handing them food, in addition to the, the other activities, you know, that we had, such as the gardening boxes, I mean, I think it really, it really helped people survive while the, while the lockdown was in full force. And you got to remember, too, I mean, this is Baltimore's east side. Like, there wasn't a curfew. There was never a curfew, right? But all the tenants knew that if you start going outside after 8 o'clock, all of a sudden the cop's going to roll up and say, you're breaking curfew, get back inside. That's just the way it is in Baltimore. You know, like, so, you know, that kind of leads us to the to the events of the day. So then right after that, like almost, you know, after, after finally stabilizing the food giveaway and the National Guard is finally doing their job and handing out some food. So that takes a little bit of pressure off of us because we're all volunteers doing this for like during mutual aid type stuff and so everyone from uh, the conservative governor his uh secretary of agriculture to um churches to other politicians have been coming out and showing a lot of support and love for the public housing community all of a sudden and we really you know we, we take a lot of pride and a lot of credit in that because before that they were really just telling people to just stay home and starve and there was no plan until we made enough noise that all of a sudden they had to do something or they were going to look bad so that's how we finally got something done and you know it's a it's an yeah. interesting organizing model but it is. But I think, you know, I think you're really onto something with food as a mm -hmm. way to organize. And it's like really this very powerful, not just image, but like environment, you know, that fosters conversations that creates a meaningful sense of connection with your community. And, you know, there's something kind of almost existentially validating about it. So I, I mean, I really think like, yeah, I think you're on the money. Feeding people is so important. I think in general, too, just any organizing that addresses like the core needs that people have is going to be like relatively effective. I think that this is yeah. one of the things that has uh, helped to like further uh, leftist or if you want to call it progressive or other kinds of, you know, sort of causes is that we're addressing these fundamental things that people need. We're not talking about some kind of like pie in the sky issues. You know, that stuff's very important. You know, food, housing, dignity healthcare, you know, all of these Basic things are bodily like, safety. Yeah, all really. these things are incredibly important. That's pretty much like the model that Reverend Chambers has, you know, that that comes from national welfare rights. And before that, it comes from even the Black Panthers. That was like, we're taking what we need to live because otherwise you're killing us. That's, that's sort of the whole model. Ian, how are you eating and drinking through this crisis? Have you have you developed any habits in terms of uh, <laughs> cooking or eating or just being at home and getting sloshed that you'd like to expose to your political enemies? <laughs> just don't worry, they won't listen. It's fine. Or have you have you dipped into your alky side, or do you have other vices we should know about? <laughs> I have. I, I I swear you guys are going to think I'm lying, but I am probably the most boring person you're ever going to meet. I mean, I've been happily married for the past 15 years, um, you know, so it's just me and my wife and, you know, my occasional indulgence is like playing Dungeons and Dragons or Civilization <laughs> 6, which I keep, I bought, I literally bought a Switch in the beginning of the COVID outbreak because I'm like, okay, it's going to be a lot of home time. And I just went right back to playing Civ 6 and now I'm paying for it on three different <laughs> platforms. 
which I'm really pissed oh, off about. Lord. But that's what that's what I this, this is my life. You haven't gotten into Animal Crossing because that's what our show everybody is an Animal Crossing guy now. I played the pocket version when it first came out, and I was like, "This isn't for me." And I could, I could get sucked into it. Like I could let myself get sucked into it. But I would rather get sucked into like my next investment for the Switch is going to be a Pokemon game. I'll be honest with you. I haven't decided which one. You're you're a gaming person. Uh, what is the best Civ game in the series? Oh come on, that's you know I'm not a gamer. I really only play <laughs> strategy type games. It's embarrassing. Right. And my favorite that I always go back to is Alpha Centauri. Oh okay. Oh, the, the old one. Yeah, that's from like the Civ Four era. Back from the late '90s. Yeah, I I still play it. I still I, Good Old Games has it. Uh, it's one of my favorite. It's a great sci-fi story. It's it's fantastic. Oh, uh, Ian, it is always. Just such a pleasure to have you stop by. We'll definitely have to have you on again soon. Hey, congratulations again. Seriously, fantastic. I mean, it's not easy to do something consistently a hundred times like this. So congrats. It was really rad to meet you. You're very cool. I'm glad we got to talk. You're probably one of the few groups of people that describe me as cool. So anytime I'll come back, don't worry. <laughs> Listen. Hey, we'll make a hundred more apps and we'll have you on for as many of them as we could get you. <laughs> all right. That's all right. right. All right. Th- thanks a lot, y'all. You guys are great. You always follow all the small issues and you take them out to their conclusion. I love it. Absolutely. Hell yeah. All right. Take care, guys. Uh, joining us in our quest, our eternal quest to throw a poop emoji at capitalism, uh, Light of Gold. <laughs> one of our most popular episodes. So it was definitely good to meet one of the reigning champions, come back and, and talk about how life's been going. So, Lida, how's life been going? Um, not so hot. Um, I, you know, there's a there's some stuff going on in the world. Not sure if anybody's noticed any of these things. Maybe just me being sensitive, but there's like there's like you know, couple apocalypses, yeah. brutality, important apocalypses at the same time. I don't mm-hmm. know. This all sounds like SJW made up outrage. <laughs> Yeah, this is like, the producers have really jumped the Stark. You know, we're getting into Sharknado territory. Like, somebody needs to just turn the camp down a little bit. Right now, right now, Rachel, we're in the middle of Race NATO. Oh, oh no! <laughs> just imagine like, a tornado of cops. It's like, just like fat. Cop NATO. Oh, no. That's NATO. worse. That's the sequel. <laughs> That's reactionary forces. You know, tornadoes love reaction. That's just how it goes. It's just a swarm of just just yelling random things about compliance and get on the ground or just like a like a legion-esque voice just all shouting at once all of these meaningless <laughs> sort of like power and control kind of phrases at you. It's, it's the perfect horror film. This actually is a good idea. Like, I don't know. Maybe we should copyright this very quickly. We should. We'll do okay. it before this. That's where we'll make our millions. Yeah, all of you plebs that are like listening to the recording, don't even try to get a copyright. We've already locked it down. <laughs> Lida's got a third. We've got a third. Um, George Soros has a third. It's going to be good business. <laughs> you got to get those Soros bucks. I mean, it's the only I mean, way. Yeah. That's just, That's, you know, tribute that you have to pay. That's how you fund leftist media. It's how we fund this show, obviously. <laughs> it's just forcibly redistributed by George Soros. Definitely not just unfunded. That's not the model. How would that work? I can't. I can't be it. And it's, it's it's funny that you mentioned like social justice warrior stuff and like that you know and then left media because like I, I think it's really funny that people who are still despite all the apocalypses still like 
on their, you know, their their sawhorse of like, you know, the, the social justice is destroying the world, cancel culture, uh, you know, the left media is out of control. That's such a good segue. because I was literally going to ask, you work kind of at Current Affairs. Do you inherit all of Nathan's, Nathan Robinson's beef? Like, is that just law of the street? Like, if he's in some shit, you're in the shit too? Yeah, yeah. And I've had are to, like... you required to support his takes when they're bad? Um, no, <laughs> I do not have to support them when they're bad. I, I, I tell him, definitely. Lido, what do we have to do? Because I feel like on our side, we are making them, I mean, we're dunking on them. We're ratioing them. We're calling them white. <laughs> so what else is there left for the left to do in order to convert people? I feel like we've done everything. And so one of the reasons I like, I like, don't get, I don't really like to get involved in, in Nathan's Twitter beefs is I, I think, you know, like online is a stupid place where people do stupid things for the most part. And f- and that's actually fine you know, in some ways, like just wasting your time online and getting to dumb fights is, is fine. Yeah, smart people listen to podcasts. Especially this one, which is wonderful. We love it. Well, really, like if all you're doing, if you're spending a lot of your energy and you should really actually maybe even like set an alarm and like track how much of your energy you're spending, like getting mad on Twitter and dunking on people on Twitter, making fun of people on Twitter. But how much of your life are you using doing that? Are you maybe not going to protests? Are you maybe only dunking on people? Are you not spreading the word about, you know, important uh, Black Lives Matter events that are happening? There's a lot of stuff that you can do. Uh, and there's money that you can give to. That's another thing. But like, you can do stuff with your time that is more useful than being online and dunking on people. Even while you're still online. Yeah, exactly. You can you can be online and do things. And then there's you know for some people like it's not safe to go to protests. There's, there's all kinds of things going on. But like really like look at your time and what you're doing. And are you just dunking on people who will not be convinced no matter what you do and whose whose followers will not be convinced? Are you actually trying to help? Are you trying to do something that's useful while an actual revolution is going on in the street? Right. And so even if you are not like able to go to protests, I promise you, we need help with people on the back end of the protest. They don't just like happen the way people think they do. Like there are organizers who are putting dozens of hours into making these protests happen and are trying our best to keep people safe while they happen. And it's a fucking nightmare trying to do it with like the absolute skeleton crews we have. So like, even if you can't physically take your ass to a protest, you can be helping and you should be. I'm going to take this one step further. I don't even care if you have good politics or if you like are like woke or are with it. Like, I'm just tired of people having this attitude that they like it's more important to spend a few hours. Like I had this debate with some people that were supporting Joe Biden a while back. How much time is it worth it to spend trying to convince me versus just phone banking for him if you actually think he's worth a damn like there's so many things that you can do and it doesn't have to be like uh you know always the most extreme things but i think a lot of people kind of feel like they can sort of make politics happen just by yelling into a void and uh, you have to yell on a podcast or on a on a a a publication that's what we've all learned here in this room (laughs) yeah if you really want to affect change you have to start your own podcast clearly Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I actually do think that like podcasts are like a good thing and leftist podcasts are the whole thing is like it's like good for people to like talk and get their voices out there and it's really important. But one thing I've been thinking um increasingly in terms of like current affairs, like I'm sure some articles that we put out convince people and sway people and can be useful because we, we get feedback from people by stuff that we did. But at the end of the day, the important stuff is the stuff that happens in person. The important stuff is organizing in person, organizing workplaces and protests and things like that. It's not an article is is an article. And the kind right. of passive work you're doing online, you know, it, 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 you're receiving information or making jokes and fun. It can be useful, can help radicalize, can help stabilize, but real work is not there. 
Right. And I like to really think of what we do, you know, whether it's in print media or podcasting or live streaming, like we're not really here trying to change people's minds because those people will just ignore us. What we're trying to do is we are trying to help people who agree with us come up with ways of articulating these ideas that they can feel are right, but don't know how to explain to somebody else. Like at most what we're doing here is a framework. The actual point of Praxis is the single person to person direct interaction. It's so validating when you like, you feel like you're crazy and then you hear somebody express something and you're like, yes, that's the thing. That's the thing I've been feeling. Yeah, exactly. And it, it helps to create community when you can articulate these things. And that's like basically what we're giving people is like, we're just saying, here are some ways you can, you know, explain this to your racist uncle at your grandma's birthday party. But that's it. like, if you if you choose not to pick, you know, that fight with your uncle, and maybe you shouldn't, it is your grandma's birthday. Uh, but you know, if you, if you <laughs> choose to pick that fight, like at least go into it prepared, you know? Uh, Lida, thank you so much for swinging by uh, for our 100th episode. It's so good to be here. Yeah, I mean, well, like we said, your episode has stood out to us as one that we enjoyed um, that, you know, a lot of people have given us a lot of positive feedback on. It's definitely one of our most listened episodes. So like when we think of people that, uh, you know, just kind of like come in here and just can jump in the recording booth with us instantly and just I, we're, we're joking in 10 seconds. It's you for sure. You know, language is a game, and some people know the rules well enough to break them gracefully. And you are one of those people. And that's what I like about you. What I've been telling my editor. And Yeah. <laughs> Listen, unironically, the reason that I reached out to you and asked you to come on the pod was because of that uh, one piece you did. And I mean, it's not the only one, but the piece that I read that was like the first one I read by you, where you made some like really deep cut philosophical reference, and then the next sentence was overtly a shit post. And I was just like, <laughs> my people, I feel seen. <laughs> stay on brand right yeah yeah we gotta you know that's what we gotta do we gotta mix mix the philosophy with humor and hopefully at the end of the day something sticks either the humor or the philosophy it doesn't really matter which one whatever so long as people are paying attention <laughs> to me specifically thank you everybody i'm rachel Kahn. <laughs> Lido, it's great to have you thank you for joining us thanks this was really fun you guys yeah uh, we would love to have you on again literally whenever Dennis Lambert, so great to talk with you again. How are you? Well, I'm still here. I'm still on the right side of the grass. I'm still running for president. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're, you're, uh, see, I didn't know this. The first time that we got together, I was not on the podcast with you. And so I listened to it immediately afterwards. And I was like, this guy is great. I've got to like plug into the Dennis Lambert world. I listened to a handful of your podcast episodes. It was very great. Um, I had no idea that you were, I thought that the nomination had been clinched at this point. I clearly don't know what's happening. So what's the current status of the Green Party nomination? It's still still up in the air from uh, what I, I read this morning. Uh, there's uh, less and less delegates uh, that will be uh, attending the convention. So that's making it easier for Howie to uh, to grab the nomination based on the number of delegates that they're claiming he has. Uh, I, I have not uh, gotten any word from uh, any of the uh, other than California and a couple other states, uh, the total number of, of uh, delegates that I have. But I know I do have some delegates. So right now, it's still kind of up in the air. Hey, well, congratulations on getting some delegates and, you know, running yeah. a successful campaign. That rocks. Yeah. Did you see any part of the Libertarian Party's convention? did a whole virtual thing on Zoom, and it was very kind of surreal. Do you think the Green Party's going to do something like that, or are you all going to meet in person? 
uh, we they have a, a scheduled uh, virtual convention. Uh, COVID thing has uh, apparently scared them off of actually having a meeting in person. Uh, and and no, I didn't actually see the whole uh, Libertarian convention. Uh, but I've been talking to a couple of Libertarians who are disappointed in their nomination. A few of them who actually worked on, on uh, Vermins and uh, I forget who their their uh, vice nominee is, but they worked on their campaign. That, yeah. But uh, you know. To each his own, you know. Uh, I mean, uh, Berman was my libertarian candidate, so uh, <laughs> we backed him too. But it's too bad. <laughs> I've, I've actually been on on uh, two libertarian podcasts here the last two weeks, so uh, I mean, uh, I, I am getting the message out to the libertarians. <laughs> That's good. Every little bit counts. Uh, so you are still like you haven't done a podcast episode. I know that when when you came on our show, you were gonna host your podcast, and you've done like a handful of very good episodes. I think you got like ten or twelve or fifteen or something. No, you've got twenty five. Excuse me. Yeah, you've got twenty five episodes, but you haven't made like a new one in a couple of weeks. So is that still happening? Are you doing something new? What's going on? Yeah, I, I did have some. Uh, I was using my iPhone to record my podcast and then upload it to, uh, to Anchor, but my uh, my phone crapped out on me a couple of weeks ago. So some of the uh, the ones that were recorded and put up somehow they got taken down, and uh, some yeah. of the ones I recorded about uh, uh, COVID, I talk about you know just issues for five, ten minutes or whatever. Most of that stuff I've written down verbatim, and 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 I'm re-recording them. I'll be putting them back up, but I also have. Uh, a debate from Michigan that I attended that, that I'll be airing also. And I, I, I'm also looking for uh, one or two people to round out uh, the podcast uh, interviews of, of my friends or, or people that I've talked to on the campaign trail. Uh, that's one one thing I've gotten a lot of good feedback about is that uh, people like that my uh, podcasts are very short and that I, I pack a lot of information in there and they agree with a lot of what I'm talking about uh, across the political spectrum. And it's, I wonder, this is a weird question, but just kind of work with me. How do you feel emotionally? Because you go and you work the campaign trail and you talk to all these people and you learn about their problems and you get kind of invested in them. Like you've also got to travel. Do you ever feel like you want to hang out with everybody you meet all the time? Because as I've been like doing these interviews and looking back, like I wish that I could hang out with Nancy Larson all the time. I wish I could hang out with Lindsey Boylan all the time. I wish, I could. do you ever like yeah. feel like, does doing all this kind of running around the country make you feel small or disconnected or does it give you ennui or do you feel better that you're touching this many people with your message? I'm really uh, enjoying getting out there. Uh, I mean, just from uh, uh, purely geological interests, uh, going across the country is really, <laughs> I mean, just looking at the, the, the way the, the, uh, the mountains and everything are formed and really, I mean, just from that, I, I've, I've learned a lot, but uh, getting out there and talking to people, I'm sure it's making the world a little bit smaller and that I'm starting to create friends and, and know people all over the country, different places. But a lot of people's problems are the same no matter where I've gone, from Oregon to uh, Massachusetts. It's People's problems are the same. It's just the, the, the approaches that they think are going to work best uh, based on their, their communities and, and their resources around them is, is really what's different. Absolutely. Has your religion colored any of your experiences on the trail? Do you have feel like you have a deeper understanding uh, of your faith, or has your faith given you a deeper understanding of the world as you've run for president? Uh, well, I'm a Buddhist, uh, ordained Buddhist. If you want to say practice instead of faith, <laughs> that's fine. But no, not really. I mean, 
I had to put a pause on the campaigning uh, when the COVID stuff started because I was actually on the road doing work. Uh, but the guy who was working with me was, you know, we were still doing a little bit of campaigning because every time uh, uh, we would finish a job, we'd sit there and shoot the shit for a little bit. Uh, and eventually subject would come up, hey, Dennis is running for president. And uh, one guy pulled to my coworker aside and said, uh, why is he doing this this work if he's running for president should he be a ceo or something and my coworker said no i mean the president should actually be somebody who gets his hands dirty and does work like we do so i mean there you go that and seeing people react uh, positively to my entire platform uh, has really uh, inspired me to keep running even though you know it, it's i know it's an uphill battle and sometimes i even feel like a third party candidate in the green party uh, but you know, I, I, I get a lot of positive, uh, feedback. I, you know, I'm, I've run for president to inspire people to, to take government into their own hands and, and run for whatever office they want to, and hopefully influence the greens to run for office, uh, every position, every election, because, uh, our two party system needs to be broken down and they're not going to be broken down until we start fighting them in every election. Love that. Yeah. Is there anything sort of in closing that you want to say you've learned this really, really tumultuous year? Don't try to predict anything. That's the lesson. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. Well, um, when uh, not too long after Trump got elected, uh, a friend of mine who's a Marine sat down and, I, uh, you know, he still owes me lunch. But we, we sat down and talked about, uh, you know, because he knew that I'd run for office a couple of times before. He asked me uh, what I thought about uh, Trump. And, and I said, well, you know, I don't think he's very confident. And I'm not really uh, optimistic uh, about uh, him achieving anything fruitful for this country. And then he said, well, what do you think about the country as a whole? And I, I, I said, honestly, you know, real great reform comes under our greatest oppressions. Uh, and I could see that uh, possibly before Trump gets out of office, that we're going to have some social change going on. And, you know, I don't think we're going to get it from electing Democrats, but uh, I, I, I'm very appreciative of seeing so many people out in this and protesting, fighting for our rights that, you know, we've been losing incrementally. Fortunately, I think we're we're starting to see the, the tidal wave turn. So, I mean, this is uh, this is what I have hope for. Uh, you know, 62 percent of the people who are eligible to vote are under uh, age 38 for the uh, 2020 election. So really, young people, you want to see the change, get out there and vote, pull a ballot. If you don't see the changes, you want be the change. Go out there and run for office yourself. I can't think of a better conclusion than that, Dennis. Thank Fantastic. you so much for stopping by. It's just always a pleasure to talk to you, to hear what you're up to. And we just so much appreciate you coming by to celebrate with us for our 100th episode. Hey, lots of love here. This podcast is obviously sponsored by the official sponsors uh, of the podcast, which are Minecraft and Animal Crossing. <laughs> <laughs> but aside and from Rain. that, and Raid Shadow Legends, console quality graphics. Uh, oh, God. Uh, but aside from that, what kind of video games are y'all playing and enjoying lately? Kennedy, go. Uh, I've been playing like Celeste, which is like an indie platformer. It's very Fuck challenging. Yeah. Uh, I've been playing a lot of like city building games and that kind of stuff. And I don't know, just I play a lot of things, but I tend to play a lot of like indie games, arcade games, you know. Yeah, I love it. Rachel, what are you playing? 
Uh, and the rare occasions my daughter lets me play something that is not Minecraft, I am either playing Breath of the Wild or the new Doom, uh, Doom Eternal. And actually, if I ever get through Doom Eternal, my next game up is definitely going to be Tonight We Riot. Yeah, I am uh, aggressively normie as a uh, video game player. Uh, I'm, I'm currently obsessed with NBA 2K. I am also a Borderlands 3 person when I get any free time, which I don't have much of. And I did just buy a, a big bundle that has Tonight We Riot. I am officially an owner of Tonight We Riot. I'm really excited to dig into it. And luckily, uh, we've got a quick interview with Ted Anderson, uh, who worked on the team that put that together. So let's drop in there. Let's see what Ted's doing uh, and make it a win. But, like, I can tell, like, their extreme hangout was being, like, a conservative who feels very put upon. And I was like, yeah, yo, I get it. But also, at the same time, there's concentration camps, and you've lost the ability to argue otherwise. So, here we are! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, they can only, like, the other day on Facebook, they posted, like, 88 of those advertisements and it was specifically 88 and they were using the nazi symbol for like political prisoners like oh, they're not yeah. even like being subtle about the dog whistling it's fucking brutal oh yeah no i loved i i absolutely loved having a fucking panic attack all yesterday that was great like calculating how much fuel does it take to get to canada from texas and can i drive for 20 hours straight on energy drinks alone yeah maybe have you tried Either way, it was just like, it was really fucked up and it was really weird. And I feel like it's something specific to our generation writ large in the sense of like, we wish we could talk to our parents about this shit, but like, I knew I couldn't talk to mine. They would just be like, oh, you're just being, you're just being hyperbolic. Things are fine. That's right. I voted for the guy who's going to be filling concentration camps, but things are fine. <laughs> right. It's yeah. like, what is it going to take for some people to just like call this like what it is? It just seems like every time something like this happens, it's like the New York Times publishes an article the next day. Uh, is this symbol actually fascist? Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, so like, like literally with that regard, like a, a, a weird, terrible bridge between the two subjects of which we're discussing. Like, ask my mom, what's the line? Like, what's the line that can't be crossed? And she goes, I don't know. And I was like, how the fuck do you not know? If you don't have a line that you're willing to say out loud, you just don't have one. This is absolutely evil in the banal way. Because, like, her dad, my grandfather, was a paratrooper at D-Day. And so, like, yeah. he fucked up Nazis, like, in the most extreme way possible. But also got patched into, like the Battle of the Bulge with the Third Army. And, like, so he saw some shit. Like, he fought Nazis. Like, real Nazis. Not just, like, mall Nazis. <laughs> mall Nazis. But, like, I mean, if there's mall Goths, there's mall Nazis, I'm saying. There are. Right now, America is facing an epidemic of mall Nazis. And yeah. it's good that you are here to stand up to them, put them in their place, and yeah. the bigger targets, too. I mean, like, fuck them all Nazi, put them in place directly in front of, like, whatever shop imbues, like, the idea of, like, white supremacy. <laughs> it's probably, like, J. Crew, Abercrombie. <laughs> well, and, like, 
Which actually kind of brings me back to something you and I were joking about right before we started recording about like being a parent through all of this because you have oh, yeah. a five-year-old and a two-year-old. I have a five-year-old, um, you know, and it's it's been such a like absolute mindfuck trying to figure out how I can carry like this like leftist anarchist ethos into my parenting relationship with my child. Uh, I mean, especially during this, these times of quarantine, like yeah. me, we've been doing like a class at the beginning of every day. And, you know, that's the way we break down our roles in our house is that I do class and then my wife gets to do her work time stuff and, you know, et cetera. But, you know, I'll handle the kids for like a good hour long of teaching them like spelling and arithmetic and numbers and whatnot. But like today we covered Juneteenth and like what is Juneteenth and why is Juneteenth and are we celebrating Juneteenth? Yes, we are. And it's very hard because a child's view of the world is... It's so simple. It's very simple and it's also very innocent. Mm-hmm. And it's so concrete. Well, yeah. It's like, why would you ever hurt somebody? Yeah. And yeah. You, you tell them it's because they can make money. And they go, why isn't that against the law? And you go, well, they tried to make it against the law. But then people, like, started an entire goddamn war about it. And they killed 300,000 people right because they wanted to keep people as machinery and things and they didn't want to give them the soul and the you know animus that we all have and you have to tell this five-year-old that like the world is not good yeah and that's so hard to try and explain like how inherently unfair a world is to a little kid i will say though it also leads to some really hilarious moments um like the other day we take ellie to protests when we can you know when they're like reasonably safe so the other day um she was with her stepdad john in his car for a caravan protest um, that was like meeting up with a protest I was doing on the state capitol steps. And I found out after the fact from John that, you know, when they were passing by us, they were alternating between like waving at me and saying hey to me. And at one point she just looked a cop dead in the eyes and like mean mugged him and did the like point at my eyes, point at you thing. It's just oh, like, I'm shit. watching oh, you. Shit. And I was I just it. like, oh shit, she's five years old. And she's mean mugging I cops. You like, <laughs> Hell yeah. And I appreciate, you know, it's like these, like, it's such a funny moment to realize, like, oh, I'm the reason she has that attitude I, about I, that. I have those moments, especially even with my kid, where, like, on some level, she knows what's up. That she yeah. knows daddy is outside the norm. And I remember one point where she came up to me and she said, Daddy, I will, I wouldn't let them get you. That's both terrifying and adorable. Right, exactly. Like, yeah. It was one of those things where I was just like, oh, fuck. This is like one of those things that happens in the 1930s and you read about it and you're like, oh, my God, what would it be like if I was there? And I was like, no, this is me. This is me right now. Yeah, like this is the thing we're doing. Right. And there's a, there's an inherent absurdity to it, right? Like in that specific protest, I showed up with a guillotine. And so I went from like standing there with my fist in the air angrily with a guillotine like in my arm to literally dropping and going full high, like full high baby mom mode. And I'm just like, and then I like go back to holding the guillotine. And it's like, what is this? <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> like, right. And like, well, like, this was a situation where like I was getting my boots on, getting a hoodie on so I couldn't be identified and getting a mask on so again I couldn't be identified and she knew something was different and she knew this was different from daddy going out normally and like my wife yeah. knew I was going to go out and I was going to counter protest some Nazis yeah have you had that I might get arrested conversation with your kids yet not explicitly but I have had the conversation of like 
there's some bad people in this world who want to make things good for just them. And we aren't like that because we want to make sure everybody's happy. Yeah. And And everybody's safe. Right. And like daddy fights for that and mommy fights for that. And I don't want you to ever forget that kid. Yeah. Right. And that's, it's such an important legacy to sort of be the last chain in the cycle of abuse and try to raise kids who will do something better, you know? When you talk about these kind of like startling moments, um, I think, you know, uh, you make uh, political media in the form of, you know, Tonight We Riot, an amazing video game. We make political media in the form of a podcast. I think a lot of us like make this stuff because in part we're having these shocking moments of revelation about how things really are, where we really stand. And I think a lot of times when people look at left wing media and they see us calling for this or that, they kind of always think that like we're sort of necessarily promoting our own agenda but I think a lot of times and I think this is true of your game and I'd love to have you speak to this we're more just looking at the situation that we're in and saying this is inevitable (laughs) well you know what it's funny you bring it up the idea of like everybody you know speaking to the idea of like the left writ large having an agenda and this is something I have actually chewed on a lot over the years and my main conclusion is this is the idea that like everybody has a narrative. We have something that we talk about and that narrative serves a goal. And the goal is what we're hoping to achieve with the narrative. And the outcome from that goal, we hope matches our narrative. And to me, that is politics writ large. Whether or not you are a leftist, whether or not you are a right winger, you are pushing a narrative. Absolutely. I talk about this all the time. I agree so strongly. Like the fundamental essential nature of politics is aesthetic more than anything else before anything else. It is about the image a person has of themselves and whether they want to insert themselves into the story you're selling them. Right. I can't imagine a better way to put it than this. I'm sure we could keep talking forever, but we got to wrap this. Of course, Ted. Thank you oh, so absolutely. Thank you so much for stopping by for our 100th episode celebration. Absolutely. Y'all, please have me on again. You guys have been one of my favorite interview groups. Uh, you ask excellent hell questions. Yeah. Uh, you're extremely camaraderie. Hell yeah, I'm into it. Thank you so much. We will definitely have you back. Yeah, absolutely. There are stars in our eyes for Tonight We Riot, an incredible game where you actually don't have to kill anybody if you don't want to. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and also, just generally speaking, y'all are very cool. My daughter wants to say hello. Elliot, what do you think about cops? Stupid. Brilliant. Perfect. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and thank you for joining us tonight. All right, Ted, thank you. <laughs> All, right, All right, you guys. Oh, my goodness. Always a pleasure. I love talking to you. Have a wonderful night. You too. Melanie. Melanie Darigo, thank you so much for stopping by. Yes, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. We've done a lot of interviews and stuff because we've been so inspired by the races and the campaigns that have been run specifically in New York. We love all of y'all. And it's just coincidentally our 100th episode kind of lined up with the New York primary. So we were like, oh, we don't want to talk to any of those people because they're busy. Like, y'all, you're working really hard right now. Obviously, I think as of this recording, y'all are like a week out from the primary. So it was, we're especially grateful that you even had like a few minutes to stop by and talk to us. I mean, yeah. 
Yeah, of course. Yeah, we're actually five days out from our primary. Um, we've been, yeah, we, we've had absentee ballot voting going on all month and uh, we're in early voting right now. So yes, it is It is not stopped, but it, it's exciting. You know, the, the excitement is definitely palpable, even in a lockdown scenario. Um, you know, we see our community just like really rallying around the campaign. And, um, you know, we really uh, at this point are just feeling very grateful to be, you know, in this community, to be building, you know, with our um, with our neighbors and our friends. And uh, we're very, very excited for the future. Well, it's been exciting to watch your growth as a candidate, too. I mean, especially when you first came on the show, you were just kind of like getting everything together still. And now it's like you have a huge Twitter following. You're doing lots of cool things. You've got good endorsements. Like it's it's amazing. You know, Um, you really have like built quite a bit of stature for yourself online. You're a power player. (laughs) And and I think it's because, you know, you, you speak your mind and you have things to say that resonate with a lot of people. So, well, thanks, guys. Uh, you know, I, I think it's a you know it's a testament to like a organizing mindset, right? I come from the organizing background, uh, and I think you know, we see this. This is true of a lot of candidates that are activists and organizers, and then they take the leap because they can't take it anymore and they want real change. So they jump in and they run. Uh, and, and we see this, this authenticity and this, you know, this ability to, to really speak the truth. Um, and I think it's really refreshing. You know, we don't want to hear politicians just give us these glossy answers. Like if you don't know, we want to know that you don't know. Uh, and if you do know, we want to hear what you think, right? And so I think you're right. I think that is refreshing to a lot of folks, but uh, you know, we've put in a lot of work in this race as have our supporters. And it it feels, um, that's what feels so special about it. It really, truly feels like a collective achievement. You know, we're really proud of that. Who have you made friends with since you started running? I know it's such an intense situation. And whenever you're in an intense situation, those friendships become like a lot stronger, those bonds. Mm -hmm. Are there anybody, is there anybody that you're like, man, these last three months, XYZ, they were a real one. Who have you feel like you've grown closer to? That's such a great idea. Uh, I mean, a great question. And, you know, certainly there are some candidates uh, that are running in New York. Um, many, I think, I guess the closest that I've come uh, are, are candidates that are on the brand new Congress slate. Um, very early on, uh, Lauren Ashcraft, uh, you know, who's running against Carolyn Maloney, uh, Shaniat Chowdhury, who's running against Gregory Meeks, and Mel Gagarin, who's running against Grace Meng, and Lindsey Boylan, who's running against Jerry Nadler. Uh, we all form some pretty tight friendships. Uh, early on. Uh, and I've really been there for each other throughout this process, sometimes even to just, you know, vent and express frustration. But also, uh, I feel like we've, we've leaned on each other for support or, you know, tried to tip each other off about endorsements that were coming up, uh, you know, which, which I think has been um, really helpful in all of our campaigns. You know, when you when you run and you try to build and mount an insurgent campaign on your own, uh, it's really difficult, right? It's like climbing a mountain. And so it feels almost like we're climbing it together and we're sort of hoisting each other up a little bit as we're going. But yeah, I feel, you know, so grateful. And um, I, I feel like we've formed some really strong friendships that will certainly last, you know, um, for many years to come. Uh, and that's, you know, that's been pretty exciting. That list of names you read off, that was like the all-star list. That's right. <laughs> yeah, and I was just sitting there thinking like, oh, I love them. They're all friends of the show. Like, yeah, for sure. And Melanie, you can you can chime in on this and just give your feelings on it. But like when we yeah. talk on the show about like the idea of having politicians in office that will actually listen to activists as opposed to just like shut us out when we're trying to organize and like get these causes done. People like Melanie, people like Lauren Ashcraft, like everybody that you're talking 
talking about right now. Like these are the people that will listen to us. Yeah. And I, I don't know if you have something you want to say further about that. But. I'm going to cut you off and go harder. They are us, dude. Like Lauren, yes. Lindsay, yes. like all those people have yes. been organizing for like years before they even started to run, which is one of the reasons why, mm -hmm. like, even if like we don't agree 100% of the time on every issue, we've got like so much like faith in y'all in terms of your vision, even regardless of win or lose the congressional race, everybody in that state has like moved the ball forward. We haven't had Mel on the show. We've had like everybody else you named. Y'all have all moved the ball forward in a really incredible way. And we're super proud of y'all collectively and individually. Absolutely. I know like I broadly disdain politicians and y'all are some of the only ones I am 100% confident are in it for the right reasons and authentically, you know? Uh, well, thank you. Uh, I think, but you know, that, that goes back to because we are organizers, right? And we have no political skin in the game. You know, we're not doing this because we want a title. We're doing this because we know that we need change. Um, and, you know, we've tried the other way, right? We've tried organizing in our community. We've tried organizing for other candidates. Uh, and, you know, we've had some successes, certainly. But, uh, you know, for many of the issues that we're facing right now, we just don't have the luxury of time, right? So uh, there comes a point where you just have to step up and do for your community and um, you know to that point about listening to the activists like hell yeah you know um, a lot of times uh, the activists are the experts in the field on a lot of issues right and their voices are so powerful and so important um, I believe deeply in that lived experience you know and we need to elevate those voices uh, you know across a variety of issues so that we can you know continue to progress and um, sometimes legislate and move the needle to make sure that everybody uh, is living in an equitable world and you know I'm pumped about that I, we couldn't agree more here. And, you know, I mean, when you talk about just like these issues, we're involved in them because these are the issues that affect us. These are the right. issues that we're living. We relate to that so much as as like why we came together and make this show, you know, like. Right. Like yeah. being the media we wanted to see that we weren't That's seeing. Awesome. Well, you know, and speaking of us coming together and speaking of our history and our relationship with, you know, Melanie, uh, I wanted to just bring up a cute thing that I don't know if you realize this, Melanie, but when we interviewed you, when I interviewed you uh, the first time, that was like one of my first episodes of the show at all. It was like maybe my second one. Oh, wow. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> well, it did not show. <laughs> but it was it was great because it was with somebody like you who was, you know, so like kind and has so much to say. And we could just sort of let you have the mic and like you run with it and give us incredible content every time so oh that's that's really mm. kind you make it very easy to do my job which is oh good. that's very <laughs> kind well i appreciate all of you guys so much and uh you know i remember you like really asking questions that were really thoughtful uh, and so and i appreciate that right because we don't what we don't need is politicians to say of course healthcare is a human right of course i i believe that everyone should have healthcare, but you know that they're not supporting it right and i remember that for being on on your show last time you guys really asked thoughtful questions and i i appreciated that a lot well, thank you so much for saying that, Melanie. Melanie, thank you so much for stopping by. I hope that the primary goes incredible for you. We're all rooting for you over here. And, Absolutely. Uh, you know, you know that you're welcome here anytime. Thank you so much. Good luck. We love you. Thank you. Always a pleasure. We believe in you. Thank you. <laughs> We don't have to welcome people. This is the first one recording. We don't have to do an intro like we're doing a okay. brand new episode. We just come in and we're just like, Nancy Larson's here. Quinn no, Albright's here. Yeah, we're we're just doing hanging it. out. That's right. We're just hanging out with our favorite people. 
today. And Nancy and Quinn, you are definitely high on that list. Uh, Thank you so much. Uh, Nancy, you were just telling us you finished the process. You were signing up before. I think you did mention this when you were here before. I don't know if it was on the air or maybe afterwards that you finished the process to become a kidney donor. Yes. And it was originally planned for the beginning of February, but it got uh, kind of pushed back. And at the last minute, there were some other testing that needed to be done. And then by that point, we were into COVID. And I found myself kind of happy that I wasn't going into COVID lockdown, trying to recover from major surgery. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. And COVID is, uh, as you know, kind of shutting people's organs down when they get to that critical point. So I'm not sure that I'm game to follow that process, but it's been wild in Ohio. We've had a really good medical director whose name is Dr. Amy Acton, and she and the Republican governor have done a really, really good job of working in concert to keep us all safe. So because she was competent and he was listening to a woman doctor, the Republicans at the state house decided that they had to throw a monkey wrench into it and they couldn't abide him, Governor DeWine, taking any kind of advice from a female person. My opponent and several other people wrote a letter to Governor DeWine telling him basically to cease and desist. The economy needed to open up, businesses need to get back online, and the hell with what she was saying about, you know, keeping people safe. And then they passed a bill saying that whatever she was putting forth as public health orders, if they didn't like it, it, that whatever she was doing could had to expire in 14 days if they didn't re-up her recommendations. And they tried to use the fact that she had volunteered with Obama once in 2008 as evidence that the lockdown was part of some sort of communist takeover plot, <laughs> um, which is kind of patently absurd. It's sort of in this insane circular logic where it's not like, it's not based on anything other than like, they wanted to reopen and they needed a villain or else it would seem like insane and entirely misplaced, which it still does, but they need to be able to justify it to their own base. Sure, sure. Similar to what was happening in Michigan with the people showing up in Lansing with assault rifles slung over their shoulders, people here in Ohio were showing up in Columbus and knocking on the doors and yelling through the windows. They went to her house. They had guns outside of her private residence. They, She's Jewish, so they were anti-Semitic stuff. And she started getting death threats. And bottom line, she resigned last week and said she it just was she couldn't do her job anymore because there was too much stress. And it it's just pathetic how anybody that has competence isn't allowed to do their job and function. And the Republicans are going to bully them until they leave. DeWine, who's who's Republican, got all the Demos were on his side. He got a great deal of support from all of us. And we were like, my God, you're doing a great job. And just as we got on board with him, his own party started to be super critical and couldn't tolerate that he also was being competent. <laughs> I, if I recall correctly, at some point, the the House of Representatives here was threatening to draw articles of impeachment yes. against DeWine because he shut down in a timely manner, which is 
insane. I But bottom line for now, we opened up about five or six weeks ago a lot of things, but their education is sticking and people are staying home. They are wearing masks out. They are social distancing. And we have not had the spike in um, hospitalizations and stuff that other states have had. And I think it's mostly because the two of them did such a good job at the get-go educating people and, and bringing them along. And I, I hope that people continue to follow those guidelines because it's kept us out of hot water. It seems like something that's been pretty resilient against the pandemic is your campaign, at least. Yes, um, it's been it's been exciting. The last couple of weeks, I've been out at three uh, Black Lives Matter marches and felt good to be back around people again and at least able to give out cards and talk to people, you know, with masks on. I do miss knocking door to door and we've been doing virtual town halls and a couple house parties have started up. Nice. So it, Transitioning over to stuff and getting more comfortable with with all of that, but we can give you first hand. Um, our biggest protest in downtown Toledo was Saturday two weeks ago, and I was there and Quinn was there, and the police, uh, true to form, decided to just start tear gassing people and doing their rubber bullets and wooden bullets for no provocation whatsoever. It was terribly disgusting and. Um, Excuse me, wooden, wooden bullets? Wooden yes. bullets, yes. Which is insane, because my understanding is that wooden bullets are meant to be used during SWAT raids. They're supposed to be used on windows and stuff, not on people. But they were very much firing them at people, including one of my good friends. I was downwind from some tear gas. I had a friend who brought some goggles, so I, I got those on pretty quickly, and I it wasn't that bad. But they were like... There was like sort of a main event thing that was very clearly like some level of coordinated with the police department. And then as soon as that uh, protest dispersed, people started marching. And as soon as we turned the corner, they uh, set up and, and started tear gassing people and shooting into the uh, crowd with wooden and rubber bullets almost immediately, more or less. Wooden bullet sounds like something George Washington would use against the Redcoats <laughs> in 1776. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wooden teeth, wooden bullets, he rode in on a wooden horse. It's all. I really love to, like, I just heard from some protesters on the ground uh, that, like, no shit, in Atlanta, the cops, like, knelt with them for a photo op and marched with them for a photo op, and then those same cops, like, five minutes later, were tear gassing them. Like, yeah. literally just, like, so cynical on every level. Or, like, the, the cops who are doing the Macarena, which is, like, literally, like, an Iraq war, like, propaganda tactic. Doing psyops against the protesters. And our protesters have been, had their their brains turned to mush. And so they were just like, hey, Macarena, I... By the way, I just want to say, who remembers the Macarena anyway? Like, <laughs> a very <I> old <laughs> Uh, Quinn and Nancy, this we knew that we just had to to get you on the phone for a little while for this. We are just we're so excited to have made a hundred episodes of this show. That's wonderful. Yes, you guys need to keep rocking because 
media obviously is um, under duress. The reporters here locally that were covering this were told to stand off to the side and be out of harm's way. And the police immediately gassed them and fired bullets at them too. And I know there's no official news um, coverage of the event because they're taking out the reporters and making sure that they're not there to have an objective view about what's going on. So anybody like you that is doing this as a public service and um, to keep people informed, we're going to need that even more as the uh, evolution revolution goes on. Well, we appreciate that. And, you know, to us, it's a two way street of relationship because we're just as excited to hear that campaigns like yours are succeeding. You were one of our just absolute favorite guests that we ever talked to, basically. Oh, yeah. And yeah. and your your <laughs> insurgent campaign to change Ohio state politics has just been an inspiration to us all. Oh. Oh, something really important to say. We got more votes than Derek Maron in the primary, making Nancy's the first Democratic campaign to ever receive more votes than a Republican in our primaries. In this Damn, campaign. hell yeah. <laughs> and that's to see it. Keep blasting it. Keep us in the loop. We'll do a whole episode instead of like a quick check-in. Okay. I'm sure it'll happen in the future. All right. I'm Nancy Larson, Quinn Albright. Thank you, thank you both so much. We Later, always love yeah. to hear thank from you. Thank you guys for the boost. Yeah, see ya. Great seeing you. Hope again. things go well. Absolutely. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Bye bye. Zainab Massini, how are you? I'm doing so well. So great to have you here. Have you back? Have you on? Especially because as of this recording, it's incredible that you could even slide us in to talk to us. You talk about what's going on right now. Sure. Well, thank you so much for having me. Congratulations on your 100th episode. I'm grateful to be a part of a uh, part of it. And then thank you. I'm so excited to be back as this be- is being recorded. Um, it's the day before our primary. So we are busy. Um, but I, y'all uh, were just so amazing. And I wanted to make sure that I was able to to come back and celebrate with you this amazing accomplishment. I love your program, obviously. So um, yeah, so we're getting volunteers ready. Um, We have been making our regular calls and text banking and stuff like that. So thank you for having me. Yeah. As we are going through this primary season, a lot of people who are insurgent candidates, and just in my personal experience, have weird stories, things that happened either to the street teams or weird phone calls they've gotten or people who might have been political operatives you don't know weird things. Has anything really weird happened to you in the business of politics since we last? Oh my gosh. Uh, Yes. So we did um, get out the vote. I think it's called auto dialer and has like very specific like legal requirements. It could only go to home phones and it can only do so many things. There has to be a disclaimer and stuff like that. So we followed the law before somebody like comes at us. Um, So basically we sent out this, uh, this call and somebody called us back. So it's an automated message, but we give a number at the end of it for people to reach back to us if they have questions and stuff like that. Somebody left me, I, I, I cannot make this up. Somebody left me a voicemail that said, hey, my butt itches. <laughs> Why don't you like something like scratch the goo and eat the goo or something like that? Wow, that's creepy and gross and really not surprising. Was it a man? 
Yeah, of course. Of yeah, course. that's not surprising to me, though. I'm on Tinder right now, and I've been bitching oh about this a lot. <laughs> to hear that some rando dude sent you that message specifically is really fucking gross and disappointing and not at all surprising to me. Yeah, yeah. Men are trash. And, like, you have to take time out of your day, so it's not like you can, you know, call back. Busy, you're doing stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's like the weirdest that that's happened so far and we haven't had a chance to listen to the rest of voicemail yeah but people are weird you know uh it's just like hard to even imagine the mindset of somebody like you say kind of taking the time to do this sort of thing Mm -hmm. right like it's very bizarre the energy that wackos have to be bizarre is uh just very inspiring in its own very twisted way (laughs) (laughs) like i gotta get i gotta get out of bed a little bit with a little bit more enthusiasm i gotta be more like this this guy leaving me the creepy voicemail he's clearly out of bed early in the morning he left his voicemail at 433 uh you know you've got the energy to do wrong you gotta have the energy to do right that's right that's exactly right have y'all ever watched uh, Hannah Gatsby's special on Netflix? Which one? Uh, the new one. I think it's... Uh, uh, no, it's but I really today. want to. So I, I'm not going to spoil anything, but they talk. About, she talks about this one, this incident of like getting dick pics and like they're oh, like... No. Or, or, or something like that about how to men it feels like such an isolated incident and every woman's reaction is like, for fuck's sake, like this shit again <laughs> right yeah. right exactly oh no 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 yeah. sorry i i misspoke she talks about how men are like uh, tell her like you should smile and then right. to them to them it's just like wow what a great service i'm doing telling this woman to smile and women are like please never just- speak to me again <laughs> yes. or my beautiful sons brandon <laughs> and kennedy I don't know how I got adopted by you. We're really going to have to take a second look at that paperwork. <laughs> I am legally, uh, I adopted Brandon last oh, week. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, and legally he is my <laughs> child now. Yeah, I think that, that Matt Gates news really got to her head. And I oh. think I'm, if she ever gets in trouble, then she can just wheel me out. And then, oh. got yeah. you know, Uno reverse. <laughs> I'm already going to be dealing with Rachel Dolezal comparisons, so anything I can do to cushion the blow. That's that's too funny to stay in front of a prestigious person like Zainab. Zainab, like the last time I was here, y'all kept your energy level down a little bit. You know, kept kept your power level slightly concealed. Now you're busting out the fully, the fully... The fully humorified humor. (laughs) Yes, we are very strange. No, I feel like, you know how uh, they say, like, hide your crazy for the first meeting with people? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that this is, like, going on par with what we're taught. This is why you're going to do so well in this primary. Because you've been in the streets and you've been letting the crazy out. (laughs) Now they know you completely. No, I will say it is always a pleasure. You're fabulous. Uh, I don't think we were recording when I said this, but we think you absolutely kick ass. Thank you so much. And likewise, I think y'all are an amazing group of people. And I'm so fortunate to to be able to be on the show twice. Um, So suck it for the rest of the people who didn't make it. I'm (laughs) (laughs) I'm totally kidding.
I am totally kidding. I say this to my team all the time. So we do check-in questions when we do team meetings. And one of the questions that I find to be like the most interesting is like, do you think you're more fun or funny? So I'm like always interested. And my answer was like, I think I'm hilarious. I think it's like such a disservice for people to not hear my sense of humor because I crack myself up. I mean, I too publicly announce how funny I am on a regular basis and I support you. I agree. Thank you. Yeah. Also, I just want to say, I think uh, there have been like kind of a number of funny people that we've gotten to know running for office that like some of them are professional or semi-professional comedians like Lauren Ashcraft and uh, Chris Armitage or like uh, just people who are just funny, you know, and don't do it professionally, but just are funny. (laughs) And, uh, and I think it's good. I think it's something that's sometimes lacking from politics is like any kind of uh, actual sense of humor. And like, uh, it's hard to it's hard to not just want to laugh at certain things sometimes, no, no matter how horrifying they are, right? Can you take any of the problems that we have today seriously without developing like a sense of humor? Because we are going through some of the worst times in modern ages. That's yep. literally where comedy comes from. I, I don't want to. I don't want the quote to be. How do you understand how bad things are without just laughing? Like we're turning into the Joker. But no, you you have to have some way to cope if you take. I mean, stuff. yeah. Like, absolutely, yeah. If you can see the world for what it actually is and how really, truly bad it actually is and how much suffering there actually is, you are staring directly into the the abyss. And it's like, what do you do with that? You're recording an, an ad for opposition because they're going <laughs> to be like, and now she wants us to get Joker-fied. <laughs> but what I'm saying is like, when you are truly confronted with the absurd, people have like two reactions, right? They become terrified or they become delighted. I don't even necessarily see it as that simple, but I would just say like, you can't cry all the time, right? Yeah. Like sometimes I feel very like emotional about the state of the world. Sometimes it Mm -hmm. even happens on this podcast. I have been Mm -hmm. known to get very sad or angry when talking about things on this show. But, you know, at the same time, Zainab, you could tell me how you feel about this. But like, I feel like almost every day I read a headline that I feel like if it was 2016 and I submitted this to The Onion, they'd be like, "Mm, maybe a little too out there. (laughs) I feel the exact same way. And I feel like when it comes to like humor and politics, I think what politics is right now is a bunch of people who take themselves very seriously and don't really take the issues very seriously. Because like, I always like think about politicians who are like, we need to change. I'm just like, do you know that you're the person, right? Like you're it. Like if we as normal people are like, hey, we need to change things. We mean you. Like we mean you are elected representatives who write laws, who propose laws. Like that's like the state that we are in as a nation is like a testament to that. It's just like people are just too concerned about, oh, me and then how I come across. But then like also behind closed doors, not really do a ton to change the state of the world. So, yeah. yeah. And I think that sort of aesthetic is a direct consequence of capitalism, mm-hmm. you know, yep. because they can't really sell themselves on their policies because they have none. So mm-hmm. then it just becomes like, how much of a cult of personality can you put together? Right. Uh, but but I think that go, go, going back to your point about like, if this was like an Onion article, I just like sometimes think like, yes, it, it's just like, sometimes it feels like this is not reality. Like so much of, of our of what we're going through as a nation is just like so out there. Well, I hope that uh, if I do wake up from this horrible reality that whatever reality I wake up into, you're still running for office and we're still making oh, this podcast. Oh, that is the oh sweetest my God. thing. Uh, 
Are you adopting children? <laughs> I'm available. <laughs> that is so kind. But honestly, thank you all so much. I love your show. Thank you for having me. Congratulations on your 100th episode. And I'm just so incredibly grateful to be a part of it. And thank you so much for having me back. And seriously, y'all are just wonderful people. You're so kind to say it. Thank you so much. I agree with all of that. Thank you. Of course. Asher Knuckles, Asher Knuckles, the hero, the man of the hour all across Georgia had uh, one of the most surprising election results. Maybe not most surprising. Well, actually, you're here right now. We can just ask you, how'd the election go? Were you surprised? Uh, yeah, I mean, we did pretty well. Uh, we won day of voting, actually. So it was the melon ballots that got us because lots of terrible reasons. <laughs> yeah, it's when you're that insurgent candidate, people send in those votes early and they don't hear about you until like towards the end because it takes a lot of time and a lot of money to do what you're doing. Yeah, it's a big bummer. But that was like an incredibly close vote, right? Yeah, we were within 12 votes at one point, but we ended up losing by a pretty significant margin once they tallied everything, though. But still, it was very close. Asher, are you thinking of, of getting back on the horse, or is it too soon to even think about that right now? Oh, no, I will definitely run for something again in the future. Here's the main takeaway. I spent $400 to register to get on the ballot, and then I spent 12 on my website because I know how to do all the website stuff on my end for free. But like the actual hosting cost me 12 bucks. So I spent under $500 to get on the ballot and didn't do didn't spend a whole lot more money than that. My opponent spent $50,000 and narrowly won. So it's actually, if you're not running for the big offices, it's pretty affordable and practical that you could win. And I think that it really speaks to the quality of your campaign and of your platform. You know, like you don't have to pay a shitload of money when you just have a good enough platform. That's another massive thing. Like... Just for people that are considering running, like almost nobody has a platform on their website, which I think is insane. It should that should be illegal. I think that's why we did so well. It's because we've always had the police reform thing on the platform, and you know, stuff's going off right now. So I think that was a big boost. But I really think it was the six hours in line. You had that time to research me. You just stand in there on your phone waiting to vote. Like, well, I got Google. I mean, that was the thing, though, like, because I went to in person to vote for myself because I'm not allowed to, like, promote myself while I'm waiting in line. So I just very loudly said that, you know, like, I'm going to research candidates. That was my plan. There you go. <laughs> yeah, that's actually intelligent as hell. I'm going to be informed when I vote and people will be like, can you do that? Is that legal? What I don't get is why the default position of people, though, is not to vote against the incumbent. Uh, familiarity, actually. There's, like, cognitive psych explanations for literally all of it. And if you ever want to talk about it, I totally will. I, I know that you're right, Rachel, but I agree with Asher so much on this point. Like, it baffles me. Like, I, I would always be like, unless my life has fucking transformed since I elected you, I'm voting for the next person. <laughs> yeah, but like, you're a statistical anomaly. Like, when you talk yeah. about the way people actually work, people really will just sort of use whichever heuristic allows them to expend the least amount of energy on their decision. I mean, I guess, but it's just like, I'm not happy with things are. Let's just vote against it. Like, voting, yeah, and, and just... all of this is to say, like, your campaign, like, is incredible. The fact that you did so well against those odds is just, like, mind-blowing. Well, I think that's something to do with, like, our district's actually very diverse. Like, it's a uh, one-third Hispanic, one-third Black, one-third White. Right. But so we ended up doing better than Bernie in the district, too. 
Let's go. That's great. I mean, that means you're not just riding, you know, on like the ideas people have about you, but like, you know, that you're actually reaching the people. And that's what it's all about. You know, that's what we're all about on this show is like trying to get these get these ideas, get voices like yours to reach people. And like your episode was kind of this sleeper hit that like when it came out, it didn't get like a ton of buzz. But like as your campaign started to get more attention, the listens on that episode started to kind of rack up and people were kind of coming to us like, hey, I listened to that episode with Asher. It was really good. And, uh, you know, it was just like we kind of saw this snowball effect moving towards your campaign towards the end. It was very exciting, you know, but it's cool to like have developed this sort of thing online where so many people are able to come together and support one another and stuff like this. I think you could probably speak to like you've probably made some really cool friends over Twitter running for office, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, I think the fav- my favorite person that I've had in whole of so far was Benjamin Dixon. And that's just because he's just going off now. He's just, I've seen his transformation and just full on socialism now. It's pretty good. Love Ben Dick. That's my experience of it, of getting radicalized. It's like I had like a watershed moment and then just became furious for the rest of my life. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Like some people talk about like becoming socialist and it's such a surreal thing to me because I've always just been a socialist. I'm like, that just makes sense. Never a point where I was just like liberalism. That's the one true path. (laughs) I think, you know, uh, that just deeply rooted, just like getting it from the material conditions is really cool, though. It's really rad. And uh, it's really great just to have you stop by and kick it with us for our 100th episode. It's obviously been a wild ride for us to get here. Uh, You were back on like episode like 40 or something. So like, here we are, we did it, you know, and it's like, we're still going strong. And it's just, uh, I don't know, it's just, it's just been, it's been a crazy time. And it's very cool to have you just come by and like sort of celebrate the goodness of what happened with your campaign with us. Oh, yeah. Well, thanks for having me. And hopefully you'll have me back if I don't get redistricted. We are <laughs> back regardless, dude. What do you mean? We, we yeah, got to build that platform. We're, we're all in this together. Well, listen, we all got to get up there. While you and I are in the same district, let's do some shit here. And when they inevitably break us up by redistricting, you know, we'll just be friends from afar. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, for sure. I don't know. We're already pretty badly gerrymandered. So I don't really know what how much worse they can make it. Yeah, and, and you know, the way all that goes, people will be smart enough this time to get in on the ground floor for Team Knuckles. It'll happen. Oh, yeah, I'm going to start earlier, too. Well, we'll definitely be having you back to talk about all of that. Asher, again, thank you so much for stopping by. We appreciate you. All right, thank you so much. Thank you. A celebration of this show and so many of the people that we've just enjoyed the most that we've met through making this show absolutely would not be complete without Yanos Martin. Thank you hey. so much for stopping by. <laughs> absolutely. It's great to be here. It's not a good time unless you're on. We actually, people who have listened to the show know that you've been on a couple times. We also have episodes that are in the can. Like we've talked about like drug war. We've talked about like other issues of the criminal justice system. And we just haven't done the other half. It's always good to have you drop by because it happens kind of regularly, which is rad. I don't know how we lucked into it, but... Yeah, same. You're way too cool for me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is fun. This is like uh, Tupac albums, right? They'll keep coming out long after you've stopped actually talking to me. That's right. That's right. Yeah, six six months from now, we'll have fallen out with Yanos. 
Uh, <laughs> but we'll still be releasing the Janos. We'll, we'll still be releasing the Janos apps. Uh, you know, Janos will be mad at us because of some tweet that we made. Uh, <laughs> Janos will be mayor of New York by then. It'll turn out that Janos is a Cardi B hater and we never knew. Actually, I knew that one was false. I mean, you, you know, you too far. That's too far. <laughs> How are you doing? How are you going? How's, how's life? Oh, man. I mean, I am pretty tired, to be honest. It's been wild up here in New York the last few weeks. Uh, you know, the people down the streets every day. Uh, and we have this showdown with NYPD around, you know, cutting their budget, which is uh, going to be resolved one way or the other in the next 12 days, you know, because that's when our budget is due. So it's it's very exciting that uh, we can take the energy in the streets and make a demand and say, hey, you guys better step up and, and, and meet this moment. Uh, and if they don't, I don't know, it's going to be another level of escalation. I think people are kind of hoping that we're going get some big change out of this and we've got a ticking clock Janos, did you see that video that the cops put out with the kids playing with roman candles they're like there's anarchy in the streets now without our brain did you see that video did that like shock you i was shocked even by nypd standards they're acting really weird these days i have not seen that video uh there was a tweet that the commissioner put out uh about how a woman's been, you know, praying for him, and and it's like it's very out of touch with with New New York. That's usually not how we roll there, and and you know they've also barricaded all of their precincts. So if you walk around New York, the blocks where police precincts are have look like fortresses. So those those guys are uh, acting up right now. I don't know what to say. <laughs> I have been told police morale is at an all time low. To which I say, good, mm -hmm. get a real job. Learn yeah, to code. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so things in New York have been been crazy, but hopeful. You know, I'm I've been really excited. I actually had a uh, I have a weekly program also, and I had uh, one of the Black Lives Matter organizers on last night, and I mean they've just been doing an incredible job keeping the momentum up. So we're all feeling pretty good here. Awesome. What's the name of that? Uh, so we, it's called virtual dinner. Uh, it started during COVID when we realized like we couldn't do in-person events and my campaign manager loves cooking and I don't really know how to cook. So it adds some drama to the show. Cause like I'm on the verge of burning the kitchen down every episode, basically <laughs> have, like, a criminal justice expert from some walk of life on the show. And we make a meal together and talk about their work. It's every Thursday night. And last night we had Donnelly Rodriguez who total badass, uh, organizer from Queens DSA and the tenant rights movement. And he was, he's was he been one of, one of those people you see literally at the front of these protests, keeping things organized, keeping things safe. So we had him oh, on yeah. to talk about that, yeah. One last, one last question. What's up with de Blasio? Is he, is he under physical pressure? Is he being extorted? What's changed his, his tone and his, his whatever since he got elected? Because it feels like he's gone in a totally different direction. You're right. I mean, there is an active debate in New York about whether he always sucked or he sucks more now, you know, in terms of especially vis-a-vis -vis his relationship with NYPD and against protesters. I mean, this is a guy who, you know, was never the most charismatic or the best leader, but if you look at his career through the city council and as public advocate, he was always pretty liberal. I mean, you know, I think I definitely cast a vote for him in some primary or another over the years. I mean, he's, he was a very left legislator and, uh, 
that's how he got elected mayor. He was going to uh, take on stop and frisk and, you know, address the NYPD. And one of the things that happened is, you know, you may remember in the aftermath of the Black Lives Matter, first round of Black Lives Matter protesting, there were two police officers in New York who were shot. And even though the guy, you know, had serious mental illness and he was not obviously a protester, but there was an attempt to correlate the two things. And since de Blasio had shown sympathy for the protesters, the police basically blamed him for the death of two of their members and they famously uh, turned their backs on him in, in unison when he came to the funeral. And so ever since then, he's been desperately trying to get on their good side. And it's been painful to watch because they, they're never going to accept him for it. So right now he's a person who's hated by the police and has betrayed the left. So, you know, that's put him in this, uh, you know, really terrible position. But really, I'm not that sympathetic. A lot of this is his own doing because of the, sure. the choice he's made. Uh, Yanos, you kind of at this point have... You know, as you were mentioning, you've jumped into the pool of independent media yourself. Can you talk a little bit about like what it's like making independent media from your perspective and like sort of like the value that you see in doing that sort of thing? Sure. Uh, I mean, I've always dabbled in that stuff. Uh, so I, I see the value of it. I mean, when you think about, you know, for any organizer who's put on a real life event with, you know, people at a venue, you know that if you can get 25, 30, 40 people in a room to talk about an issue, then that's a real win, you know? And if you think about a podcast oh, yeah. or a blog or, you know, a webinar, you know, you don't have to be the the New York Times or, you know, a big sports podcast or something. Like if you just get people listening, people paying attention, I can see whether it is digitally or in person, I think it's a win. So I've always been in favor of, uh, you know, doing my own events where, you know, like the dinner last night, I think about about 40 people watched on Zoom and about another 100 on Facebook. And that's like, imagine if you had 140 people in a room, you'd be really impressed. Mm -hmm. Right. And right. It's the same, but it's the same thing, right? So so I've always supported um, all, all different types of creative media that get people together uh, in community. Uh, and I like and I like this one, be this particular uh, show, because, you know, y'all are fun and you, you talk about serious issues, but it doesn't feel like cripplingly serious. You know, I mean, right. it's just heavy stuff that we're dealing with. And what I try to, and that's the same thing when I do my dinners, right? We do the dinners in part because, you know, we're talking about the spread of COVID in prison. That's like a really bleak subject. So if we can talk about it, right. While we're cooking together, it takes a little bit of the edge off so people can lean into the conversation. Yeah. Yeah, no, thank you so much for stopping by for our 100th episode. We truly appreciate it. And uh, you know that we're going to be having you back just, you know, as much as we can forever. <laughs> for, for the entirety for the entirety Order. of the rest of human history um you know when we're all gone they'll still be releasing holograms of uh you know not safe for wongs hanging out with yanos martin awesome. <laughs> I, lo I love it keep it coming thank you so much so here we are mariam ahmad here with us in the booth in the studio we bring people on and we're like how's it going give me an update on how your career is going and usually they're like well the primary hasn't happened yet the primary has happened yet it's it's in the books they finished counting the votes yet is it like official no which is crazy oh god just crazy <laughs> i know like it's been the most like um slow slow count and that's not any shade towards the people working because they're actually working. It's really towards those that organize this mess. Right. I stayed up like till two in the morning doing a stream, talking about all of the, the election stuff that was happening. And that night got the vote totals and you were in you were in first place. You were beating a guy that had just finished a run for United States Senate and was the vice chair of the Georgia Democratic Party. <laughs> and was like kicking his ass. For a second it looked 
it looked like you could potentially get above 50%, even have to bother with all this shit. But it, it looks like it, it's changed a little bit and he's like a tiny bit ahead of you. It could change again by the time that they're done voting. Like it's neck and neck now. Yeah, he, it was after I got 44% when it comes to actual election day. So people that actually voted in line and then also early voting. And then when it came to the absentee ballots, 40,000 plus uh, started coming in and that's when the numbers started to change. And yeah, that's where it became, I'm in second place for now. For now, um, but this is excellent as a sign for how you're going to do in the runoff, right? Because it looks like people who made their decision when they got to the booth, your name recognition or whatever is shooting upwards. And so all you got to do is do that one more time. Easy, right? Right, easy, so easy, like the first time. No, but I mean- <laughs> I'm super, like, trust me, I was even very surprised at those results. Very happy, but very, very surprised. Just because, as you all know, I don't have money. <laughs> I don't have the resources. <laughs> so, so I figured, you know, those who have a lot of money and also political clout would be able to, you know, really kind of knock me out there. But I think that this really says a lot. This gives us even more motivation because it's like right on election day where people are making decisions then is when 44% went for me, which means they really are about that change. People want the change. People want their voices to be heard and really have more of a movement instead of just having career politicians again and again. Um, you know, because oh, yeah. we're over this club because in reality, they work for us. We do not work for them. That's done. Absolutely. I, I feel like you could have just been summing up like the entire feelings of why we are making this show every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're so tired of this shit. It's gone yeah. on for so long yeah. and we all have it, whether you live uh, in Atlanta or you live here in New Mexico or you live in any state in this country, whoever you are, you're feeling this right now, I bet, because you know who these entrenched ass politicians are in your town that you can't get rid of, it seems like, that are from these families and shit. Like, you know who these people are and it's time for them to go. Yes. They had their fucking chance, and they did a real shitty job, and that's it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> okay, we had those protests, like, last week or so. Mm -hmm. Has it changed your life routine at all? What have you been doing differently the last week or so? Honestly, it's been... I mean, I don't want to say, oh, it's rough. I mean, it's rough for everybody, but it's rough because usually I would be able to do whatever I wanted to do out here in these streets. Um, but now I cannot, I must be locked away. So that's the yeah. only, you know, not only, but that has definitely been like really rough because even though, well, maybe I shouldn't say too much. <laughs> uh, no, no, I, I, listen, we know, I'll we say know what you're saying. No, yeah. yeah, you have you have to be a general now and not just a soldier. To <laughs> yeah, but I really, uh, you know, when you have been a so a soldier, and I consider myself still still a soldier. Um, it is just a little difficult. You can still do things from away, but you know, when you can't really help all of your comrades in that way, it's a little difficult. Changes when you can no longer afford to get arrested. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, because it's not even about you anymore. It's about everybody. Yeah. 
that's very well said. Hey, uh, speaking of of the law handling problems, uh, were you did you see about that uh, monument that went down uh, last night? Yeah, so I actually know some of the organizers that have been working on that for a really long time. And finally, and they didn't even know that last night they had the uh, county had decided to go in and take it down. Finally, after a lot of pushing from these activists um, and there was a lot of back and forth, back and forth. And then finally, last night, they took down this Confederate monument in Decatur Square, which was great. And so I went there this morning um, because there was a press conference. And actually, I wanted to see that that bitch gone and it was gone. (laughs) I know some organizers that were working on that as well, and they were pleasantly surprised too. Oh yeah, oh yeah, definitely. For sure, for sure. Uh, so when we talk about like the people's voice and organizing, is there anything in particular that like comes to your mind in terms of like things that have been going on and like the ways in which independent media has been able to sort of like shine light in a way that like the mainstream media has consistently failed us? For sure, um, just like y'all. You know, like, thank y'all so much for actually putting truth out there. Of course, you understand how important, but like, really, it's so, so important because the entire narrative gets taken over by all these fucking libs. What? (laughs) (laughs) All of you, exactly, gets taken over. No comment, but yeah. (laughs) Honestly, it's because I wouldn't be able to just say it anymore. And I want to be able to just say it. So I am glad that you, Mariam, are are taking that bullet for me and the rest of the community. (laughs) It's the weirdest thing that's happened to you personally since you started running. Has anybody called you and been like, "You, you shouldn't do this. This will cause great damage to your career or something, something like that. No, literally 90% of people are telling me you can't do it. And you got the 10% that are. And you have to face yourself and be like, what is the reason I'm doing If you're doing this for the right reasons and really just have to have so much faith in yourself. And to be honest with you, I didn't have so much before running, quite honest. But after, you know, having to face so many people telling you that you ain't shit. And also, like, you're, you know, that's cute, little girl. You're trying to run. But, you know, really having to be like, I know for a fact that I am here for the right reasons. And I'm here to create some real change. I'm here to stand up for my ancestors, you know, like, my family history is kind of crazy, too. So, you know, humanity is very important to me. Sorry, I just went off. (laughs) No, I think that is awesome and greatly appreciated that you know you really are willing to step up to the plate and take the abuses that come from being so visible and from actually you know putting your head up where people might want to try and knock you back down and like I know it's really fucking hard and so like I'm half joking when I say thank you for taking that bullet but like really actually like thank you for being willing to get up and represent us. I really appreciate that a lot. And thank y'all so much for even supporting me. And I really just have to say, this really proves people that tell you you can't do something, don't listen to them. Like, no matter if it looks like an entire army, like you're alone and there's an army that's coming at you, fuck that, it doesn't matter. If it's something that you're doing for real because you know that it's right, that you want to do, do it. And don't listen to any sort of negativity. Anything is possible. Yes! Yes, yes. So, yeah, Mariam Ahmad, thank you for coming on our show. You'll be back. That is my promise to everyone involved here, the listeners, and to you, and to everybody. Uh, Episode 100, rolling on. We'll see y'all soon. Uh, Let's do it. Karishma, 
one of my favorite all-time guests coming back by for episode 100. How's it been? How have you been holding up? I mean, you're an educator. Are, are schools even open right now? They're all closed, right? Yeah, schools in my area. Uh, I live in Northern Virginia. D.C. and Virginia schools have been uh, closed. I'm not really seeing any signs of reopening for a while. Uh, I work in early childhood education, so that's a whole another level of messed up when it comes to this situation. The parents of my students in particular are pretty much going crazy at home. But, you know, our first priority has always been to make sure we're reopening in a safe way as much as possible for like zero to five year old kids. So it's been pretty chaotic. You know, a lot of the students and teachers have also been on the streets here protesting police violence. And it's been a good time for everything to be closed, you know, for people to be out there and and fighting for for justice. Has your state done a good job with the coronavirus for a passable job? How's it been going? I mean, so oh, Governor Northam, he's just a shitty governor. I don't, I don't really, I just, we've just all learned to, <laughs> we've all learned to tune him out. I guess it's been good that he hasn't reopened everything all of a sudden, like some states. But, you know, Virginia's not without its problems. We have our fair share of people who just refuse to wear masks for some, for some reason. <laughs> Yeah, I am down in Georgia in kind of the like upper middle class suburbs and dear God, these people. It's just like wear a mask. Like it's really not that much it's, But ask. it's like a, it's a principal thing for them. You know, it's like they can't do the thing because then they're capitulating to the libs. And it's like the only thing they ever fucking think about in any capacity is how their behavior is making us mad. It's great. Yeah, I have no idea when wearing a mask became so incredibly bipartisan and political. So it's just... It's great. Yeah. Uh, On the subject of, like, problems and hopefully trying to fix them, it's the primary where you are today. Yes. Are there any races in particular you're, like, crazy stoked about? Oh, come on. You already know the answer to that. Our girl (laughs) Zainab Mosini, she's running in Virginia's 11th congressional district. We love to the core. Yes. Really good friend. Really good person going up against the worst of the worst. I don't know where it'll appear in this episode, but Zainab uh, recorded with us for the 100th episode. She's absolutely incredible. And yeah, so I don't blame you for being excited about that one because like we're also rooting for her for sure. Yeah, it's uh, it's been, you know, Virginia is one of those places. It's just like it's shitty for workers. It's shit. It's shitty like all around. And when you can get someone like Zainab running for office, you're just like, holy shit, like run with it. Like get this girl in office, you know, like, yeah, she really is stellar. What do you kind of think of the current situation like on the ground where you are in terms of like we're all in this like weird sort of tenuous political state right now where like a lot of things in 2020 haven't gone as planned. And then a lot of things have happened that were so unpredictable, no one could have planned for them. Do you feel like there's a lot of energy uh, circulating around progressivism? And kind of what does that look like where you are right now? Yeah, I think, you know, when we talk about raising 
class consciousness and political consciousness and awareness. I think this year and, and like the last five years that have been really transformative when it comes to how people think about politics. It's not really just like this fringe, you know, uh, like think about it, you know, when it is like during right. the presidential election, it's really kind of people are focusing on what affects them in their neighborhoods and, and who are the people that can help create those changes at a local level. So, I mean, we just had our first uh, like Democratic Socialist elected to the D.C. Council at large. Hell yes. Yes. Janice, uh, Janice George, I believe. And, uh, you know, she ran a, a, an a incredible campaign, uh, you know, grassroots and, and the progressive policies that we really want to be fighting for. So, I, yeah, I really think there's, uh, you know, people aren't just sitting back anymore. You're seeing that when it comes to the protests. You're also seeing it when it comes to the ballot box. So I love your optimism that at the end of a year where Bernie Sanders got like brutally screwed over, uh, we've got movement for black lives. We've got all these state executions going on. We got the virus and people are losing their homes. Well, it's been a great year for class consciousness. <laughs> 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 Brandon, that's like the only thing that's keeping me going. Just let me have it. You are not wrong. What have you been doing with your your time? How have you have you been organizing? Because I know your Twitter feed has been like all uh, M4BL stuff, and you've had very good tweets as you always do. So have you been had? Have you had free time to like do anything in the streets? Uh, yeah, um, you know, with some of this time off that I've had, uh, you know, I've been getting out there. Uh, DC has been particularly violent. Um, I'm kind of in between. So, you know, I've been going down to Richmond a few times uh, with some of our, uh, like other organizers. I've also been uh, at Lafayette Park. I've been in front of the White House. You know, it's been pretty contentious. Uh, it started off with a lot of heat, with a lot of violence, uh, not from protesters. It's really the military, the National Guard, Metropolitan Police Department, you know, Mayor Bowser's police are just kind of out of control. It, it's still pretty strong here, that energy. It, it's been, I think, two weeks now, or maybe two and a half weeks. And I don't really see signs of it going anywhere. Uh, if anything, it's uh, really encouraged people to, to keep getting out there. So for me, I think it's balancing being out there in person and also knowing what else I can be doing, you know, from home to help with this process. I've been as an abolitionist, uh, someone who's learning. Uh, oh, yeah. I think the eight to abolition movement, the eight to abolition campaign uh, has really helped me uh, solidify, you know, what areas of abolition I'd be most useful uh, fighting for right now in this moment. That is such important work. Um, and it's it's so central to really the entire progressive movement right now. And I think it's been so hard to balance that. You know, we have this like really intense revolutionary energy. We have these protests that have been going on for weeks, you know, and we also have this fucking plague in the background, you know? And so I feel like in a lot of ways, I mean, this was sort of true before then, but even more so now, it's like the, the public marketplace now is social media. And I don't know, you know, it's, it's very cool to have you with us and thank you for being with us. And thank you for always like retweeting us and stuff. <laughs> no, thank you guys. I, you know, it, it, this movement, you know, it takes everybody, everybody doing what they can in their lane and everyone has their own skills that they're bringing towards our struggle for justice. So, you know, we need each other, I think. And it's been really great to have you guys as allies. Well, it's just reassuring sometimes because sometimes 
you're in situations where, you know, maybe it's at work or in some aspect of your life, you just have no political allies. And that can be really draining and alienating. And, you know, uh, being able to like come together with so many people on social media that have like the same kinds of ideas and interests and we're able to talk and learn from them and things like that. It's just so important. And especially right now is so important. I mean, like, it's also important to go outside and do... other things besides be on the internet but uh but when that's less of an option especially like it's just been incredible to have like such a a great community of people on twitter that are like really doing stuff that matters and like it's just i think it's critical that we all support each other in every way that we can and you know that we've always got your back absolutely and i you know i think one of the bigger challenges that you know this movement has faced from the very beginning you know it is high profile people sort of co-opting the message and manipulating it to fit their own agenda. I mean, this movement is very clear in its demands to defund police departments across our country, you know, towards a, a system of abolition, a society where abolition is, you know, prevalent. And, and still, you know, there's people that say, oh, no, you don't really mean defund the police. They mean like reform the police or they mean like you know, sometimes change them on Saturdays. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, reimagine. That's another one. Uh, give you a holiday. <laughs> They're going to have like a Black Lives Matter sale at Walmart. They do, they'll do everything except like do something. And I think, you know, I think the bigger message is defunding is a critical component of abolition. Right. It's not just an end all be all of, you know, defund and then we're good to go. No, it's it's the beginnings of reimagining society and prioritizing the things that that we need to actually function humanely. Karishma Mehta, it's always great to see you. Always great to hear from you. We, I know you're always busy. You got to you got to stop in more. We got to hang out more often because this is great. I agree. I will definitely have to do this more often. Thank you so much for coming by for episode 100. This has been just like a really, a a real pleasure for us to meet so many wonderful people such as yourself doing this. And Karishma, you are truly one of the best. That's right. It's always a pleasure to be with you guys. Stay awesome. Stay funny. (laughs) I'm looking forward to our next conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. It was so great to, you know, digitally meet you. We're going to, we're hanging up now. Oh, okay. Mitch, how's it going? It's been a little while since you've been on the show. We're at episode like 100. We thought I'd go through our goats, the greatest of all time. Let's bring them back and let's see how they're doing. Oh, Paige, the board has nominated you as just literally one of the guests that we had the most fun hanging out with. We just wanted to see how you've been doing since the election. How long did it take for you to become like a normal human being again? You tired? Well, well, first of all, I've never been a normal human being. That's a mood. (laughs) But yeah, it's um, it feels really good to not be a politician anymore. I can tweet anything I want. That's right. Yeah, what's the deal with this NBA player that's been sending you the dick pics? I do oh, need to God. know this story. Or in the NFL, excuse me. Got to be accurate. Yeah, so I um, I just matched with this guy on Tinder. He's I'll keep his identity secret, but he's a pretty well known NFL player. And I was just I was dumbfounded. This man could not function. He couldn't have a conversation without sending me a picture of his dick. Like literally every single message. Like not like not even like 
flirting, just like. The show will know my history with Tinder. Uh, and all I will say about this is, yeah, that sounds like Tinder. And also, honestly, it sounds like powerful men. Like, I don't know why they think that their penises are, like, important somehow, but eh. It was weird. So it was so weird. I would I was trying to have a conversation with him, and he wouldn't even, like, answer my questions or respond to me. He would just send me dick pics and then go, go res- like, I could barely even have a conversation with him, but. Yeah, that tracks. Imagine that gif of the girl just getting slammed with, like, a whole pack of hot dogs. That is what <laughs> Tinder is like, yes. Yeah. Well, anyway, I, I don't want to make you talk endlessly about your experiences on the worst website of all. How are things going beyond that? How are you? You know, how are you feeling after the, you know, election? Do you want to like- Have you abandoned electoralism for direct action, labor yes. and organizing and mutual aid? Are you are you on the train now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, completely. And I mean, I, I said this from the beginning that my electoral campaign and no electoral campaign is going to fix the problems in this country and dismantle the deep rooted power systems in this country. Mm-hmm. You know, my campaign was just- a part of the movement that's going to do that in a very small part. My campaign was there to support the movement that extends far beyond the ballot box. So we were able to uplift a lot of issues that otherwise wouldn't have been in the discourse of a regular state house race in Oregon. And for that, I think our campaign was successful. We definitely were trying to win. We thought we were going to win. We were pulling 11 points up before coronavirus hit. But unfortunately, a whole combination of factors just came together to create the perfect storm that took us from 11 points up to losing by 30 points in just three months. Oh, I'm sorry. That had to be really hard to stomach. Paige, are you going to go back to that? Or are you have you thrown that in the bin and you're organizing in other way, ways now? Yeah, I've, I've thrown that in the bin. I mean, there's nothing to go back to at this point, especially here in Portland. So it, and I'm not saying that electoralism as a whole needs to be thrown into the bin by the left, but at least here in Portland, there's no real path forward for progressives or socialists in this city. And for it's, it's for a number of reasons. First and foremost, Oregon has the most corporate campaign spending in our elections per capita of any state in the country. And the answer to this problem is less corporate money because elections ultimately cost, you know, the more voters, the more expensive an election is. And here in Oregon, where we have 70, 75% voter turnout, plus unlimited corporate campaign spending, no limits on corporate campaign contributions. We have state house races that cost hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it makes it much more difficult for progressives to win. Because for example, in my state house race, we had 21,000 people vote in my state house race. That's more than a lot of US House congressional districts races and a lot of other states. So to run a, a state house race in Oregon takes the same amount of resources to run a US House race in a lot of other states. So that's that's the first barrier. But the second barrier here in Portland is that the electorate is shifting to the right. So just doing data analysis of the returns from the last election compared to the last two or three election cycles, we're shifting more and more towards the right in the way that our electorate is voting. And it just doesn't look good for progressives. In maybe two, four, six years, Republicans are going to start being competitive in Multnomah County, Portland districts that they haven't spent any money or run candidates in in decades. So when the writing's on the wall like that, what what can you do as a progressive? Because we're not going to stop fighting. What can you do as a socialist? We're not going to stop fighting. You know, there's still people suffering and dying from the power structures in this country. And I think we've just reached the limits of electoralism because Ultimately, if you're an oppressed person who wants to be liberated from capitalism or white supremacy or cis-heteropatriarchy or whatever it is, to do it through the electoral system, you need the permission of the people who uphold that system. You need 50% plus one of people to agree with you. And here in Portland, I, I don't think we're ever going to have that majority of people who want to dismantle the, the system. These are strong takes. 
So obviously I love hearing this because it, you know, validates the things that I get yelled at for saying on Twitter on a regular basis. But I think it's important when we talk about electoralism being a dead end, right? What do we do instead? And what are the things that you plan on doing instead as you move forward? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't have to be a dead end. It's just what we've come up against here is that the majority of people, at least in this city and really in this country, in most places, simply prefer the status quo, don't want to see people liberated. So what what do we do from there is we we move to, like you said, direct action, things that disrupt these systems, because ultimately, we're not asking permission for basic civil rights. We're not asking permission for the police to stop killing people in our communities. We're not asking permission to have basic human dignity or health care or how housing. We're going to get it one way or the other. And if you're not willing to give it to us through the electoral system that you created, then we're going to have to escalate to more direct tactics of disrupting these systems, That, especially with the economy. You know, we just saw ports getting shut down um, across the West Coast. That's a Which is incredible. That's amazing. And like, you don't see it anywhere in the news. Like, they're completely like, just burying it. But it's unbelievable. Like, the things you can get done if you shut down the ports on an entire seaboard, like, mind-blowing. Yeah, it's amazing. I'm so excited about it, as you can tell. And it just demonstrates that we we really have the power in our hands to achieve our own goals. I mean, we, we the workers, the working class people of this country, we're the ones who move all commodities through the capitalist economy. We're the ones who mm-hmm. drive the trucks. We're the ones who unload the ships on the docks. We're the ones who work the counters in the grocery stores. If we have demands that we're unified, then we can shut down these systems and we can gain more wins and victories and concessions and transform the system in just a matter of days or weeks than we could have done through the electoral system in years and decades. I emphatically agree with you. Um, and my my pet project that I will pitch one more time, as I always do to Brandon's, you know, eternal amusement, perhaps chagrin. When I say, you know, direct action, tenant labor organizing, mutual aid, like I think we need to create our own conditions, independent institutions from capitalism. We need to be feeding ourselves. We need to be housing ourselves. We need doctors. You know, we need nurses. We need teachers. We need lawyers. We need everybody to just come together, create these institutions independently and liberate ourselves because no one's coming to save us. Yeah, yeah, of course. It's it's up to us. There's no saviors for us. There's no president that's going to fix this country. When Bernie went down, everyone was saying, okay, well, who's the next person? Are we going to run AOC in four years? Are we going to, you know- Now four years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's not that these people don't want to dismantle these systems of oppression, but the the systems themselves are not compatible with doing that in that way. You know, if, if AOC becomes president in four to eight years, she's not going to be able to accomplish all all the things that that we want to see accomplished through that electoral yeah. system with the courts the way they are with Congress. There's just no way. There's no president yeah. that's going to fix this country. What are your What do you do when you're not organizing? Are you a books person? Are you an outdoors person? What What's your deal? What do you do when you're just hanging? Do you know out? any organizing? who have lives outside of organizing, Brandon? No, I don't, but uh, <laughs> I'm trying to find the chosen one right now. Paige, can you be okay, the chosen Paige, one? Okay, and fulfilling life outside of organizing? Um, you know, I used to not have a life. When I was running for office, I definitely didn't have a life, but now I have a lot more time. And, and you know, I'm nowadays after running for office, I'm I'm not doing very serious organizing right now. I mean, these protests we see in Portland, they're run by Portland's black community and the black community organizers. And I'm I'm just here to support that. So I'm not I'm not in charge of any decision making or doing any serious organizing. I'm just going out to protest every night. Um so I have I have I have free time and yeah, I don't know what I do with it. I I think I just get high and play video games nowadays. <laughs> This is, you should literally join the podcast. <laughs> we get high, play video games, we play Animal Crossing, and then we come on here and we rant about how things are not good. <laughs> 
yeah, it's bizarre. I, I've I've have free time now, and I don't know what to do with it. And I can't go outside because we're still in a pandemic. So pandemic Yay. is horrific. Paige, thank you for coming on. Now that you have free time, like come back on. We do streams all the time. Yeah. We record podcasts. We you're one of our favorite guests. Just come back whenever you feel like it. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy to anytime. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. Hell yeah, episode 100. Paige, it's always a pleasure. Yeah, this has been great. Thank you. So we've gotten a lot of wisdom over the last uh, 100 episodes, the last year. So let's let's call on the wisdom. Let's call and on I, the wisdom I, of people. I just want to say that's not to like toot our own horns as much as just to say, man, we really didn't know what we were doing. We're dumb we as hell. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> We were just some people on a Discord just like, hey, you want to start a podcast? Yeah, sounds cool. Okay, let's do it. We were like we were like the degenerates. We were just putting it together in the community, making content. So if we could go back in time, and Rachel, you have to go back in time to our quick meeting where we were running around eating all of your pepperoni and mozzarella sticks. Um, <laughs> we had craft services. Yeah. Yes, I remember that. What would you tell yourself if you could go back in time? If you could turn back time. Honest to God. Yeah. Uh, shut the fuck up and do what Brandon says. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. I, I'm honored that you feel that way. No, I feel like... Um, you clearly had a better understanding of how to like make this work than I did. And I didn't like know you or know your vision of it well enough at first to like understand like how you were doing it. We've got to have a day long executive retreat and go to the aquarium. We got to do some trust dolphins. falls. Yeah. I got to do some trust falls. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. But yeah, no, that's, that's definitely, it would have just been to shut the fuck up and do what you say when it comes to like any kind of marketing or like how to use technology towards these goals uh probably my my number one i probably we probably would have started doing interviews from episode one like it turns out that politicians really have no standards at all like we tried to spend like a few episodes just getting our feet under us but i feel like we probably could have gotten some guests like right out the jump like if you remember kennedy one of the big i mean we were talking about interviews really early on but we were just too nervous to do it because we didn't feel like the show was existed enough to even like have anything to show anybody but like we really could have just gotten people on because they're all so desperate for anybody to talk to them these politicians Especially the, like the more fringy kind of like i'm running for state house as a progressive oh, in yeah. nebraska type people like we could have gotten people like that oh, with yeah. no cloud at all because a lot of those people they're just interested in any attention first of all and second of all they also get it you know what i mean like they're yeah. also like like i'm hey i'm a little fish too i understand like let's be little fish together and see if we can't uh have a beneficial relationship with each other which was like something we found with a lot of the people that we started involving ourselves with is like you know they were interested in having like a you know a mutually beneficial relationship with us that like helped us to grow the show because they yeah. were like they we were trying to get you know up to you know marianne or ilhan omar or whatever and they're trying to get up to like the young turks so it's like all right we can just get here and we can show that we are capable of answering questions and being compelling we can be capable of asking questions and being compelling and we just kind of work together like that well and i think some of our best guests have been like kind of smaller elections you know yeah. um 
I mean, we have a lot of really amazing guests who are like going for like national politics, but some of our like state and local guests are incredibly funny and fun to talk to. And like, oh, let's just, just say her name. She's in the episode. Nancy Larson, you're amazing. Yeah, Nancy. One of the best <laughs> yeah. ever had. Nancy's amazing. Uh, I think Zainab is also uh, state, right? No, she was running for federal Congress. Okay, okay. Yeah. Well, that's just me being wrong then. We'll cut that part. Zainab's amazing. Save me. We, um, Zainab is amazing, though. Rachel, we actually will not cut out anything. Where I know. I know. You're going to make me just, like, eat my shit on camera. It's fine. Yep. John, John, we're mad at you. You've stolen our co-host. Um, Kennedy is, like, leading the way on our show. This is like a star, our star player getting drafted to go to the New York Yankees. Uh, <laughs> when all... <laughs> Oh, yeah. Kennedy was like, oh, I'm going to be doing something or, something or other at the Hill of Roses. We were like, no, what's happening here? <laughs> and, you know, being a Yankees fan, I take that as a high compliment being called. Oh, God. Yeah. Let me tell you, as, a, as an Atlanta Braves fan, it's not a compliment. Um. <laughs> It was one of those funny things where John had posted this thing and I messaged him about it. And I was like, I don't know if I have time to really seriously. And then John was like, no, no, it's not it. We're, you know, we're, we're working with everybody just to have like a big platform of people and it's not a huge commitment and it's really flexible. And I was like, oh, this is cool. And like when I got behind the scenes and started seeing what Hill of Roses was doing, like even deeper, I mean, we've always respected you guys, obviously, but like, I'm just like, damn, I really like seeing other shows with like the just, go get attitude you know because like we've worked so hard and it's nice to see that other people are like you know putting that effort in and like you know just to see our friends like getting to do so many cool things too no frankly that's the hook we love selling people on it's not that much effort it, it's a volunteer network <laughs> but together we get stuff done it's been really cool and you know what it, it just happened to be that at the same time you know kennedy reached out i had another individual who wanted to be joining the network at the same time who frankly wanted to focus on a similar topic that you know we didn't have a big local politics presence we had a lot of like federal politics focused individuals and two people at the same time wanting to do local politics i'm like okay it's time let's let's make a little bit of a transition here let's go to local too well, it's really fun. And, you know, it's just always great to hang out with you because, like I said, you know, you're, you just have a lot of similar interests, obviously, in terms of like the content that you make, the people that you bring on, all that stuff. It's always easy to just jump over there and watch your stuff because half the time you're interviewing somebody I already like. <laughs> Yeah, we try to do that. I mean, the, the central tenet of how I try to recruit candidates is who wants to talk to people you hate? Like, frankly, I think there's too much <laughs> negativity already in media. And I always wanted to make a media platform that's positive, that's focused on movement building. And that means all the candidates that I had endorsed, I actively recruited trying to platform. You would talk to Matt Gates if you had a chance, right? <laughs> oh, that's island. That's <laughs> Uh, yeah, I would take the challenge. I'd see how it goes. I really do like focusing on having a little bit more of a positive experience. And that doesn't mean like, oh, here's an easy interview. I'm going to agree with you on everything. I, I do challenge right. people. But like, you know what? I want to make people look good at the end of the day. For him, right. I'd be like, do I want to make Matt Gates look good? <laughs> 
Yeah. yeah. We can relate really strongly. We we kind of agreed yeah, early oh, yeah, on when we were like thinking about what some of the limits would be for the content on this show or sort of like the, the, the boundaries that like we probably wouldn't bring someone on the show just to dunk on them. So we kind of have these conversations yeah. internally sometimes about certain people that like, would we bring this guy on the show just to like yell at him and tell him he's a bad person? Like, you know, and it's like, no. Like, I actually think it would be really funny if I brought them on, not even to dunk on them, but just like a high intro to the show, say something, click. 10 second video compared to my long ones. <laughs> Just proving that they showed up. Yeah. I feel like that's such a delicate balance we have to maintain too, you know, because we don't want to be cloying. You know, we don't want to like just be these like sycophants who are like whispering in the ears of the people we bring on, you know, our show. But also, like you said, like we have to challenge them. We have to really interrogate their ideas and try and get an honest representation of what they believe. And like part of that is sort of this agreement we have with the listener that we are going to be providing our honest opinions. Yeah. And that that can be a risk. You know, sometimes like you might end up saying something that is really, truly a deeply held belief. and They just fundamentally disagree with you. And it's like, OK, well, we got to find a way to make this pretty for like the show or at the very least we got to find a way to like get onto the next topic so we can just cut this entire section yeah that's so true like you know it's kind of two things that end up being the central challenges that i usually give to candidates like we are not just like a media organization we're also going to be like organizing for specific causes and so that kind of requires us to ask certain questions of policy that we like and so we gotta get their opinion on it and not always do they like that policy necessarily so then we have to kind of flesh that out and then the second area is you know we talk strategy because i think that's equally as important as policy when you're talking to candidates because frankly i think the progressive movement has done really well on like nailing policy a lot of the times but i actually think we do a shit job at politics a lot and so i have to like challenge people of how how do you actually get it done how do you move, like build up this movement in general like you can't just say this is a right okay what does a right look like how is it actually enforced and so i think right, that ends right. up being the majority of how we do our challenges with candidates yeah, when you, you can't just say we need to organize. You have to actually have a plan to organize. Exactly. Yeah. And and look, part of step one in any big political project is just building a consensus. So, yeah, it's not always as thrilling for somebody to say, like, healthcare, human rights. But that is something. Like, you're building a wall of people that support that idea. Listen, you've had a lot of guests on the show just kind of in the same way we have. Who are three or four of your absolute all-time favorite guests that really fired you up as you were interviewing? Of the people that we've had on, I would say... Some of my favorite guests are probably uh, Heidi Briones. She ended up joining the Hill of Roses too. She was my favorite right. candidate this cycle, and I just I love her to death. So Heidi was one that I really loved. Barrington Martin, again, another cool individual. Another fun fact: he's also joining the Hill of Roses. He joined today, uh, and then. Wow. Furthermore, David Kim is the final one I'd say is my favorite interview as well. He was a really just, his energy is just off the charts. Like, I love his policy, but the dude exudes passion. Uh, so, you know, he's not someone I'm going to be stealing, though, because I want him to win his election in the fall. So uh, if, he, if he ends up falling short, though, I'm going to be on the phone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we've definitely had guests like that, too, where it's like, on the one hand, I want you to win. And on the other hand, I hope you don't because you won't be able to give us interviews anymore. <laughs> To be clear, I want them to win. Yeah. yeah, same, same. Don't worry, they will keep they will keep coming once they get elected. That's the real dream. That is the real dream. I remember, I remember what I was gonna say. This wasn't a question; it was just a, a note. Uh, Barrington Martin, who is 
my district uh, was running for my rep. We used to have a joke amongst ourselves in this podcast that I would primary John Lewis. Mm. And it was just, and this was before his medical incident. And it was just yeah. like, ha, 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 kind of funny. But Barrington Martin did it and it got an impressive number. I think yeah. got like 17 or 18% against John Lewis. Yeah. And that was also ballot access shenanigans too. Oh, I bet. Right. I know what I know. I know what it's like here. So yeah, um, that was incredibly impressive. Getting somebody who ha- is just universally admired in town. Yeah, and he's gonna run again. I knew that for a fact. Barrington's told me he's gonna oh, run yeah. again. He should. Shout out! Shout out to him. Yeah. Well, John, thank you so much for stopping by to just celebrate a little with us for the hundredth ep. You know, it's a pleasure to talk to you always. It's a pleasure to work with you on various projects. And like, uh, you know, when we think of like shows that are out there that are really like doing it the same way that we are and like really like speaking to like similar kinds of interests and passions, like your show is always near the top of that list of like, you know, Hill of Roses. That's some good shit. (laughs) Oh, I appreciate that so much. Thank you guys for having me on and congratulations on the 100th episode. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, John. You're very, very welcome. Yeah, I really hate to break this to you guys, but we are the more Southern podcast if it comes down to it. So y'all better find a new no. shtick like right now. Yeah, there's more of us than you. You certainly are. I mean, I am a I am a dirty West Coaster, California, born and bred and probably will <laughs> die here too. It's like I... Producer, can you play some boo sound effects right as they start? <laughs> I am proudly Californian. I Although I'm honorably Texan. My dad's from San Antonio. Is that helping your case there? <laughs> I mean, listen, I get that, like I feel that way about Ohio, but also mm-hmm. not. Nah. I'm gonna say San Antonio Hard has nah. the law of Jersanguis, right? Or Jusanguis. You know, I'm Is that a vampire law or a human law? No, it's a human law. You know, you're 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 <laughs> because you're part of the bloodline. Okay. I, oh, okay. I thought we were just making sure not to violate the masquerade or something. No, 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 no. No, but yeah, I, I totally agree. You all are definitely a more Southern Chapo because um Zach doesn't believe all of the South is the South. He believes only parts of the South are the I South. I don't believe in the Mason Dixon. <laughs> it's true, anymore. actually. It's a little true. If we're talking about like open borders and like, you know, spaces being defined by their cultures and not by the arbitrary lines that we drew when we were. Yeah, their cultures, like their their type of barbecue. Their type of barbecue. If you don't have a right. type of barbecue, you're not a southern state. That's maybe one of the better definitions I've heard. Thank you. Zach, <laughs> would you then call Hawaii part of the South? Because Hawaii has a very like big barbecue culture. Oh, shit. <laughs> no, island is its own thing. Like that's its own thing. But if you if you don't have your own unique barbecue style based on like a bunch of really highly specific nuances that people who are not into barbecue don't give a fuck about, then you are not actually a southern state. And this works because Florida is not a southern state. And I've been I, saying this forever. This is, oh my God. No, yes. Is, um... <laughs> Are you saying Missouri is a Southern state? Yes. Wow. I mean, objectively, yeah. yeah. It's right next to Oklahoma and Arkansas. What is not like, like you think that the populations haven't intermingled there? Here's the thing. I don't give a shit because I live in California. Everything outside of this is like the fucking boondocks to me. So it's, it's it all mad. Southern, I don't know. California people. Yeah, it's just, you know, there's California, there's New York, and then it's just rednecks all the way down. Well, like Chicago. Here be dragons spray painted across the entire continental U.S. Uh, one little Chicago logo with a Bears logo. <laughs> That's literally it. <laughs>
pretty much i also like i'm too poor to ever actually like travel so i really don't know anything about anything other than like california <laughs> we certainly have good competition from people like uh trillbillies and that's appalachia and so that's the trillbillies you know, are awesome and yeah. they keep saying they're going to come on our podcast and i'm calling them out on podcast <laughs> i'm on our podcast trillbillies <laughs> You don't know whether they're going to show up for for later in the hundredth episode, though. So you've got to keep it to the bed. Mystery. They have a well, slot. Yeah, we will we, find we out. Have, we keep for them. We keep the slot for them. Mm-hmm. Anytime they want to show up, they can show up. We've got some trillbilly themed underwear. When it's like trillbilly <laughs> night, we just hop in them. It just yeah. hasn't happened yet. You're just ready to just get that trillbilly branded clothing like That's directly correct. on your body. You gotta get the Trill Billy Brandon underwear. It's got Masonic symbols that keep you safe from evil oh, spirits. Yeah. It has a page of gossip about some random woman that ran into Tanya, except it's in small text and it just goes across your butt. Also, makes you really good at fucking. Correct. Can't confirm. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Just, like, you, you're just really good. We're supposed to be talking about how great our show is, or alternatively, your show, and instead yeah, we're just we're dragging on the trailblaze. <laughs> oh, it's because our show isn't good. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm flattered by everyone who's like, oh, you make like a really great podcast. And I'm like, uh, thanks. I don't have you listened? <laughs> the only thing that is like, that is that I think is notable out of the content that we make that you should maybe recommend to other people is the videos that Dennis puts out because those actually require like research and writing a script. Right. And- <laughs> Learning stuff? Yeah, what? you learn things. That's good. Right. Um, you know, supposed to be as ignorant as possible. I do my best to keep the academic language to a minimum or at least try to explain what it means because I don't want to be one of those uh, Twitter leftists who are saying things like, you know, I discourage you from reading Marx. It's like, uh. Ah, yes, the Jacobin leftists. Yeah, Twitter leftists in big old quotes. (laughs) I mean, we say this, but also we love Lyda Gold uh, a whole lot. She is a friend of the pod, actually. She rules. And she certainly has this bad opinion, so... I have a lot of bad opinions. Everybody I know and and that I like has bad opinions. Yeah. I think if there's a, a difference between like the sort of like leftists that we ultimately really, really can't get along with and like the leftists like everybody here gathered in this recording booth right now, it's that uh, uh, we're just a little more laid back about each other's fucking bullshit. Like we just don't care as much. Yeah, like I, I didn't uh, totally agree with all of your Star Trek uh, opinions, but that's fine because everyone has a different favorite Star Trek. Uh, which opinions did you disagree with? Because you could get the fuck out. I'm just kidding. Um- <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck just happened? I will say honestly, I would love to talk Star Trek with y'all. Oh, goodness. Like we're already, we've been talking about making it into a series. Like unironically, that is a thing we're going to be doing. So we should actually do that. I I definitely need to catch up. Uh, like I've I've only ever fully watched Voyager and most of Next Generation. I still haven't watched Deep Space Nine yet, and I I really really don't want to continue watching any of Enterprise. You got to watch Deep Space Nine. That's theory, right? <laughs> Right, Deep Space Nine. Everyone keeps telling me, but I, I gotta, I gotta block out some time for it. I'm, I'm busy writing and in, uh, just despair. So that's a fucking mood. It's a really good show that's similar to Star Trek that you should watch. Brandon, no, <laughs> no, Brandon. Let's move along. Let's move right along. Um, I, I think something cool that I've heard Tom and Awful say is that there's kind of a second wave of, of dirtbag, um, podcasts which I am going to step out and say that, you know, we're a part of that second wave. Like this. Yeah. Um, the ones who are also like decent people. 
Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> we're we're we we're not just here to to you know yell yeah, for and no, we're like the tears the... and the rejects. Like yeah. we're the we're the uncool ones who figured out how to be cool later on. Well, like, yeah, yeah. I wasn't cool until recently. <laughs> <laughs> I was born in coolness. And yeah, I'm just speak for yourself. I was literally always cool every moment of my life. Yeah. You've been making like in a change of, of strategy from the Psychic Dolphin Network, been trying to make quality content that people engage with and care about. Right. Um, how is that strategic transformation done for the brand? Are y'all still working? Is it still ramping up? Have you seen benefits from it? Justify your salary. <laughs> I mean, none of us have degrees and we can all look yeah. at statistics, but we're all just like scratching our asses, like looking at numbers going, huh? Well, maybe that did something. I can't really tell, though. Yeah, the thing is like YouTube, it's it's a it's a completely different minefield than podcasting. It doesn't like it takes forever for anything to become popular on YouTube unless you already have a following. Prior to joining Psychic Dolphin Garage, I was doing my own stuff and now all of a sudden, like a year later, I finally have over a thousand views on a on two videos. I have almost two thousand views on two videos, which is like the most views I've ever had, but they're very, very polarizing. But I don't know if like we've never necessarily gotten like more legitimacy by having me on because I am like an academic, but you know, the, the podcast itself is, it's a lot of fun because I'm not just the, that academic. Like I, I did comedy for a long while. I was acting and doing comedic sketches and stand up for quite a long time before I actually finished my degree. And, you know, it was like, you know, I, I think I want to like help people learn this stuff because it's it's kind of hard to get access to it. So I don't know if it's made us more legitimate, but it's definitely a lot more fun. Well, that's something that counts. It's hard to say that we're having any effect on the billions of people that could possibly absorb any of our content. But as long as there are people that still, you know, Whenever the Facebook page shares something, they're like, hey, you know, loved y'all since the orb posting days. You know, that's kind of all that we really get right now. Like, it's mm -hmm. it's fun. It feels good to produce it. And it feels like it's not a complete waste of time to, you know, be running a bunch of social media pages and yeah. streaming. Yeah. And... Also, Zach and I are both millionaires now because of the show. Oh, well, of course, that part. Yeah. I, I heard that Zach is on track to become the world's first trillionaire. Yeah. Yeah. I heard that. By 2024. Gonna, gonna beat death. Yeah. Something called pod stonks. I don't know how all that works. I'm not a smart man. It's a, it's pod crypto. Oh, I should have known. <laughs> when did y'all, when did y'all start? When did, when did y'all do y'all's first episode? Uh, the podcast first episode was, I want to say May of 2019. Sure. So we, we passed our one year anniversary recently and obviously yeah. we haven't done nearly as many episodes as, as y'all do. So hey, but uh, we're, we're coming up on our one year anniversary as well. So we're, we're kind of coming up in the game at the same time. If you count like the Patreon and now our Friday feature, I'm pretty sure we're like close to 100. I'm, yeah, I'm sure we, we've done well, plus like little bonus episodes. We're on we're on 59 right now. So we've done maybe about 100, but it's like. But nothing in the canon, like the canon itself. Right. Is, yeah, the canon itself is we're, we're about to hit 60. Once right. we hit 69 episodes, you know, who knows what will happen after oh, that. Uh. <laughs> you know, we also do a lot of non-canon stuff over on the Patreon so we can relate to that. Uh, we have a show actually that y'all should come do with us called Lots of Guys Have Pod Guys These Days. 
we review brand new podcasts that just released their first episode the day that we feel like recording the episode. Oh no. Wow. That is um that is an impressive format, I must yeah. say. I'm just thinking about it like, oh no. <laughs> an impressive commitment to suffering. Yes, it is. <laughs> thinking about our first episode and like wondering how we have people in the Discord that are like, yeah, I listened to your first episode. I thought y'all were amazing. It's like, God, I'm sorry. I am so, so sorry. <laughs> Literally, our editor is one of those people. Like, we didn't recruit them immediately. And like they were someone that listened to our very first episode of the show and they were like, yes, I love this. And we're like, why? <laughs> you can wait like 10 more episodes, I promise. That is still my reaction anytime anybody says that they're my fan, actually. It's like it's incomprehensible to me why anyone would take my opinion seriously. Oh, 100%. I wholly feel that way. <laughs> I have to squeeze this in for the sake of the listeners. Lots of guys has podcasts is a thing that starts for patrons only and then unlocks after two weeks. So uh, if y'all, anybody listening wants to go check that out, uh, go over to patreon.com slash not safe and you can listen to some of the episodes of that show. It's super fun. And y'all should definitely come record uh, one of those with us. And uh, we definitely got to shove off some of this banter because like this has already run on too long. But Zach, Dennis, thank you so much for stopping by for our 100th episode. It is so cool to have made it this far. And it's really great to have made friends like y'all along the way. Of course, of course. It's really just uh, the atmosphere in the booth is is amazing. Y'all are amazing. And uh, and we appreciate the work that you guys do as well. Uh, you know, building leftist communities online. Yeah, it's wonderful. And in real life. Yeah, well, mm -hmm. And in real life. Some, some yeah. of us sometimes. Some of us. Kind and generous of you to say. Thank you. Thank y'all. Thank you. Chris Richards. Chris Richards, Eclectic Radical on Twitter, does so much stuff on YouTube with Niall by himself. As a journalist, you do everything. Is there anything online that you do not participate in? Um, well, let's see. I do a little bit of journalism. I do some, I do stuff with Niall. I want to try to do more stuff on my own and with other people. You know, Chris, we're here in our hundredth episode. We think of people that like have helped us along the way. It would be just criminal if we didn't acknowledge your fire Twitter game. And the, the fact that you have just put us consistently on blast putting this out there like hey this is some good shit and we appreciate that so much man you guys have good content <laughs> it is so meaningful that you believe in us that way you know you've been doing this longer than i have remember. it's meaningful that you guys believe in me oh well you have been a poster longer than us and as a poster <laughs> like people may not know this but you're like the epicenter of, of bernie twitter in a lot of ways i mean you are in every dm group you're retweeting everybody you're talking to everybody i feel like once we got to know you it's like we got to know a hundred people at once it was very rare. well i go out of my way to try to network people together i'm really happy right now because jesse jet awkward and mr tony tig are all working on a song together and i introduced jesse and awkward <laughs> that's cool that rules that's gonna be dope yeah. yeah i just love the way that like you know we've created this independent media community over twitter and over discord and over these different platforms that is like now it's like it's connecting all these people together like it's really uh has been wonderful you know i agree i love independent media people i love being able to interact with smart people who have good ideas and who know things i don't and who want to learn things that, that i know that they don't 
what are the most satisfying interactions you've had on social media or otherwise since you have started getting in the Patreon world and posting and all that other stuff, whether it's a friend or somebody that you've dumped on, either one? As far as most satisfying, I have to say our show with Lauren Ashcraft is the one everybody should watch if they want to see us the first time and they want to learn about a really great progressive candidate they probably don't know about. Straight up, no lie, no exaggeration at all. I send the Lauren Ashcraft episode of our show to friends of mine if they've never listened to it and they're like, oh, I want to check out your podcast. That's in the top five episodes that I send people. Easy. Yep. Yep. Lauren's coming on right after you. That's awesome. So it's gonna it's gonna be rad. We're gonna chop it up too. Yeah. If if she doesn't win, she and I are doing a comedy show together at some. Heck yeah. <laughs> Lauren is literally like this is one of the most amazing. I'm so glad that when you when Brandon asked you who's one of your favorite people, when you started saying Lauren Ashcraft, I was just like, oh yeah. <laughs> hey, listen, listen. I don't I don't want to spend your time talking about Lauren because Lauren's got her own time. <laughs> And we can, she can hear all this for herself. I actually had a transition, uh, which was, uh, I wanted to say, you know, when you talk about being funny, you like us, uh, you mix comedy and serious subjects pretty freely with your political stuff. You know, you, you have a similar attitude to sort of like uh, just laughing freely at the absurdity of the sort of laughing situation. Laughing through the apocalypse. Yourselves in. Um, <laughs> One of the people I follow on Twitter on and off once reminded me that Lenin and Trotsky once spent a whole year in their newspaper of just making fun of Washington Post headlines. That's... I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yes, it's just awesome. (laughs) This is the stuff that we bring Chris around for. These kind of facts right here. It really feeds into my theory, actually, that, like, everybody who does any kind of, like, leftist or political philosophy is at some level a shit poster. Like, you can't get to the point where you see the system the way we do without also having your brain just break and you become incomprehensible. You just get, you pick up a copy of the New York Times and you start Joker laughing. Right? (laughs) Well, I had a moment like that today. I was in a thread where a New York, the New York local politician, Michael something, I can't remember his last name, (laughs) was mad because Lauren went into a housing project and took video and said she really wanted to improve the the New York City Housing Authority and thought it needed better funding. And he accused her of aimlessly taking video. No, no, she had very good aim there. (laughs) And then he came out, I said something to to Shauna Morlock, who I was trolling him with, and uh, and he came back at me with, well, you don't even live in New York City. I don't live in New York City, but I care about the people in public housing in New York City. You're in New York City government and you don't give a fuck. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Hey, so Chris, what are your plans? For the rest of 2020, 2021, what are you going to do to grow your yourself or your reach or all that stuff? What, what are you doing? Well, I have to plug my show here. Mm-hmm. Saturday night, we're going to have Angela Walker on, Green Party vice presidential candidate. Let's go. And let's be honest, Angela Walker should be the Green Party's presidential candidate. And by the time that the listeners hear this, uh, that interview with you and Angela will be up. So they can go yeah, right go now and that. go hear it. Political hack and slash. Yeah. Chris Richards and Niall Elkham. Go find that because it's... Uh, on, on the Niall Elkham versus the World channel on YouTube. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to talk just a little bit more about like mixing politics and comedy. Do you have any kind of like ultimate sort of philosophy or response, uh, how you approach that subject or like how you would sort of explain to somebody who's kind of like, how can you joke about these things? I don't know. I've never had anybody really ask me, how can you joke about that? Of course, you have to remember, this is the U.S. We have some really black humor. Um, yeah, Chris Rock, Dave Chappelle, Richard <laughs> got a lot of <laughs> It's true. And thank you for the call out. Uh, but no, we have some very, let's put it another way, we have some very gallows humor. Yeah. We do, though, you know, and it's it's this kind of humor that develops because everyone is sort of collectively processing this massive generational trauma that just keeps happening. So let's talk about that generational because people talk about generational all the time lately, boomers versus millennials, this, that and the other. So one of the most fundamental things that people have to understand is history is repeating itself right now. In the last however many years, our politicians have taken us back in time. And 2020 is very similar to 1920 or 1890. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. It is not the first time we've been here. Yeah. We don't have enough time for this. We need to have an episode about it and just go on and like <laughs> debate it. But yeah, no, but for, for comedy and, and, and politics, I hate to say it, but I mean, if people can handle Bill Maher, they can handle me because at least I'm not racist. Damn. I love that. That's the first. That's the so first. On that note. <laughs> Chris, thank you so much for stopping by. It's a pleasure as always. And you know that we'll be we'll be hanging out with you again soon. Thanks. It's been a pleasure being here, guys. Kennedy, Brandon, Rachel, it's been great. And Rachel, it's been great to actually talk for the first time as opposed I know. to just in text. Wow. I was just thinking about that, actually. <laughs> I enjoyed it very much. Thanks, guys. And happy 100th. Thank you. <laughs> Ashcraft. We were a little guilty. We didn't want to like ab you uh, because like literally the New York primary was this week. <laughs> uh, like it was our hundredth episode. And I feel like we interviewed like half of the progressive slate in New York. So we just sat here and we sweated for a while, but you actually got to us before the primary and you were like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, uh, it, it's been a very long road and now I'm just kind of recovering afterwards, but I'm really happy to come on and talk with some, some of my old friends <laughs> from uh, podcasting during campaigning. <laughs> yes, your very best friends. <laughs> You're apparently playing Animal Crossing now, which we like because Animal Crossing is like the official game of this show now. Yes. Okay, but this is very important. What feelings, if any, do you have about Tom Nook? Oh, I think he's a slumlord. And I actually, <laughs> am I allowed to swear on this? Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know how you can like post billboard messages? After he told me that I owed him like $95,000 or whatever, I went to the billboard and just wrote, Tom Nook is a dick. <laughs> so sweet that you think the word dick is a cuss thank you i thought you were gonna be tom nook fucking capitalist scumbag yeah (laughs) right also accurate also accurate (laughs) maybe slumlord was the cuss yeah yeah that's true i do all this work for him on his island and then he charges me money so capitalism that that is capitalism that sounds like 
your typical shitty landlord to me, you know, you're constantly fixing up the property. And then what, what's going to happen one day, Tom Nook's just going to roll in Hey, your lease is through. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's how it works. And then we're going to have an animal crossing strike to cancel animal crossing rent. <laughs> I'm into it. I'm into Where's it. Rin? Rin is our producer and Rin, I'm surprised, has been completely silent through this. Rin has an I Animal Crossing dedicated account. And it's oh, just um, I mean, I just said I wasn't going to talk during this, but if you want me to talk about Animal uh, Crossing, I will. <laughs> <laughs> done, like radical animal crossing photoshops while you've been running for office oh yes <laughs> yeah i make wow. animal crossing marxist memes about how we should like take down the establishment but i use like the text bubbles from when my animal crossing characters talk it's very cute actually oh my gosh that sounds brilliant i'm such a supporter of this <laughs> yeah i think there's plenty of room in the revolution for tweet you know, like, let's do a twee socialist revolution. <laughs> I love it. And and uh, memes are amazing for revolution because it's a combination of creativity and also taking down the establishment. So I like it. I very much like this. Lauren, have you made any decision over whether you're going to do anything in 2022? And do you know what you're going to do in the meantime? Oh, um, well, what I'm going to do in the meantime is I do have to find some, uh, some sort of paying job <laughs> sometime soon because, um, I, I actually worked Thanks, in my campaign. Awesome. Yeah, exactly. I worked up until the end of March and lost my job in the middle of COVID-19. So, uh, it was actually kind of good for me personally, because then I just like concentrated 100% on the campaign, but rent is still due, unfortunately, because it's not canceled. So um, yeah, I, I do have to find some sort of income now because I am a real person. <laughs> but 2022 is definitely not off the table. I think I mean, we're definitely feeling a lot of excitement from the team about it who just is encouraged by the results. And we've been told by so many people that, you know, this is the first time you're talking about the issues that I faced in in this primary. And this is the first time that I've felt seen or heard. And those people aren't going away and neither are the problems that they're facing. So I mean, 2022 is definitely not off the table. But in between now and then, I definitely have to survive. Well, you know, you're definitely welcome to come and, and do stuff with us at any time. Oh, that's awesome. The Patreon is, is not ringing to a ladder that would pay rent in New York City yet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, definitely just come by and be a correspondent. Do something once a month. It's all good. Your schedule. Oh, I would love to. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> also, I um one of my favorite podcasts that I ever was on was yours, and I love that the end game is it cringe. <laughs> we have we've only done is it cringe a couple of times since having you on, but we'll bring it back. Do whatever. Oh my gosh! Yeah. We're also doing a daily stream. I don't want to spend your time plugging stuff that everybody knows we're doing. <laughs> but, yeah. It's like you've been in a dark cave and you're coming out to like join us in the real world. That's exactly what's happening right now. <laughs> you guys are just witnessing it firsthand. It's in real time. <laughs> I'm like, what is this? What is this world out here? I've been behind the computer and like uh, dropping literature on people's doors for a very long time. It's almost like, you know, if you're in a cave and behind you is the bright glow of a computer monitor, and you're looking on the wall, and the wall is the shadow of a human life, right? <laughs> <laughs>
That's so accurate. I think you just described my entire life right now. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, to be fair, that's Plato. But, like, it doesn't matter. We can pre- It was all me. I was not making literary allusions at all. I came up with this all by myself. Listen, this all of recorded history has been men stealing the work of women and getting credit. It's good that for once we are flipping the script. Plato, you're finished. Don't worry. Yeah. I don't even know who that is. Over with. This is how we do reparations for the pay gap. <laughs> That's correct. Correct. I love it. Just reattribute Plato to Rachel. Seventy-three <laughs> percent of Plato's work will now be reattributed. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh, also, congrats on one hundred episodes! Woo! I have no idea how we did it. We have other shows that started at the same time as us, and they're on like episode thirty. Uh, we just work way too hard, and it worked out somehow. People like us. I love that. No, but that's the whole thing is like, whenever you're passionate about your work, it just kind of flies by. We are, are we passionate, Kennedy? I don't know, how do you feel? (laughs) I'm tired. Yeah. We're all we're all tired. Episode 100 is going to be has been amazing so far. Uh, and also it has taken a lot of work to get all of these interviews done to get all these incredible guests, you know, jam packed in. But no, I we're trying so hard not to laugh at us. <laughs> about our goddamn podcast <laughs> like i just ran for congress let me tell you about tire oh no it's fine real talk i actually i would say that like we we do do this because we're passionate and it has been really worth it overall and one of the things that continually makes it worth it is just the opportunity to hang out with cool people like you lauren ashcraft thank you for stopping by for the 100th episode celebration we really appreciate you Oh, thank you for having me. I'm really honored and look forward to many, many more conversations to come. (laughs) People with money, uh, hire Lauren to be your your representative class trader. Lots of money. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And also donate to these wonderful people for their awesome podcast. That's right. Patreon.com slash not safe. Potentially a percentage of that will just go to Lauren if we make enough. Like a finder's fee. That's right. Thank you. (laughs) I'm just kidding. No, keep spreading the good word. And I look forward to listening. So we are here with my best friend in the universe and future co-host, Corey Altrabald. And I I say this because right before we started recording, I was pitching Corey on doing like a regular Star Trek centric bit or like series or something where we talk about, you know, gay space communism, which might actually be a good name for it. Uh, Corey, hello. How are you? Hello. I'm, I am feeling good. I'll tell you what, and it has been a hell of a week in the brand new Congress world. So I'm excited to be here. I believe you. Yeah, love love hanging out with you folks, and I'm happy to be here to help you celebrate your 100th episode. That's amazing. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time because obviously, like, a lot of huge primaries have been going on. And, like, huge not just in the sense of, like, important, but also huge in the sense of, like, the New York. There was just so many brand new Congress people running in New York, weren't there? Yep, exactly. Exactly, yeah. So it was a big, big week for us. Um, it was actually about a quarter of our slate was on the was on the ballot uh, on Tuesday. 
And the interesting thing about what's going on in New York specifically is that, well, and, and this is also true in Kentucky, that because of the absentee ballot situation, you know, we're used to getting the results in most of these races the same night, and that's not happening um, in this case. And, and while a lot of the races have already been called because the press has already decided, like, these challengers don't count, there are a number of them that are still sufficiently up in the air because of the high number of, of absentee ballots cast. Um, but that does mean that we have to wait longer for the results. So, <laughs> um, Corey, were there any big victories in particular in the last week with brand new Congress that you feel really proud of that you want to talk about? Yes, absolutely. Well, so of course I, I, I cannot go without mentioning our um, our one incumbent, Ms. Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, who. Uh, resoundingly defeated, like absolutely trounced, stomped might be the better word for it, her very corporate opponent in her primary. The establishment, uh, you know, corporate power structures attempt to try and muscle uh, her out of that seat. They they thought, right. well, we'll just find another Latina woman, you know, with a hyphenated name. Really, these are interchangeable. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> like, like, like maybe I think I can't remember who it was, but I saw somebody on Twitter and said like, oh, so maybe voters just wanted to, you know, to support a Latina. So we'll just give her give them a Latina that's, you know, looks like Biden and Reagan. And, you know, and then they'll surely go for that. <laughs> literally had Sima Hernandez on the show and she literally said, like, I got 25 percent in my primary. And they were like, we got to find another Latina. There was no policy discussion at all. So I just really want to say what really makes this trouncing so wonderful is the amount of money oh, that yeah. the DNC poured into this, that the corporate democratic establishment yeah. just like threw, like just vomited as much money at this race as they possibly could. And it wasn't enough. Yeah, my favorite part was the fact that her opponent had to lend herself a million dollars at the end of her campaign to try and, and beat her and, you know, just flush that money right down the toilet. It was beautiful. Also have to mention, you know, Jamal Bowman, who has uh, mm -hmm. run just such an extraordinary campaign. And, you know, it was really touch and go for a long time there because Jamal has been running a strong campaign from the beginning. His campaign, his team has been working really hard. But I, I have to say a special thank you to Hillary Clinton, because I really believe that it was her endorsement of Elliot Engel that helped knock that first domino down that ultimately led to Elliot Engel's defeat in that primary. And that's the reason why we're going to have Jamal Bowman in Congress. Do yeah. you mean to tell me people don't love Hillary Clinton? I, this will be news to Hillary. <laughs> I actually had a slightly different take on that. I thought Engel had already kind of stuck his foot in it. And it was kind oh, of yeah. like when, 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 you know, a comedian is accused of sexual assault and all of the other assaulty comedians like suddenly come out of the woodwork like, hey, hey, hey. Like that's how, it, that's how it felt <laughs> when Hillary came to Engel's aid. Like, hey, fake progressives deserve love too. <laughs> you know, just like... <laughs> You know, and we have, of course, we had a lot of other candidates in New York, and there's actually two races that are we're still keeping a watch out on. We're waiting on results to come in from the uh, the absentee ballot count. Lindsay Boylan, you know, it's she's a good ways behind, so she's right now. 
Yeah, she's going to have to uh, like bring in a huge amount of, of the absentee ballots, but there's still like tens of thousands of absentee ballots to count in her race. And also Melanie Dargo, like she's in a similar situation, lots of absentee ballots left to count. So those two races are still very much up for grabs. All of our other candidates in New York, like, like listen, it was a tough tough situation. A lot of them were in crowded races. All of them were completely hamstrung because their districts were in the absolute epicenter of the coronavirus outbreak in New York City. So they were just totally ground to a halt. And, you know, but sure. what I'm, I'm so proud of them is that they, you know, they got out there, they did the thing that's so hard. It is so hard to run for office and especially to do it as an insurgent outsider without those traditional party structures supporting you. So I'm just incredibly proud of all all the work that they've done. And I yeah. know that all of our candidates, you know, w- whether they win or, or lose their primaries, they remain leaders in the movement. And, um, and they're, they're going to, some of them are going to run again. Some of them are going to go on to help other candidates and some of them are going to go on to do different things. And I'm just incredibly proud of all of them. But I, I got to say the thing that we are just like biting our nails, pacing back and forth and on pins and needles right now is Kentucky. Like this, what is going on with Charles Booker right now is so freaking exciting. And, you know, we've got people on the ground in Kentucky. You guys should talk to Zaina Day. She's our our communications director. She's based in Kentucky. Um, She's a Kentucky native. And she's the one who told us, you know, months and months ago, like, listen, we got to get behind Charles Booker. We talked to him. We're like, absolutely. We're all in. We endorsed him months ago. We've been Right. Yeah, we've been supporting his his campaign and, you know, trying to help him fundraise, funneling volunteers their way, um, you know, a lot of different things, you know, trying to help support their campaign. And and just the way that it's taken off in the last month has been extraordinary. I was actually about to say, like, you know that progressive campaigns are going well when the incumbent leadership goes to those kinds of extraordinary lengths to suppress the vote, right? Yes, for sure. Yeah, when we were talking about this, it's like have a whole bunch of salmon and they're trying to get to the ocean and all of the salmon don't make it. You get enough that it perpetuates the new generation. Exactly. That's kind of what we're doing here, except with the added bonus of like, none of the salmon are being eaten by bears or anything. We just (laughs) talked to Lauren Ashcraft like three minutes ago. She's totally fine. The bears didn't get to her. Also, I just want to say, like, if you take at least 15% in your race, uh, you're pretty well positioned to run again and win. And, you know, like, because that represents like a a significant building of, you know, support and organizational power that when you take that to the next race, like you're going to blow up a lot of the time. And so I think, you know, when you look at a lot of the the BNC slate, a lot of the people that y'all backed did take like a large enough percentage that it's like, if any of them want to run again, I mean, I think they're looking hot, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, that that's what I mean about talking about how our candidates, no matter what happens in their race, they continue to be leaders in the movement. And what we're what we're investing in in Brand New Congress is that we're really working hard to build these networks of support and build these relationships to foster the generation of leaders that are going to ultimately transform politics in America. You can't pin all your hopes on a single election or a single candidate. Like you're every time we run a campaign, we're building knowledge and gaining experience that we take into the next fight. Absolutely. Yeah, we're we're very grateful to you and the entire team over there for all the work y'all have done, uh, not literally just on endorsements, but in connecting these candidates in really interesting and novel ways. If not for y'all, a lot of these local movements might have stayed local movements, but now they have a significant national following, which is rad. So thanks a lot. 
And, you know, I, I yell a lot about my misgivings about an electoral strategy. Uh, and I always talk about, like, we need to be building independent institutions. And I will say two things about Brand New Congress. One, y'all are building an independent institution. And two, I really look forward to y'all convincing me that I'm wrong here. Because I believe if anybody's going to do it, it's y'all. You know, you're oh. doing really good work. I really appreciate all the work that you are doing. And I am really grateful that, you know, there are people out there who are really approaching this in such an organized way. Well, thank you so much. And I'm, I'm so appreciative of the work that you guys are doing in terms of like elevating these candidates and giving them a platform to be able to talk through the policies and the ideas that they're fighting for. We all have a role to play in the movement and there's no one entity that can can do it all. Um, and so it's really important that, you know, everybody stakes out their their space and um, and does the work that they can do. And it's a labor of love to be able to, uh, to do the work that we're doing. It, there's so much to it. There's so much that gets invested it's really, really hard work. It's thankless. It's often invisible. Um, but, you know, we really just, uh, we love being able to to bring these folks together. And um, and, and we all have our eye on that long-term vision of, of being able to get enough people in the Congress to start making real change. Archibald, thank you very much for coming by. Charlie, Charlie, Charlie. Hi. Charlie Winters in the house. We were just talking about like the pains of organizing. We're just dealing with the the hoops of bureaucracy can be so frustrating. And I think, you know, but that's kind of true of like a lot of the, the monolithic systems around us, right? Is like everything is behind another door, you know? Oh, yeah. The only reason I had any fucking fun playing War World of Warcraft is I actually had some fucking progress there. Unlike fucking real life, where every single thing you have to do to get through school or a job or anything is just some miserable fetch quest where you kiss your boss's ass. And we were we were being frustrated about that structure reappearing within organizing. And that is not not good. You were talking about that you had a goal that you were at least thinking about doing, having a slate that was like a statewide slate on a radical platform that was specific to your state. Yeah, so one of the most successful things that happened during my campaign is being able to like work with people to create the Rose Caucus to do a nationwide slate of candidates under one platform. I want to reproduce that in the state because that worked. Like that we had so much success organizing together a group of people who all wanted to, to basically be disruptive people within our legislature. We got together, we shared resources. I didn't know anything about running for office and now I know so fucking much. Like if we can do this at a state level to get anywhere from 50 to 100 to how however many people across this state running for every single available seat so that there is an option for people in every single ballot every single time. Because by sharing those resources, that's the number one reason a lot of groups look at us and go like, oh, I, I'd love to support your campaign, but we got to pick the thing that's going to guarantee we win. Because like when you're running campaigns these days, you have to be a sure thing before you can get people to jump on the bandwagon, which basically means organizing a secondary activist structure just papered entirely on top of basically nothing before before you can then link that structure into all the existing ones because it's austerity brain. People are thinking, oh, well, we don't have the resources to help your campaign, so you gotta be able to fucking guarantee us a win. Whereas my opinion is, let's just get 100 people together, you can slap your name on everyone and get as many as we can in. Because then you can you can share resources. You can really win that way. I, I believe in that, and I'd like to see a bit of what we did with the Rose Caucus reproduced here in Colorado across the state. And that's gonna be one of my goals for the next year and a half.
I think it's really cool. I think that there's a lot of potential in things like that. You know, a lot of these uh, races at the local level, you have incumbents that have just run unopposed sometimes for like 30 years, like literally no opposition or like just a meaningless opposition. And, you know, if you actually like show up to these races with like a competent candidate with like a support structure behind them, they haven't faced a challenger in so long, like they don't know what to do. And it's like the Elliot Engel situation, yeah. right? Where like, you've forgotten how to run for office and so like you're out there trying to like kind of get your mojo back and you just like put your foot right in your mouth you know on a hot mic and reveal that like you don't want to do this uh which is the problem like these people don't give a shit you know yeah like and and like with the opponent that i ran against i mean unfortunately i didn't make the ballot she's unopposed now so cool i mean she might have a republican opponent but in our fucking blue district that doesn't mean anything but like literally my opponent basically like backroom dealed her other opponent that wasn't me out of the race she was just like i don't want to have to run right. a campaign you should just go and because the other person is just a political insider who's like oh i'll wait my turn like she left and that was it. Right. And so like, that's the kind of power we're trying to work with here. But like, I, I understand that like structurally candidates in the media and their supporters have like billions of dollars to just throw at candidates. But if you can get a hundred people running banded together to say, fuck this, they're not going to know where to allocate the resources. They're not going to know how to fight. They're going to do that thing like they did with that one where they just send like the, the like Marx and Lenin poster with their face photoshopped into it to everyone. And everyone's just going to be like, oh, this fucking rocks. Okay. They're going to mess it up you are the winner of, of the best logo of the 2020 cycle oh some thank close you. competition from uh john hickenlooper <laughs> i know that's odd company you never want to be in but there you go colorado turning out the graphic well, design. i i'm just wondering when you talk about campaign sharing resources what are those resources okay i mean first thing is like i'm gonna start off with the ted talky stuff we have to share knowledge first like for real though <laughs> we have to know how to run for office and literally shit like like i did all of this myself for six months i taught myself how to like file the paperwork and, and i still failed at it i think there's some shit i still have to catch up on but like we have to know how to like do that stuff um secondarily is money it sucks to have to fundraise because almost all politics is fundraising at this point even our elected officials spend something like two-thirds of their time even while elected in office just sitting in rooms making phone calls to donors to prepare for the next election because if we have someone running for every office then you're basically looking at like okay so you want to pay someone twenty dollars an hour to signature canvas but what it comes down to is like okay that person gets the money you need twenty dollars an hour to be like a decent person and pay them uh they need to go through neighborhoods uh, i'd like to be able to give them five clipboards so that you're paying one person twenty dollars an hour to get a signature for five candidates instead of one because right now these campaigns aren't sharing infrastructure things like that one person can do 10 times as much work without having to actually do any extra amount of work that saves us money that saves them labor and then they probably feel a lot better about what they're doing also also if somebody's gonna like support your campaign right like they would probably be willing to sign off on five or ten campaigns that were all committed to the same kind of platform and like yeah. just doing that all at once makes a lot of sense when you talk about like you know just trying to get an advantage over the people who kind of have sort of everything in the capitalist sense right like uh you know things like this make a difference things also make a difference is stuff like just the way that we're able to communicate now that people are like you know kind of not on just like the mainstream like media way of doing things all the time you know like a lot of people they only get their news through like twitter or podcasts or something and so those people are not swayed by your 10 million dollar tv ad you know what i mean and so like you know this alternative 
infrastructure that we're all kind of building together, it's like it's allowing a lot of things to kind of take place on a large scale. And I think that's really cool. Uh, and uh, I don't know, we hope to continue to be a part of that with our show as we continue past the 100th episode. That's for sure. That's right. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Like the reason I got traction was because of podcasts and other shows. Like people would hear me on your show or see me on Twitter and then they literally just get in contact with me. And because I'm a very approachable person, like generally people get at me, I get back to them and then they're like, oh, the candidate themselves will just like meet me at a coffee shop. I'm like, yes, I need help. We all need help. <laughs> like, let's do it. Please. You want to do it. And it's, it's about making those human connections. And like one of those people gets on my news through Twitter and podcasts because I just I follow either journalists directly to get it straight from them because I know that once it goes through their editor, you know, the number of people you have in proximity to you who are either themselves capitalists or are beholden to capital just absolutely destroys your ability to do anything honest or good. When it comes to human connections through these mediums, meeting you and getting to hang out with you has definitely been a human connection that we've enjoyed very much. Charlie, thank you so much for stopping by for our 100th episode celebration. We really appreciate you. Yeah, thank you. Episode 100, you know, we had to do it in the biggest possible way. We got Paperboy Prince on the show. And Kennedy, I've told you this privately. I think Paperboy owed a platform that connects to how the average person lives their life and like their experiences and their struggles more than not just any congressional candidate, but literally any candidate, including Bernie Sanders, Andrew Yang, Elizabeth Warren. Like put the way that they talk about like modern life to the side and stack it up against what Paperboy has been saying during his run for Congress. And uh, yeah, it was 100% real shit and very visionary. It was very good to have you back on the show, episode 100. How you doing? How you holding up? <laughs> Paper, yeah, it's our time. I'm so thankful to be back on the show. And I'm super thankful for your intro saying that our campaign was not only visionary, but, you know, spoke for the people and represented the people in a more authentic way than many of the most popular mainstream politicians today. That's super important to me. And, you know, that's what we wanted to highlight, that if you're a mechanic and you have, you know, some oil on your clothes because you just got done working on a Honda, if you're a mom and you have some throw up on your shoulder because you were just feeding your baby, you should still be able to represent for your community, for your neighborhood, and your voice still matters and your opinion still matters because that's what democracy is about. So uh, I'm super glad that, you know, that message was clear when, when we spoke before and that, you know, people are starting to change their mind about how they feel their representation should look like and, and sound like these days. I mean, let's face it, there are plenty of people that run for office and barely, you know, scratch the surface the first time they run. They take like a percent, two percent. You took 20 percent against your oppo opponent. And that is no small feat, considering uh, you were running against someone who is not seen as like you weren't running against one of like the villains of Congress. You know what I mean? Like someone that's just like universally disliked by the people. Uh, you were running against somebody that a lot of people kind of think is okay, you know, maybe not so bad. And you were still able to position yourself as like an alternative to that, that people saw and, and that spoke to a lot of people. Taking 20% in an election like that is honestly incredible. So I, we were really excited for what you were able to accomplish. And I just want to say personally, uh, as a fellow non-binary person, I never thought that I would see like a non-binary person like reaching this close to Congress this soon in my lifetime necessarily. And it's just like, it's just really cool to see what you were able to do with this run. And like, I feel like there's a lot of momentum around you now. 
Thank you. I, I really appreciate that. And, you know, the 20% number that we've got is kind of even fools you a little bit because there's over 50,000 absentee ballot votes that haven't been counted yet. And what that says to those 50,000 people who have submitted their absentee is that, you know, your vote doesn't matter. You know, we don't really care about your vote, even though those are enough votes to actually change the complete outcome of the election. Right. So for me, it's super important that we, um, you know, wait on those results. And when that 20 percent gets closer to 50, 51 percent, and then we're talking about, you know, what our congressional office is going to look like. Right. Because I'm uh, the type of person that has the optimism for the people that, hey, there's still 50,000 votes out there. What, That's right. what, what type of faith would I have if I'm already giving up and there's enough votes out there to change the election? Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? We've seen that they've done some sketchy things. I mean, you guys obviously all know who ALC is, right? Of course. Uh, of course, everyone does. How in the world does our election, mind you now, AOC's congressional district is just a short walk away from mine, right? But your podcast was one of the few places that actually covered our election, right? Sure. So her election, however, her race got coverage from every single political media organization under the sun and then 10 times over, right? They had multiple debates. She was on the cover of Time magazine. How in the world does the Paperboy election with very little coverage, and I want to thank you all so much for having you on my podcast, on your podcast, because that's that was a great exposure for us, but wish you could have done more. I wish we could have done it like every other week, man. It was it was great. Well, we're, we're going to do that soon. But how in the world does our election get more votes than AOC's? And everybody knows AOC's. Not only more votes already, we've gotten over 6,000 more votes than the AOC election. And, you know, Michelle Crusoe Cabrera, she raised uh, $2 million, right? And if you ask the average person, even in our district, who Velasquez is, they don't even know. So it, it was just very interesting to see that our election got so many, you know, got so many votes. So it was great to me that we were able to up voter turnout, but there was some things that were just confusing to me and even like a little bit fishy. So um, I agree completely in terms of like, I mean, we were following and we did a stream about the New York primaries, like the day it was happening and talked about like the races we were watching, talked about your race, talked about Lauren Ashcraft, Jamal Bowman, a lot of other stuff. And uh, definitely a lot of people were reporting that, you know, the incomplete ballots, you know, other like really shady stuff. And we know that this is right out of the playbook of voter suppression that we see all the time and that we're always on about here. I was going to say not to cut you off, but speaking of some yeah. of those candidates you mentioned and like much love to them, they got tons of press. Some of them were able to like, you know, go in all these different places. I got more votes than like all of them. You know what I mean? Outside of like somebody like Bowman who actually won and went up against a, an incumbent that just like did the unthinkable and, and shot right. himself in the foot. You know, we got more votes than all of them. And we're not backed by DSA. We're not backed by Justice Democrats. We're not backed by any of these liberal packs. And again, all love to everyone who is. It's just like people talk about grassroots. It's literally was like me, my friends and their friends and in the community, you know? Yeah. Let me throw a theory at you because I have a dude in my district, Barrington Martin, ran against Congressman John Lewis. There is no like greater institution in our city. Well, there are some. He's up there. Um, right behind Coca-Cola, John Lewis. Uh, Barrington Martin hung like 18% on John Lewis. Also, you got Jonathan Herzog in New York 10 that also hung like 15, 18%. You think that like nationally people have underestimated Andrew Yang down ballot? Because I actually think like I wasn't thinking about it in these terms. Everybody who seems to have run on UBI has shocked me personally with the amount of turnout that they have gotten. 
I think that the the thing with the Andrew Yang down ballot is a lot of the people that made it this far are smart people. So mm-hmm. it's not just their, the UBI. I think it's also like um, people are attracted to them because they have some type of innovative ideas, some type of policy platforms that aren't your typical policy platforms, whereas many people are like, you know, they're just regurgitating what their favorite presidential candidate said and not adding anything to that or right. not, not standing on their own. And it's kind of like a cop out. It's kind of like you're hiding behind Bernie Sanders as like daddy as like a shield instead, <laughs> you know what i'm saying instead of yeah. being like oh no my name is paperboy and here's what i stand for whether bernie likes it or not whether it's another candidate likes it or not whether my opponent likes it or not this is what i stand for and the people i represent this is what they want represented right and i was getting into how for myself spreading love was one of my policy platforms as an action yes a lot of people liked basic income but i think people like that wait you're gonna come to the table with new ideas fresh ideas that means if I have an idea that I want implemented and I talk to you about it, you're bold enough to do it. You're not going to wait for Bernie Sanders right. to say it's cool. You're not going to wait for Obama to say it's cool. You're not going to wait for Trump to say it's bad. You're just going to go and do it. You're just going to go represent the people. And it's like, people like that. They're tired of the same old, same old. They want new, innovative ideas to be fought for, especially the next generation of voters. You know, the older generation of voters were like, kind of like lowered the bar for our politicians so low that they're kind of just able to like talk about the same old things and like not be as proactive as they can be with all of the resources they have at hand. And speaking of resources, now I feel like I'm just talking about why our campaign was great, but you asked. So. <laughs> but speaking of resources, you know, all of those other candidates you named that got 20% of the vote, they raised tens of thousands of dollars. We opened a bank account three days before the election. Wow. You know what I'm saying? We, we did it on zero dollars. Like, I don't think people really understand what happened. We got 20% of the vote. Mind you, there's still 50,000 votes waiting in the ballot. So, I mean, oh. the ballot. so when it's all said and done, we have thousands of more votes that the Board of Elections of New York City needs to dig through and give the final tally to the people. But we've got thousands of votes, 20% of the votes against a stronghold incumbent with zero dollars. You know, Paper, I just want to say that we can relate because here we started this show with zero dollars. Zero dollars. We've <laughs> never taken a sponsorship. We have a handful of patrons who help pay some of the bills. But uh, a lot of the stuff that we pay for around here is still just out of pocket, just whatever we can afford. And like, you know, people are responding to it, too, which is how we got to 100 episodes. And it's just like, you know, when the people are behind something, you don't have to have the money because ultimately that that power of the feet in the street is just more important. Um, It will spread the word for you. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And honestly, people don't like to talk about it. Like even when I made a video about it yesterday and a couple people were like upset, they were like, you sound like Trump or whatever, because I was talking about voter suppression and I was talking about how just the results seem fishy. But like, honestly, our elections, people love to talk about how overseas they have unsecure elections. But I physically saw it with my own eyes at my own polling place that it might as well has been like whatever country has. I don't want to pick on a certain country, but like, you you know what I mean? It's like no Votistan. It's no Votistan here in New York. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I was like, why am I? They 
I had to do way too much to vote. Like if I was a person who just didn't care, I would have just left. I had to do way too much. So it's it's mad voter suppression. It's mad sketchiness. Like again, so I told you about how my opponent got more votes than AOC when for one. But not only that, right. they tripled the amount of votes that they've gotten in the last few races. Yeah, you said it was like 10,000 last time. You know, when our race wasn't even publicized like that. So it's like, how do you triple the amount of votes you get? Like the amount of votes that I'm going to get, we've already got 8,200. Two terms ago, that would have won. I would be in Congress in the same district. Right. Right. That number. But now it's like they moved the bar to it's like three times that. It just doesn't make sense that the voter turnout hasn't been that high. We haven't been able to even do a, a strong get out the vote because of coronavirus. You know, there, there a lot of the groups that do um, voter registration, including myself, weren't able to. So, so it's just like, what? And I rode around on a bus to like 50 of the polling places and they looked mad empty. It didn't look like like four times as many people was voting. It looked like, right. where everybody at? Go vote. Like, but I don't want to sound like, like, oh, Conspiracy like, theorists. Yeah, but, 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 you know, that's what I did last time I came on your show. I talked about the conspiracy theories. So I might as well just give the real of like, and I don't want to be a politician that gets in there and for the sanctity of the system doesn't speak right. out against something that's sketchy. It's like, no, it's sketchy. If it's right, then just prove me wrong. It shouldn't be a problem proving me wrong. <laughs> right? Like, but don't tell me not Damn to ask right. Does that discourage you from wanting to run again? Or do you, how do you feel about like, if, if the process is corrupt, I stay in, why keep doing it? Well, I feel honored that if that you had to cheat against a first time candidate with $0 and that you called a long shot and that you had to have blackballed and that no organization would endorse, but that hundreds of local businesses and people, and then thousands of registered voters went out and voted. So many people went and voted. I had, I'm talking about hundreds of people in other districts that were like, I wrote in Paperboy. Right now it's our time. Absolutely, yeah. Paperboy, thank you so much for stopping by for the 100th episode. We really appreciate you. It's just an incredible pleasure to, to speak with you anytime, and we'll hope to be doing a lot more with you. Yeah, let's let's do it more. But I'll say this as my ending message. The thing that people should take from this campaign is a lot of people are going to doubt you. They're not going to believe in you based on whatever circumstance. And you just have to know that uh, to keep going, to keep fighting that we had. You want to talk about quitting. We had every single reason to quit. There was coronavirus. There was protests. There was lack of donors. There was lack of volunteers. It was hard. There was, we're going up against the incumbent. There was, they told us that we're, and we did it. We did it. We made it. And not only did we make it, we shocked the world. And we had them yeah. scared, so scared that they had to really campaign harder than they've campaigned in decades. I mean, behind the scenes, mind you, because if the votes they got were true, then they had to be campaigning like madmen behind the scenes. And not only did we do that to make them have to work harder than ever, but we brought them in the community more. I mean, now they, my opponent has had to come and actually be in the community because th there's somebody on their tail. And we've pushed them more to the left on the issues. Say what you want to say. Everybody's like, oh, you shouldn't go against the person if people have liked them or, oh, this person's this or that. And it's like, hey, what we did is we became a super voter at that point and have allowed our voices to be heard and represented even more um, than they would have if we hadn't have ran. Thank you all so much for having me on your show. <laughs> paper, yeah, it's our time. Happy 100 episodes. I love you all. Thank you so much. Much love. Here's to 100 million more. It's our time. Hey, we love Thank it. Thank you so much.
Hello, we are here with Donna. I'm um, one of the best friends of the show. I think our episode with you was like our breakthrough episode in terms of our popularity and viewership. And that's partially because in addition to being a politician, you are first like a talented administrator. So you were able to like really push that in ways that we had not at that point been able to push an episode. But now it's crunch time for like your political campaign. I believe your early voting starts now, if I'm correct. So how are you feeling? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me back on. So early voting in Texas starts today, which is June 29th. It's been extended to July 10th because of the current uh, coronavirus situation that we have. One of the challenges that Texas is facing is that we are seeing spikes in folks that have uh, coronavirus who are contracting coronavirus at a alarming rate for the past uh, seven to 10 days here. So that is the unfortunate situation. We're going into uncharted territory when it comes to voting in this type of situation. Donna, like literally every time that there's a major political issue, you are like months or sometimes years ahead of people. Uh, Like literally we had an entire episode just talking about coronavirus response. Um, By the time that our audience hears this, it will be July 7th. So if they have not already voted for you in Texas 31, they should like literally rush and go do that right now. So one of the most important things is when you do go out to vote, we want you to take every precaution that is available to you. It is important for you to be safe, your health first and precaution and safety, ensuring that you don't contract the coronavirus is the most important thing. Do your research on the people you're going to vote ahead of time to get in and out. We have two weeks of early voting, so there's ample time for you to safely vote and be cognizant of your health. So that is the most important thing putting in this uh, primary. Number two, there's still time to vote by mail or request a vote by mail ballot in Texas uh, if you qualify. And there are certain qualification criteria. For example, if you're over 65 uh, or 65 or older, you automatically qualify to vote by mail and there is still time to do that. So please take advantage of that if you can. Hey, why didn't Andrew Yang endorse you sooner? It seems like your platform is kind of copacetic with his. What took him so long? (laughs) Well, um, I don't know what took him so long, but I do know that Humanity Ford reached out to us. And uh, I think uh, it was important for them to see this connection between our campaign and what Humanity Ford stands for, right? One of the things I love about Humanity Ford is not left, not right, it's Ford. And you've heard me say this before, but our race is not about Democrats against Democrats. It's not Democrats about Republicans. This is a fight for our livelihoods. This is the American working class person, the American person who works for a living against the billionaires and the corporations that have completely overtaken our lives to a point that they have taken away our freedom to live, freedom to benefit from the value that we create in our country. It is so important for the American people to know that every single penny of wealth in this country is created by people who work for a living. And those of you who think that billionaires and corporations create jobs, that is not true. Sure, they might have a great idea and they might have the infrastructure in place and the funding in place to be able to put together a corporation and a company. It is people who execute on these ideas, people who make things happen on a daily basis that get up every single day, go to work at 8 a.m. in the morning and work 40, 50, 60, 70 hours a week that are creating every single penny of wealth in this country. And it is absolutely important that this wealth reach every single American. I say this conviction 
that we have more than enough wealth for every single American to live comfortably. We're not asking for 10 houses in 10 states. We're asking for healthcare coverage, to be able to go see a doctor when we get sick, asking for a debt-free education so we don't have a mortgage payment due just because we went to two-year college or four-year college or got vocational training. And we are asking for high-paid jobs to be paid the value that we create in our economy this is a simple ask and we can solve this and we can solve it in a financially effective way. And that is our message to the voters. We want to take this message to every single American across the country to tell them, yes, we can do this. We can get high quality healthcare coverage while reducing the cost of healthcare. And these are the messages that our campaign is all about. Brian, you know, when we think of like things that, you know, inspired us to make a hundred episodes, Shows like Street Fight, obviously crucial in us even thinking that something like this was possible. Thank you so much for stopping by to hang out with us for a minute. Oh, hey, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. We were definitely like, if these dopes can do it, we can do it too. Wow. Exactly. Brandon's exactly. <laughs> just been burning every bridge this entire episode. <laughs> hey, I, I'm with you, man. I can't believe me and Brett have done 10 years of podcasts. Counterflex, get back to me when you're at 10 years, buddy. <laughs> That's incredible. I mean, I really hope that we we can say the same one day, you know? I mean, we've been working hard on this and it's just, you know, definitely just knowing that y'all have been doing it for that long, like being able to like watch a show like yours evolve over so many years is inspiring from the perspective of like, I'm sure you could speak to this, left media didn't exist at one time basically, right? <laughs> Well, yeah, like, the, you know, when we started out, it felt like like a vacuum. We were one of the only people really doing anything. And the other shows were not what I would consider good. So it's, <laughs> it's like, it feels good that there's, there's a scene. And that's what, you know, me and Brett, like, really are thankful that, like, a scene popped up. Because I think it props everybody up a little bit. Yeah, well, and I think, you know, when I talk about, like, holding y'all in such high esteem, it's not just about what y'all did in making Street Fight, right? It's as much or more the fact that you built it with, you know, your values, and you really believe in, you know, socialism and anarchism as, like, core values that you embody in your everyday choices, you know? Uh, what was your biggest hurdle in making a financial living off of this? That it was me, but it was 100% purely me saying I don't feel good about charging for this and making money from it is wrong. And uh, it just really in the end, it was like, well, people do deserve to get paid for their labor. And I think that it's okay to charge if people want the content. You want more content, you have to accept that you're gonna have to charge people money. And also make sure it's fair. They get a lot for what they get. And that like, we're sticking to our principles about like no advertising. One of the big things we right. did, whatever's on the Patreon is not Street Fight. And like, I know it's like a, a small sort of thing that maybe people don't even notice, but that like, you can just listen to Street Fight, the free show, and not miss anything that has to do with Street Fight. You're wondering if people noticed, uh, we noticed, because when we were trying to decide about our Patreon models, we looked at a lot of people that we respect in the field that were making money off of this kind of content. And y'all were one of them, obviously. We were looking at how, what Street Fight do. And we definitely follow that same model because it's just something about like hiding away that primary content just feels wrong. I don't know. <laughs>
Right, and I think the stuff that we give over there is some of the best stuff I do. But I also think that, like, you can still enjoy Street Fight without being on the Patreon. Like, they're not even shows with both of us in them, you know? So, right. it's kind of the, the Patreon is a totally separate thing that if you want more of me, I guess, then you're going to get that <laughs> over there. But uh, you're not missing the political stuff. It's basically divorced from politics over there. You know, it's it's more pop culture stuff and uh, more. I mean, it's mini series now. Right. Yeah, we relate. And we actually after you told us about your shock jock show, we got inspired to do a similar show of our own where we are reviewing the very first episodes of brand new podcasts. Okay. That's, it. Hey. That's been one of our Patreon things. So, you know, I would say y'all have inspired us on a lot of levels in that regard. <laughs> also, if somebody messages me and says, you know, I can't afford the Patreon, I'll just give them the stuff. Like we, I, I've right. handed out Shocktober has been handed out plenty of times. Like I've, I've given it to people for free. You can also just buy it for $5 one time. So you don't have to go with Patreon. So like we even try to make that stuff available to people, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think like, you know, we do so many interviews with progressive and leftist politicians, right? And so much of what we do here is really about using our platform to spread that message. And I think, you know, when we try to put a paywall between that and the listener, then we are really doing the exact opposite of what we're trying to get beyond here. But I do agree, like, we need money to live, like, we still have to participate in capitalism, because that's what we have, you know, but I think we have opportunities to to really create alternative visions for what it can work and look like. Right. Yeah. I mean, when Street Fight started, for the first six or so years, I was like, we can't charge for this. That's wrong. You know, this has to be free to get to people, you know? At a, at a certain point, it came to like, okay, like, we're pretty good at this and people like it and they want more. So, you know, I can't work a full-time job and devote the amount of time to Street Fight that I need to make it what it is, you know? So it was just like the biggest hurdle was deciding that it was worth money, you know? <laughs> I, I think there was, there was a conversation I had with Brett in 2016. Uh, I was driving for Lyft and I was working at a shitty camera store and doing Street Fight 2. And we went to Philadelphia during the Democratic National Convention and we did a big sold out show with Chapo Trap House. And uh, when we got back, I said like, oh, man, that was great. I wish we could keep doing this. And Brett said, we can. You just have to think of yourself as a comedian and not a guy that drives for Lyft. And that was a really big moment for me because like it was, I couldn't think of myself as a comedian. I thought you had to earn that, you know? And I felt like I hadn't earned it yet. And then like I did, my mind changed. And once that happened, everything changed, you know? Like the whole thing moved forward from that point. And that's like a deeply Marxist idea that like work and play should be merged, you know? So, I mean, thank you for the work and play that you do and the model you've given us. It has been so influential and we are so grateful for y'all. Um, and also, I remember uh, very early on when I started podcasting, I asked you for advice and I was on like my third episode and you said, come back to me when you have 10 episodes. And at the time I was like, wait, but, and then I thought about it, I was like, oh, and you continued and you were like, okay, because a lot of people don't make it to 10. So I want to just like state for the record, here we are, episode 100. What's up? I did it. 
<laughs> I don't do that thing where I'm like, oh yeah, you come back to me when you're a little more experienced to be like an asshole. I do that because like I learned away from people, you know? I got to do my podcast for five years without anybody listening. Well, with like 200 people listening. Like it could have discouraged me. It could have hurt my feelings. And I, I, I feel like the show got good over time, you know? And that like a lot of people are like, hey, I did this podcast. It's my first episode. You should listen to it. And I, I really feel like that's not going to put your best foot forward. Like I, you can't give advice on a thing that is still unfinished. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, we talked about that some when we were reflecting on this show, like how true that is and what good advice that was. So thank you for that. And I appreciated the challenge at the time. And I am very proud of everything we've done here and very grateful to you for being a part of it. Thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks, guys. Hey, everybody, we have John Levitt here with us today, one of our absolute favorites. He comes on the show all the time. He comes on the stream sometimes. He joined me in particular for my special extra birthday stream. We love him. We love to see him. John, how are you? Hi, how you doing? I'm, uh, I'm doing as well as can be expected under the current conditions, but let's try to keep things positive. Woo! Yeah, it's wild to try and like do anything that's remotely joyful or celebratory with the backdrop of the apocalypse, but like we find ways. Like one thing I, I've definitely noticed as an unintended side effect of you know three months of not leaving the house is that I just sound like a submarine commander now. What do you mean by submarine commander? I'm just barking orders at people. Like there any semblance of like civility or diplomacy is gone. I'm just like, no, move forward with the laundry unit. Move uh, five left. You move over to the other side and uh, get the uh, pasta shells route. You get over there and uh, three seconds away from saying dive, dive, dive. All declarative <laughs> sentences. I get that. It's like all sort of pretense of civility has been lost because it's like if you go outside, there's a fucking riot happening. So like none of us are pretending this is polite anymore. And frankly, I find that kind of like a relief because it is not actually in my nature to be particularly polite. I'm super like just abrasive and blunt by nature and any bit of decorum or social nicety that I muster up is like me very intentionally being proper. And it's like such a relief to just be able to say what I want for once and it's like actually appropriate to the you know mood of the situation yeah, no it's um it's been interesting to see the uh the unconscious juche in my in my soul just come out and i'm like no we all have to be like incredibly threadbare military operators i get it though i get it there's there's such a military air to all of it so other than i guess like becoming a warlord and barking orders at everyone. What have you been up to? Have you been doing any writing? Have you been in any like particularly exciting, you know, projects, anything, you know, giving you a reason to get out of bed? I've, uh, I've been on a lot of podcasts. That makes is... sense. It's like the golden age of podcasts. We need so much content now. Like it, it's all the time. It's... Yeah. Yeah, we just need something to take our minds off. And I've already finished all the Wolfenstein games, so I can't just shoot Nazis anymore. So, uh, yeah, I had a really, really good recent episode with the Horror Vanguard about, like, the invasion, the 2007 Invasion of the Body Snatchers movie, and how, like, that movie is incredibly prescient because they just, like, <laughs> infect people by coughing at them. Oh, Oh, yeah, you know, there like there's a certain provenance to like all of 
the contagion type movies that came out in the last like 20 years which were gotten even more than 20 i mean like since the hot zone right like and all these were inspired by like medical scientists saying like hey eventually this is gonna happen y'all like we're not prepared and sure enough it happened we were not prepared I'm not gonna lie and say like there's there's definitely a part of my brain that it's like oh that thing I've been low-key worried about a global flu pandemic happening has happened now I don't have to worry about it anymore I can continue to worry about how like the international banking sector is about to collapse yeah that's so fun I love that they've just been like periodically turning money into it and it's like obviously unsustainable and I've been talking to like you know I know some elderly people whose like life savings are in the stock market right and I mean I've been trying my best to convince them to just bail I'm like get out now like no you don't understand the reason the Fed keeps pumping money into it is to give all of the really rich people a chance to sell their shit and escape before it collapses like follow their lead the rats are leaving the ship yeah, no, like everyone, at least in like in the Anglo-American world, has gone full year zero. They have any amount of assets. They're going to the bunkers. They are leaving us behind. And frankly, if I were likewise capable, I would, right? Like, if we could just smash the reset button, that would be stellar. I do have this like fantasy though, that like, you know, all the rich people are gonna like go hide in their bunkers and they're gonna just disappear for 50 years or whatever. And like, they're gonna come back out of them, like expecting to see some kind of post-apocalyptic hellscape that they're like finely tuned by nature to be, you know, superior predators. And we're just gonna have like a communist utopia that we built because they finally left. And it's like my fantasy and I hold on to it. It's just like, if we get it together now, Maybe we can just spite them by fixing it once they leave. I, I always like hold to the belief that these people are like paying an awful lot of money for their guards to hold them hostage, which is like what's going to happen? Like unless they put bomb collars on their people, it's like in what world does your hoarded money mean anything when other people have the guns? Right. Well, I'm like also, what does money mean when you're suddenly around a bunch of people who have more of it than God, but none of them have any actual practical skills to make anything? Like the most amazing oversight of this entire culture is that they forget who fucking feeds them. Yeah, no, it, it it's very weird and things are just entering not just global weirding, but you know, the global cool zone. Listen, I better not see anybody in a Hawaiian shirt at a protest, but there are aspects of that uh, sort of pre-apocalyptic, pro-apocalyptic attitude that I kind of I get it. I get why there are people who are so mad that they would literally be cool with just doing an actual revolution about it. I mean, shit, I'm trying to do a revolution about it. I'm just trying to do one that's militantly nonviolent. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it does bring to line the old line that, like, electoralism was the compromise. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there's so many cases of like, this was the compromise, and y'all just kept abusing it. And I mean, again, it goes back to their culture just being like fundamentally untenably toxic. There is no coming back for rich people. I think we're just gonna have to do it without them. And like, if they come along, it's gonna be with the understanding that they ain't shit. And that we like, are only doing it because of our decency, not because we like them. I keep thinking yeah, about like, these rich people. <laughs> the guillotine the ultimate punching up uh, i mean sometimes about, you gotta slice down to punch up John. <laughs> i uh i keep thinking of like historical precedent and how like how much compromise there was before like these world historical events that like the rich just didn't take uh, i'm in particular thinking of like the structural reforms that were being asked of of the french monarchy and how right. they were they were really sensible reforms. Like, oh, well, we need to have a written constitution. And at the very last minute, they were just like, no, we don't want to do that. 
Yeah, well, they just decided to try and flex on him. You know, proverbially, they fucked around and they found out. And I, I definitely love that aspect of it, the sort of cultural awakening to the agency of working people, to the agency of poor people and oppressed people, you know, and sort of the awakening that we are seeing that actually we don't have to keep going along with this, that actually this happens because we participate in it. And actually, there is an alternative. And seeing that really starting to enter the conversation culturally is so exhilarating. Uh, that being said, we've been chatting for a minute. We're trying to keep these quick. So it was so lovely to have you, John. You are one of my favorite guests all of the time, perennially. It is always such a joy to have you. And thank you for being here with us today. Don Yacht, we're here once again. Celebrate episode 100 with us. Big number. How you feeling, man? Man, first of all, I feel really special being as a guest for the 100th episode, so thank you for that. Oh, yeah. Um, but other than that, you know, we just got off the election last Tuesday. Unfortunately, we lost, but, you know, the movement is continuing. We just started something in a, in a community where, in a district as a whole, where a lot of people thought that the progressive movement was impossible for it to even spark up. And we've shown that there are thousands and thousands of people who really share the same values as us so the work is going to continue you know i should be tired but i'm just like so mad of just what's going on all over the world that i have like no choice but to continue on fighting like when we uh we were talking about contacting you we feel a little bit guilty about contacting anybody from new york because like the primary literally happening about to happen like it just happened to wind line up this episode but we like have made friends with so many people in new york state it was like oh okay we're gotta do it so it's like good to have you on what's going on in new york right now i say <laughs> while watching the news. yeah so there's a, there's a lot of organizers right now on the ground who are occupying City Hall because of the budget that's going to come out tomorrow. And essentially what we're fighting for is to defund the NYPD. And for a lot of viewers who may not know how much money the NYPD receives, they receive $6 billion. That is the biggest budget that the city provides to pretty much any institution or any resource. When we look at education and housing and community resources, they receive a small fraction of that. So if you combine all those things together, they still don't match up to the NYPD budget, which essentially they have a budget that's higher than some nations in the world. And, and I think that in a time like this, and you know, this should have been done a long time ago, uh, we do need to really reinvest in other resources to improve the quality of life so we can uh, have less policing and making sure that people have housing, health care, and education. So that's what we're fighting for. People have been there sleeping on the steps of City Hall day in and day out. They're going to be there tomorrow up until Thursday, I believe. And we're, we're hoping that every city council member makes the right decision. So uh, when someone listens to this episode, this is going to come out on our one year anniversary, which is July 7th. Um, so this event be in the past. So can you use your powers to reach into the future and predict how do you think that this budget showdown is going to go? What do you think is going to go down? I think that the council is going to do the right thing and defund the NYPD. Uh, as, as much as 
a lot of people want to abolish the police. And trust me, we really do want to abolish the police over here because of how strong the police unions are. Uh, there's so much ironclad contracts that are intact. We are fighting for the $1 billion takeaway. So, and, and I think that there's been enough pressure from constituents, from voters, calling council members, tweeting at them. And I think that they're going to make the right decision. And I believe that we will have $1 billion allocated to uh, our communities. That would be incredible. And hopefully, like, when they hear this, it's like, yeah, Sean, yeah, right on the money as always. <laughs> Fuck the cops. Like, forget about them. Like, put, let's put them to the side. How are you doing? Are you, like, an organized part of these protests? Are you in an organization right now? Or are you just, like, freelance in the streets? I'm freelance. I mean, there's already incredible organizations organizers out there who are already doing the work. So I just want to do my part and give them the spotlight to do to do the work. But yeah, I'm, I'm freelancing right now as an organizer. I am looking to do work on other projects within Southeast Queens to help build up some things here. But um, I like to plug in wherever I can just to be part of the movement. Is your life stable? Like we've had other candidates like come to us and be like, yeah, man, this whole running for office thing, it just drove my situation like into a ditch. Like, is your is your life okay? Are you sleeping? Are you eating? Man, you, know, <laughs> you know, I thought initially after the election, I thought I would need like a week or two. All I needed was like two days of rest and like I'm already back at it. It's just oh, yeah. it's just so hard. You know, when, when you hate this corrupt system so much, I hate everything about it. I hate everything about politics, but it makes me want to fight even harder. So I'm just digging deep because I have no choice but to fight back. And, you know, it's to me, it's never been about the electoral politics. You know, as much as we did everything we could to win, uh, we won in, in other ways. And it's about driving the conversation. And that's what the movement is about. It's always about driving the conversation. So I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling fired up, even though I should be getting more rest. So I'm trying to be more cautious now about when not to burn out because I, I definitely have burned out throughout the campaign. But now I'm able to catch up on sleep and, you know, focus on other things that I, I like doing in my free time. So I'm doing all right other than that. Are, are you still doing Madden in your free time? <laughs> I haven't. No, I haven't. So I just got, I put my PS4 aside for the last like two months, two, three months. Likewise. Um, I was yeah, playing man. and yeah, I had to put it to the side too. I, uh, I just recently, did you say 2K? Yeah, I had my 2K. I had to put it to the <laughs> side the last couple months. Man, yeah, I just got into FIFA. So I just joined the FIFA League. So I'm looking forward to that. So I know there's like, I, I don't know how much longer I'll be able to like stay active playing my ps4 because it's like so many things going on around the world but it feels yeah. good just to be online and just relaxing for a bit okay i have i have one like really corny podcast question What's up? If, hopefully you haven't been asked this before and you get asked like is medicare good and you're like yes <laughs> if you could have dinner with any three people in history in would history. they be living or dead oh damn i actually never got this question before so this is good this is good the new right. ground Man, anybody in history. Uh, Malcolm is definitely up there. Got to put Malcolm X. Um, oh, yeah. I, I do want to have dinner with... I'm going to throw J. Cole in there, just just because. That's a good trending topic. Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah, that's, a good, that's a good trending topic, all right. Um, and then lastly, I kind of want to have dinner with Weird Al. I'm like so... That's a good word. I'm just like so mesmerized by his personality. <laughs> so I think I just randomly would have Weird Al right there. 
not only is he like a personality, but he has also lived through like 30 or 40 years of celebrity. Yes. I would bet low-key he has interesting stories going back to like the 90s and up. <laughs> They're probably very like, interesting. Exactly. Especially if like he's got a few drinks in him, it's going down. I love it. I'm sure I'm sure he could tell us the truth about Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> <laughs> if he if he doesn't volunteer the information, he did not agree. It's exactly. fine. Uh, Sean it was it's always good to, even if it's a quick thing, to check in with you. And you know, we stream like every day now, like Monday to Friday. So if you ever want to just pop on and talk trash, that's cool. Nice. Literally any format. Pop in once a month. We don't care. Uh, we okay. always love hearing from you, hearing what's going on on the ground, because like it's hard to get it from like traditional news, which is why yeah, we do sure. stuff like this. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, absolutely. So thank you for coming on and, and we love you. Come on anytime. People love hearing from you. Much love, Brandon. Thank you again. Wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a second. Kennedy, we didn't get your, you know, your advice to your past self in the last interlude. We didn't do any of that at all. So now I want to corner you and figure out. I've always been perfect. Yeah. What advice would you have for your past self? Buy a Twitter account for the show with like 2000 followers from the very beginning. That actually is fucking very smart. That would have been a lot better for us. Like, it doesn't matter if they're low-quality followers. You'll get quality followers for, like, your next few thousand. And then just tweet like crazy. Because as soon as we started tweeting like crazy, it really helped. We really struggled to get that first 500. It's true. I definitely agreed with your, like, we could have had interview guests for, for the beginning. And I, I think that's a, one of the funniest things that people will ask us sometimes because people who are trying to make ask similar us. media will sometimes ask us for advice. And one of the things they'll ask us is, how do you get your guests? Uh, we just ask. There's, like, there's no secret. It helps, like, once you sort of, like, inundate yourself to, like, one person who's a part of one network and then you ask other people in that network. Like, there are these, like, compound effects. But basically, to get your initial foot through the door is just ask people. A lot of people are really willing to, like, come to your show. Um, it's actually not that hard. This is the easiest thing. It costs no money. All of these people literally share your politics and you're like, you're great. Let's talk. They're politicians. They fucking love to talk and be fawned over. They love that shit. They they get off on it. They live for it. I think the only part, hard part about that is like just the acceptance of the rejection, you know, like yes. a lot of people are going to say no, but it's a numbers game. If you ask 20 people to come on the show, at least like a quarter of them are just going to say yes, like pretty much yes. every time. And so, you know. And then sometimes it's your 100th episode and like all of them say yes. Yes. Yeah, sure. like, right. Like we're doing this. We thought again, because like I say, you don't always get all the all the asks that you want or like a lot of times people put you off. You know, some of the guests that we've gotten uh, like Anthony Clark, for instance, like put us off several times, but he did eventually come through. It doesn't like just because somebody puts you off because they're busy doesn't mean they're never going to come through. You know what I mean? Right. So like. We always kind of expect people like maybe, oh, I can't or this or that. We started setting out the ask for this episode. It was like almost everyone said yes. We were very overwhelmed. Uh um, so before we move on, uh, what podcasts are y'all listening to? What what do y'all listen to when you're not making content? <laughs> what time? What oh, time, God, Brandon? Yeah. What fucking time? I have so little free time. Uh, I watch John Boy's videos when they come out. Um, yeah. I listen to Trillbillies a lot, but not all the time. I listen to Chapo a lot, but not all the time. I listen to Hella Black sometimes. But yeah, I'm not like a frequent listener. Oh, oh, non-political podcast that I love is Film Reroll. And they take like old movies and they run them as D&D &D campaigns. 
and it's very it's oh, very yes. fucking it's very fucking that funny. sounds amazing what's that called that sound funny film re-roll word i'm going to check that out i really like mission to zix actually um it's a comedy podcast on maximum fun like if any of them ever happen to hear this podcast please be my friend y'all are so fucking funny it's like a um comedy improv podcast where like the setting is there in space and it's kind of like a joke star wars but it's i mean it's extremely funny it's very like progressive and like there's centering non-binary characters and stuff which is really cool like for me a queer person um and also like it's just it's lighthearted. it never makes me want to fucking die you know no bummer kind of stuff this sounds like a science fiction version of um greetings from the magic tavern which also has a, a bit, similar yeah. aesthetic i'm not really caught it that's a very long-running show but yeah it's sort of a live comedy improv thing from a fictional narnia-ish world where goofy right. things happen a lot yeah yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's just, it's really funny. Like, and it's sort of overtly leftist, which I appreciate. Like, they make jokes about Marxist philosophy and stuff. It's it's extremely my brand, put it that way. Kennedy, you got any favorite podcasts, political or non-political? As far as political podcasts go, I mostly listen to political podcasts when it's somebody that is, like, asking to associate with us these days. And, like, I want to go listen to their show. You know, you listen to Big Brain Chungus before you let them come on. No, not them. And okay. maybe I should have. Uh, but searching <laughs> uh, 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 relationships again. Um, no, we're just we're just fucking around. But anyway, but Psychic Dolphin, I've listened to a number of their episodes. I've listened to a lot of not a lot, but like a few episodes of like Who's Your Daddy, their show. I listen to slash watch a lot of the stuff that Hill of Roses makes because obviously I hang out over there and do stuff with them some and like that stuff for like politics. It's like I, I mostly just like support my friends, you know, sometimes I listen to like a bigger show, but I don't know. I actually do listen to At the Crossroads. Speaking of like listening to friend shows. So, yeah. Yeah. This is a good way to promote your show just by listen going to pod damn occasionally. one to one person. Yeah, I'm actually a pod damn patron. Uh, back when they were like really, really young as a podcast, yeah. I was like, oh, they only have like so many patrons. I'll give them my money. They seem like, you know, they're doing good work. And I'd rather give these guys money than Chapa, who doesn't need it. So <laughs> that's what I did. Yeah. For like the non-politics stuff, uh, I'm a big fan of the podcast Lore. I've heard of that. If you've ever heard that, it's like a sort of mysterious stories presented in a very like neutral, who knows what really happened kind of way, which I love. My partner listens to My Favorite Murder a lot, and sometimes I listen in, and uh, they're a little hit or miss, but they have a lot of good content, really good chemistry as hosts. Just like a pretty fun show to listen to sometimes, and also like can be also very fascinating and interesting, kind of gory and all that. Uh, I also like, I watch a lot of YouTubers, you know, like political YouTube people um i like sean you know people like that so you know that's that's like the kind of stuff that i've been listening to when i'm not making this show which is never this could easily be a whole episode right. a short one for the love of god no
Hey, NSF wonks, this is Jason Call, progressive candidate for Congress in Washington's 2nd Congressional District. Uh, we're on the ballot for the all-mail-in uh, primary on August 4th, and we're a top-two primary state, and we've got six Republicans filed for this blue district seat. Uh, so we fully in- expect to be on the ballot alongside the corporate Democrat incumbent, who is seeking a 10th term and takes 75% of his funding uh, from corporate sources. We just picked up our sixth local Democratic Party organization endorsement today uh, to add to our local Sunrise and DSA endorsements and the Our Revolution endorsement. So the campaign's going great. We've got a great social media presence. We've got signs going up all over the district. We've got a huge volunteer base text banking for us, and we've really got the establishment on its heels. It's been a long nine months since we announced the campaign last August, but we did a great job adjusting to the constraints of the coronavirus, and our socially distanced outreach has been as good as I could ever have hoped for. And as you know, Seattle's been a hot spot for the protests against police violence violence and systemic racism. And I've been down to the Capitol Hill occupied zone a few times and participated in the rallies to defund the police and call for the Seattle mayor's resignation for allowing the police to use weapons of war against unarmed civilians. Uh, And it really reminds me of the many times I've gathered with others over the last 30 years since I was 19, calling for an end to imperialism in all forms. I think one of the things I've discovered going through this last year of campaigning is, you know, kind of how resilient you have to be as a progressive candidate going up against the establishment there really just going to lie and manipulate and shut down campaigns that they see as a threat, which they definitely do uh, with our campaign. And this is the same thing that they did with Bernie. So I've had people lie about things I've said or done without providing evidence, and and they have cost me local endorsements. And there's not really anything you can do about it in the moment. You just have to go back to your own media space and make the, you know, these people are liars statements and hope you can get some solid allies willing to stand up for you in meetings. You know, the uh, incumbent isn't even acknowledging our campaign. I mean, we're we're in meetings with him and he keeps talking about the inevitable Republican that's going to be on the ballot uh, against him in, in November. So you just have to take all of these things in stride. And I think it's just uh, something that a lot of progressive candidates are experiencing with their local Democratic Party. You know, it's like they can't fight you on policy, so, so they go for things like character assassination. You know, but despite all of the shenanigans with the establishment of the party, uh, we're doing great and everyone in this campaign is really optimistic. And uh, part of us being able to get our message out has been all the great opportunities we've had with independent left-wing media like Uphill Media here in Washington, you know, people I've known and worked with closely for the last five years, Hard Lens out of Chicago, uh, Mike Figueredo at the Humanist Report, Fiorella and Craig at the Convo Couch, and the various live streams I've done with the other progressive candidates running across the country. Uh, Shout out to Russ and Zena and uh, Jen Perelman, and of course, all of you at NSF Wonks, you know, please keep up the good work and And I'm looking forward to uh, more wins uh, before this year is out. Thank you, guys. So we couldn't really have an episode 100 without Nabila Islam uh, right here in my backyard, which made it just a really fascinating and great interview. Yeah, Nabila. Hi. How are you? How are you holding up? I'm doing great. You know, election night wasn't the results we wanted, or I guess 10 days after election day, but we're committed to the fight and um, I'm holding up pretty well. How are you doing? We're pooped. We did all these interviews. We're uh, yeah. we're hanging in. Yeah, I think the collective energy for the entire podcast at this point is just tired. Well, we're yeah. tired, but we're also we're also wired. Uh, Nabil, how are you? What are you doing after the election? Because we've talked to a lot of people who have like gone through the election cycle, and we're like, how how are you recovering? Uh, and everybody has had kind of a different attitude. So, did you need like a few days? 
or was it like, well, I had to spend 10 days waiting on results here in crummy Georgia? Uh, right. Totally deal. Well, so on election night, the AP had prematurely called the race and we realized that 40% of the electorate was, was still out. And I think Georgia was like a preview of what was to come to, you know, New York and, and Kentucky. And, yeah. but like, I had to wait like, you know, 10 days as everyone else did for results. And, but I, I use that time to just like, I went through different types of emotions. I'm like, all right, this could be a runoff. I could maybe make the runoff. Oh, it's not going to be a runoff. <laughs> but as you guys might have seen, I uh, went ahead and endorsed uh, the nominee, Carolyn. And uh, I think that, you know, this is a district that should flip blue. It should have flipped blue last cycle. And so I am committed to the fight uh, as much as I was when I was a candidate to flip this district. And, you know, a lot of people are like, Nabila, are you resting? And I'm like, guys, I'm the type of person that if I'm resting, I'm restless. And so I've been like itching to uh, figure out what I'm going to do next. So I've been brainstorming a lot the last, I guess, week and a half-ish. So what are what are some of your ideas that you've been kicking around? Are you going to go and become a podcaster or are you going to become like a consultant or what are you going to be doing? So I am going to launch a podcast and and it's gonna be I think it'll be a great opportunity to uplift a lot of voices here in metro Atlanta I'm trying to figure out what my angle is gonna be so Brandon is actually helping me out on it and he's been really um helpful yeah my first my first idea was to call it march to progress but uh I think that maybe in Atlanta that has memories that are <laughs> not exactly kosher so yeah we've been marching other other different names for this for the show yeah, I gotta. I will all, offline. I will um, share some of the titles I have. Don't want anyone to take them. Not that they will. I don't. <laughs> of course, of course. So, Nabilo, I've been asking a couple people this, and I want to get your answer. This is a corny podcast question, but a lot of people say I've never been asked. If you could have dinner with three people, living or dead, who would they be? Um, who would they be? I would say, you know, one of the people that come to admire who actually endorsed me in my campaign was Ilhan Omar. I just think she is amazing. And I, I just really look up to her. I think she would be an awesome person to get dinner with. Um, also, Rashida, uh, she's a badass too. I'm just naming progressive congresswomen at this point. Um, and I was going to say, you could probably just call them and have dinner with them at this stage. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, that's a good point. I, got, I probably could. Um, I would have, let's, go, let's come back to this one. Let me think about it, but I'll, I'll answer it. Um, All right. Yeah. But, and then the, um, I'm also thinking of launching a, an org, an organization that would help progressive candidates in the beginning of when they run for office. What are the things that you wish you had known when you started? Like, oh man, oh, well, <laughs> uh, all of it, right? No, so I wish, look, I always knew be really hard, right? And you know, I'm a first time candidate. I was the only first time candidate in this primary. Some things that I wish I had known in the beginning was to keep as much of our funding until the very end. But the thing was, you know, I ran for 15 months. When you're running for office for for that long, you have overhead costs. I also started to utilize Twitter. I think probably like eight months after I was in uh, running for office, I like didn't know how to use it. So. <laughs> And after I started to use it, it became a really strong communications tool because like a lot of reporters are on Twitter, just a lot of activists. And so like I was able to amplify my message a lot further. And, you know, I also wish that I knew not to be so hard on myself 
during the whole process because it's really hard um, that, you know, if you are consistent and you are, you know, I felt that my campaign's message was powerful, that connected to the community, that we were going to build the momentum. Unfortunately, we didn't succeed this time around, but I'm really proud of the campaign that we ran. And I wish that uh, I gave myself a little bit more grace instead of being so stressed out all the time, because I think we were able to build um, an incredible campaign. So those are some of the things that I wish I knew in the beginning. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's so unusual for a person to win their first campaign. Yeah. And the reality is like, what you have right now is where you will start your next campaign. And I assume you're going to be running for something else. Yeah. I've been encouraged to do so, but I'm not going to rule it out. You know, I, I'm really glad you said that about how if I do run again, I'd be starting off at a different point, right? It won't, it won't be as hard. Someone actually gave me the analogy of like, Nabila, you were in a cocoon, you know, three fourths of the way to becoming a butterfly. And then when you if you do run again, you'll be you know three fourths of your way in that cocoon. <laughs> and it it won't be it'll be that much it'll be it'll be a little easier. And so I really liked the way that person explained it to me. But you're you're 100% correct. I will. Yeah, you're pupating. Oh, <laughs> Is that what it what it's called? Yeah, that's the word for like being in a in a cocoon. You're pupating. It just sounds really goofy, honestly. That was but it does mean like you're in a cocoon. I love that word, pupating. I am mm-hmm. <laughs> We know you're going to get up to fantastic, amazing things beyond this election. And we're so excited to, to see what those are. Absolutely. Yeah. I, whatever you do next, you're going to start with a ton of support. And I have all confidence in the world in you. Like you were my candidate the whole time since the day I met you. And uh, you're still like somebody I hold in incredibly high esteem. And I really look forward to seeing everything that you do from here. That means a lot to me. I appreciate that, guys. Look, I, I know that we've built a, a platform and I'm going to continue to be outspoken and speak out. I've actually, me and a couple others are leading the charge to uh, remove the Confederate monument, the only one that's in Gwinnett County. And, you know, I feel that it's like my, it's it's, it's a duty uh, of me and, you know, those around me uh, to, to speak up and I will continue to do so. Awesome. Well, thank you for swinging by for our 100th episode. We really appreciate it. Obviously, like hanging out with you has been a pleasure for us as like something that we've gotten to do while making this show. And uh, you know that we're going to be supporting your show when it comes out. Yeah, 100%. Um, Brandon and me will we'll work out the, the details. Right, Brandon? That's right. correct. We'll get we'll get to that episode 100 as soon as possible. <laughs> uh, we sure yeah. will. And you know what? In that capacity, welcome to the Not Safe for Wonks family. Oh, good. You're Lord. kind of already like an honorary <laughs> member, but now you're yeah. just in our. Now you're like your official cousin or something. Yeah, right. or something. I love that. That's awesome. I'm glad to be part of the family. And we are glad to have love you. Love it. All right. Well, we'll see you again soon. Thank you. Episode 100. Leia's actually here. Wow. Leia, we were gonna Hi. Do, we were gonna do a segment. We still might do a segment with you for the hundredth episode, <laughs> like you're a guest. As the guest. <laughs> I think that would be really funny. Hey Leia, how are you doing? What's what our, our other guest, our main guest, Mary Hollywood. How are you? Hey guys. You're literally like one of my favorite people that I've met on on the internet, just in Aww. terms of being a Thank being you. a spiritually cool person. So it's it's rad to whenever I get to spend time with you. I like you guys a lot too. Thank you so much. Um, how's it been going? How's your living conditions been? When you got in, you were just very harried. So what's up? Yeah. So last time that we spoke, it was like starting like two months being in the quarantine situation. So now it's like four months. <laughs> 
and uh it's getting to like i guess i'm getting to that limit you know what i mean we're oh. starting to go a little bit stir crazy the kids are starting to go a little bit stir crazy have you been out for any of the black lives matter stuff just out of stir craziness or is the health situation yeah no so because of my husband because he has a lung condition i could never risk that as yeah. much as oh my god i'm i would love to go and here i hear the fire because i'm close to downtown la right so i hear everything uh but i'm definitely there in spirit so what uh what's the situation with your parking because you told us about this right before you went on air and i found it very you know with the crossroads a lot of the issues that I wanted to talk about was parking because there's such a predatory situation here, especially where we live. Uh, there's so many buildings and there's no parking for anyone that they offer. And you have to either it's metered or you have like that two hours they limit that you can only stay parked for two hours. Um, so literally we've gotten so many tickets because it's with kids, like small kids. If my son was taking a nap, like I couldn't just pick up and go and run and move the car, you know? So yeah. I've literally lost a car because we had no way to pay for the fine, which was $300 for just oh, being one day Jesus. at the toe, which is people don't even think about that. You know, you didn't do like a GoFundMe, like a fundraiser. Yeah, no, I never thought to do that. You should have let the Internet just pour it in. But yeah. all of us, I mean, Leia, you'll, I think you'll speak to this. When you're really poor, you don't think about asking anybody for anything. No. Yeah. You're just used to getting owned. <laughs> yeah. You just, just, you just take it. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, oh, another, just another thing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. You just grit your teeth and keep on going. But there are people yeah. out there. And like, um, I can speak to this with the friends in the podcast. They helped me buy a bed because I had been sleeping on a $100 Cabela's cot that was really fucking uncomfortable. For the longest time and the podcast helped pitch together to buy me a mattress so there oh are God. people out there that will help you that care about you yeah that's amazing and i'm so glad that you're in a better uh situation yeah. too uh you're you've gotten your car back since then right so just yesterday we got a car back yeah so that that was good so now we can start it's crazy not to be mobile you know what i mean like literally have to walk to the groceries and like you can only buy certain things because you know it's hard to walk back with all that so literally i go with like my son's stroller and just like fill it and then walk home like seven blocks <laughs> oh yeah so that's gonna be over thank god oh, yeah <laughs> yeah so it's gonna be good you're still doing at the crossroads like roughly every week or so? Yeah. So now it's been like a little bit difficult this past month. What's happening now, I'm taking like a little bit of a break, but Kim and Victoria are going to do episodes for me oh, okay. until I get back. Are you physically okay? Is it an internet thing? Do we need to do we need to have that GoFundMe? What's going no, on? no. Everything is fine. It's just a matter of because of my husband's situation and, and yeah. his lungs, it's not like we I can just get any job. Right. And since we've lost our income, we are just trying to figure out a way to get, you know. So we're like working on a few projects that we can do to have an income here, like physically, that's not just online. You need to become a life coach, Mary. <laughs> you literally a lot of people say that. It's a fantastic <laughs> grift. And you speak yeah. that very well. Like there's at least a dozen professional women that would just hang off your every statement yeah no i'm so like i get it and but i i don't know i just can't you know like i 
I'll give you advice for free. No problem. <laughs> yeah. In the end, I just can't get that, you know, like get the whole ball rolling it's so much. Like you said, it's like the a well-meaning drift. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not something that I can really get around it. You know, and the that's whole fair. Thing. There's so few ethical ways to do anything in this. But it's, I mean, I know so many people benefit from that. Like mm. I'm not, it's just, it is what it is. There's a, there's a whole world of grifts out there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have the right chemistry for this between you <laughs> but i'm feeling good now like i was really i don't know if you guys remember like i was like done with like electoral politics and all that and yeah. like tuesday made me excited again the last time we talked we were at kind of a low energy point maybe not the yeah. word is low energy but a, a place of recollection a place of reflection yeah um, just about what are we doing what are we doing next where's the hope? yeah and hope can come out of weird places if you just let it and it can just come out all of a sudden were you expecting the biggest demonstrations in american history all across the country a month ago like shocking no i i actually was because i knew that if the government didn't do something it was inevitable that was yeah. what was in my mind yeah. and obviously the government didn't do anything so they never, they never do you know uh, what i mean so i think that when we last spoke it was just like at that brink like something's gotta give it's now or never and awful things happened on camera which they've been happening since forever and i'm glad that people said okay enough's enough finally for real Kim and Victoria, both incredible human beings. Love them both. Yeah. Um, yeah, so definitely whatever they post, we will be boosting. Very excited about. It just feels like, high, it's, I've said this before, but it's like high school, except we didn't have to yeah. separate or go anywhere. We have yes. all of our memories, <laughs> and we're also, we're going into our next big adventures all together. Yeah. Great. I am so, so excited that you guys made it to 100 episodes. You guys do so much good work. I'm so proud of you and excited to see what you guys do next. I have absolutely no doubt that at the crossroads we'll get there too. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Uh, Unless unless you come into just a whole big pot of money and you've just got to do it. In which case. Oh yeah. Come be a a guest. No, if I if I come into a big pot of money, then I'll definitely do the crossroads like really well done. You know what I mean? Oh, that's true. That's true. You can do more of it. Oh yeah. Yeah, and that that's what I hope to do really because that's my passion. I love it. Mary Hollywood, <laughs> thank you. Patreon.com slash at the crossroads. You can at hang out with her yeah. even more. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Thank you for coming thank on. Thank you guys so much. Thank you so much. Uh, I hope things continue to get better, if at the very least not get worse. For all of us. Indeed. That's right. Thank you. <laughs> uh, our next guest, we're very pleased to have on Leia Rose. As our guest, OG, one of the OG three, founder of the pod, the pod. Mo- even, what are you talking about? I know you guys are in this voice chat all the time, and I assume it's like other discords where you just like talk about stuff. Like founder, guest, what's happening? Leia, there's a, there, there's a podcast. It's not safe for wants. It's your podcast. It's my podcast. Oh damn, I like having a podcast. I think that would be cool. Yeah, it's it's not only cool. We're on episode one hundred of the of the podcast. We're trying to. Oh shit, we are. God damn, I've been doing pretty well for myself. <laughs> yeah, you've been on like eight of these episodes. <laughs> <with you. laughs> yeah, like people have probably only heard you on like one or two of the last handful of episodes. Yeah, I'm. I'm. 
I, I want to apologize to everybody that I've been, my life has been kind of uprooted now, as it has always been since this, since this show began, my life has been a continual state of uprooting, but things are finally beginning to settle down and I'll be able to settle back into things. I'm, as you probably know, when I left Seattle, I only had my passport and there was almost no hope of me wow. getting any more documentation, like my birth certificate or anything. Right. Because it's the system yeah. is like, you've got to have one thing to get the other thing and you got to have the other thing to get the yeah. other thing. I felt like I'd fallen down a hole of bureaucracy and everything, but I, I managed to claw back into reality. And in a few days, my social security ID card should be coming in. Then I'll get a state ID <laughs> card. I'm going to be moving into a new apartment with my new girlfriend and everything's going to be fine. It's, everything's going to be just fine. Have you ever blamed the show for destabilizing your life? Just like <laughs> everything went to shit as soon as you started oh, this Oh, it was a lot of things, but everything, everything has been changing for almost everyone since the podcast started. Oh man. And we're approaching, we're approaching the, our one year anniversary, aren't we? Next month. Our one year anniversary is, well, here's the thing. We're going to release it on the one year anniversary. So oh, when people right. are listening... It'll be July 7th and it will be the anniversary. So it is the anniversary. For, that's unimaginable to me because I thought yeah. I thought we'd been doing this for like eight or nine years and eight or nine months. But God damn, right. a whole year of this show. That's incredible to me. My life and everything, as I've said, has changed so much since then. And for a lot of things that I'm very grateful for. This show has given me community and given me a set of friends that I hope I will never forget. I love all of you so dearly that um that's really awesome i'm sitting here like <laughs> yeah i'm sitting here getting misty eyed i think we all feel that way uh i think we all like having that year and we're reflecting back on it yeah. kind of thinking this is a little bit like the new year's episode where we all got like shit faced and mm -hmm. <laughs> like i just got drunk and talked about each other and everything where you're in has this all gone according to your vision oh god I was not convinced that we would clear 10 episodes. Or actually, more accurately, it, it oscillated in my mind between we're not going to clear 10 episodes and like we're going to get Marianne Williamson on and we're going to be famous and everything. But I, I think I was more convinced that this will fizzle out and this won't be anything and nobody will listen to our show. Really neither happened. We, we, yeah. we don't rule the world yet. No. But we are a lot of favorite podcasts' favorite podcasts. Yeah. So. <laughs> We, we, we networked the shit. We networked the shit out of everybody. And yeah. we have so many great friends of the pod, so many people that you've heard so far in this episode 100 celebration that just, you know, and it's, it's gonna, it can only go up from here. We're only going to get better. So we have, we have a, a, a producer, Dre, who mm -hmm. did so much towards the beginning of the show. So much of the, re like, the, the, those early episodes were, like, well-researched and, like, had good ideas and weren't just a shit posting. And that was because of Dre. Like Dre I looked up a ton of articles and everything and compiled these documents that we used. And it was all well put together. And we all got to sound smart because of Dre. Yeah. Um, so Dre's, how, life, Dre's sure. life has kind of been in the pits for a while. But the hope in, is that she, the situation with her parents is she's lives with her parents and just finished high school has been not the greatest but me and my friends in just a few days and it'll probably have happened but it'll definitely have happened by the time this episode comes out we're going to pick her up and have her move into the dallas fort worth metroplex with the rest of us and we're gonna get her an apartment get her a job she's gonna have gonna be rejuvenated hopefully she's gonna rejoin the podcast and give us the research that we sorely sorely need <laughs> but yeah things are gonna be good for her things are gonna be good for all of us we're all coming back. We're coming together. 
And like, listen, I had a period where I kind of fell off from the show. I think it was like September when I like got elected to DSA membership secretary and just life just kicked my ass immediately. Now, Leia, do you know I'm chair? Like, how are you? Oh, I I thought you're chair of the whole like. I'm chair of the city DSA chapter. Yeah. Oh, the Game of Thrones happened. There was a lot of mess, a lot of drama. But yeah, yeah I have like uh, three or four months left in the term. And yeah, everybody's behind me is super great. Hell yeah. Yeah, I love this shit. So uh, what are your goals for next oh, year? What's going to happen? Next year, me and my girlfriend are going to move into a place together. She's going to get a job in the meantime. She's been looking at a few of them. She's going to maybe get into grad. She's going to maybe, well, she's definitely get into grad school, but she might go to grad school. So it might be across the country at some university or whatever. And it's going to be it's going to be nice. And I imagine that with the podcast, we've built so much. We've built so much around this. We've built so much with this. We've talked to so many wonderful people. And I can only I can only hope that it just gets better and better all the time. We talk to more people. We talk to new people. We just we just grow this. Um, hey, I have one lame podcast interview question <laughs> that I've never asked you. So I'm going to ask you now. Do it. If you could have dinner with three people, living or dead, who would those people be? Oh, man. I'm going to have to think about that one for a second. I think I would do John Brown, Kropotkin, and maybe Eugene McCarthy. That is one of the dopest answers I've ever heard to that question. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I think it would be a really interesting conversation about... They're all from kind of different eras and they would have different takes on what the left should do and from personal experiences from their journeys in the left and political and non-extra political action. Well, you have a a dinner with special people all the time, that being us. Uh, and I think they would want to listen to us, and so would our listeners if they could pick. So it's it's excellent. Uh, Leia Rose, we love it, and we love you. We're all going to get it together, and we're all going to be all right, and it's it's going to be a beautiful yeah. thing. No matter what happens, we have each other. Hell yeah. Thanks for stopping by your show that you started. <laughs> Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I gotta pay homage to the to the OGs every once in a while. That's right. Uh, yeah, uh, thanks for having me on. Thanks for me allowing myself to be on. Hell yeah! <laughs> you know that we couldn't do a celebration episode with all of our favorite people without Sarah Marilyn here. You just know it. We were not totally sure that we were even going to get you on this episode because like you've been on like an extended hiatus. Is it fair to say you've been like keeping a little bit closer to the chest for the last few months? Yes. And there's a reason for that. <laughs> why, why have you not been posting? This is what the people demand. What are you doing that could possibly be more important than Twitter clout? What's happening? <laughs> After the Williamson campaign, I took some time off because I was pregnant and I just had a little baby boy. Aww. And news. Yeah. for the fans, how is the baby head smell? He smells delicious. It is the best of all smells is the smell of my baby's head. Exactly. And we have this baby detergent that makes everything smell like baby. Ah, so cute. As a show, we've been we've started to turn the corner. We're getting free stuff. So now I just feel like if someone mentions a product on air, we just ask for free copies. So whoever's making baby detergent, just send us some. We'll we'll use it. Oh yes. Just like get artificial baby high. And the uh, baby Nathaniel already has two memes made in his honor. So I'm very proud of him. He's only a month old and he's got two memes. What memes are being made? <laughs> Who's making these memes? Wait a second. 
<laughs> so I made the first meme because uh, he was wanting to be fed and I tried to give him kisses before feeding him and he was not having it. So I made him the the little the dog meme that's like, please feed, no kiss, only feed. And I was like, that's the first <laughs> meme. <laughs> and then the second one, Lao made. <laughs> I am absolutely certain that Lau made it. It was good. It was amazing. I think it's like the new like baby's first words is like baby's first memes now. But it was, I forget what that meme is called where it's like he's like flying up in the sky above the people and he's like, so long humans. I've accomplished my mission. <laughs> Drink milk and slip. <laughs> it was so cute. <laughs> That's adorable. Sarah, are you uh, are are you starting a podcast? I heard something about you've got one. So what's the deal with that? I did. You guys are so inspiring. So um, I, I might. It's like a short form, just like ten to fifteen minute little episodes. They're like basically hot takes on technology. And I've got one episode up. Um, it's called Life on the Digital Frontier. And it's basically my TikTok hot take, which we briefly touched on last time I was on here. Um, but I sort of expanded on that and talked about TikTok and the human brain and American supremacy. So you guys might like it. Yeah, we have a podcast uh, that me and Kennedy started. It's like a sideshow. It's called Lots of Guys Have Podcasts These Days. And so we review like the first episode of like whatever random podcast is being published the day we record. <laughs> Baby's saying hi. It is good. No, it's good. You don't have to cry. It's funny. There's good bits. There's. We promise. We promise. It's actually a good show in spite of the bad baby review. Every single person <laughs> who heard that cry just felt let down happen to you. So it's fine. Like, we've got all of the feelings. We're just doing great. We love the babies. Our boobs are tingling. <laughs> Apologies for everyone who just got a letdown. No, listen, everybody, we've had like people with kids on the show. We've had also, I mean, Anthony Davis literally called us from Starbucks. So the audio is going to be fine. Yeah. We're all going to get through it. Yeah. I do want all of your baby pictures, to be clear. Like you can oh send gosh. me all of them. I want all of them. My daughter is five and a half now and the only thing she cares about is minecraft and i miss when she was oh small. i will send you some <laughs> and i i share them on my instagram too i swore i was not gonna be that person who posts a lot of baby pictures everybody's that person it's okay every single one of my friends said the same thing and i'm like no you will <laughs> it, it happens to the best of us i try not Everybody. to feel bad it's fine because the, the fun secret is once you have children you love other people's baby pictures it's true it's true mm -hmm. i love all the baby pictures now mm-hmm it generalizes. It's great. <laughs> yeah. And also, I'm so sad you guys dropped a new podcast and I didn't even know about it until just now. Well, it's sort of been we haven't really heavily advertised it yet because it's sort of like half a thing that we do for the patrons. But um, after two weeks, the episodes of Lots of Guys Have Podcasts go from patrons only to anyone can listen to them. So we are kind of like trying to let people know that it's out there because we just sort of soft launched it to the patrons to like see how it went. And it ended up being a really good time. And we've published, I think, four or maybe five episodes by the time this comes out. And it's just hilarious, you know, and we actually wanted to review your show at some point, review the first episode, because that's the whole thing, right? And we have to do our friends shows. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, there's a good reason to become a patron of NSF Wonks right there. That's correct. You heard it from Sarah. She said it. I didn't have to say it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I got you back. <laughs>
So what have you been what have you been doing to prepare for the rest of the year? Do you have any plans? Are you going to go back to work? Are you going to freelance? Are you just going to stay at home? What's what's your life looking like for the remainder of 2020? So while I was, you know, finishing up my pregnancy after the campaign, one of the managers on the campaign sort of started her own business with a, another founder. And so I'm basically helping them launch their business in the last handful of months. And right now I'm on the job market, got a few really promising uh, prospects. So I think whatever position I end up in soon is going to be very exciting. So I can't wait to tell you guys what it is once it's final. Well, you'll have to come back and tell us all about it. Obviously, you know, we're here at episode 100 and we're committing right now to doing 100 more. (laughs) I I was no part of that commitment. Oh, man. Another 100 of these. You can do it. You guys got it. We can probably do it. Wait, we'll be fine. Are we counting or not counting our live streams, though? No, none of that counts. We only count the Mm -hmm. mainline episodes. Mm. So really... You know, the canon of the show is very important. It's complex. There's a lot of characters. There's a lot. This sounds like another Star Trek episode. We're going to start talking about canon. Listen, (laughs) we should be so fucking lucky to be as good as Star Trek, Brandon. But have you heard about the Orwell? Oh, stop beating me to my jokes. I can't even do them anymore. I'm trying to wind up. I'm trying to settle in. I'm preparing. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I feel like uh, Bart, you know, or, or Beto. Beto says the F word one time. And now it's like... Hey, Beto, say it. Oh. <laughs> You're getting typecast as the guy who makes jokes about the Orville. That's correct. So, Sarah Marilyn, thank you for coming on. I don't know what's happening with these people. <laughs> you know, we're all very weird. Of course, that's why we love you. Or, I don't know if you guys watch Letterkenny, but uh, that's what I appreciate about you. Letterkenny is very good. Letterkenny is very funny. And yeah, <laughs> if you need any help with your show, Some... just uh, let us know. We'll find some back-end work to do and make that happen. You know, I was I was going to do a retrospective on the Democratic primaries and talk about like the emojis for each camp and uh, basically just a cool retrospective. And of course, you people are the first ones I would think of for something like that. All right. Sounds good. Uh, Sarah Marilyn, always a pleasure to have you on. We got to have you on like regularly more often. You you're you're back on the scene. So we got to keep it going and we'll definitely do that. And we'll see you again after a while. I agree. Miss you guys. Glad you guys are killing it. Here's to a hundred more. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. And congratulations again on the baby. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Rachel. This is Rachel's daughter, Ellie. How are you? Ellie, my daughter. Got her on air. Hey. What's up? How's it going, Ellie? Good. Would you say you are not safe for Wonk's biggest fan? Oh. Wow. Did you hear her? She said, I don't think so. Whenever you're doing the show, you're not hanging out with her. It's like when our dogs fan of your job. No. That's true. The dog wants to stay inside. Like Yes. Oh, okay. All right. Good. So Ellie, um, what do you think about cops? They're stupid and dumb. Yeah. And filthy. They're filthy. They're pretty dirty. <laughs> yeah. They're pretty mean. They're pretty mean. What would you do about cops? Bring it hurt them, and Ace will just go after them. Ace is my dog, by the way. So you would stick our dog on them. You know, cops hurt dogs, though. That might not be safe for Asa. Okay, but... Listen, Ace's got faith in Asa. Ace is tough. Yeah, will you climb up on them like a spider monkey just to bite them? Or just punch them in the face. their weak spot. What's their weak spot? She's pointing at her crotch. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Oh, that's actually great. That's perfect. 
That's the yeah. way to go. They would just get scared of me and run away. I think that's probably true. They would be terrified of this tiny five-year-old. That's correct. Now she wants my key lime pie. Ellie, you've been working on jokes, right? Yes, Ellie's been working on jokes. Ellie, do you want to tell a joke? What do you call a unicorn without a horn? A horse. Damn! <laughs> <laughs> what do you call a chicken with no feather? Food? No. Bird? Chicken. Whoa. My mind is blown by this joke right now. What do you call a rainbow without red? Rado. A rado. Okay. All right. What do you call the siren without the D? Siren. Oh, see, that's a YouTuber that she likes who plays a lot of Minecraft on YouTubes. The siren. Um, you know what I call a, a unicorn without a horn? A horn. Oh, I call it a uh, corn. Oink. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, Ellie, Ellie, so what we talk about on our shows, we talk about socialism, which is about taking care of other people. We should hurt bad people. We should help them, give them food. They do not deserve to get killed at all. Yeah, you don't think we should have a carceral state? We should have a That means we put people in prison. Should we put people in prison? Never! Okay, what should we do instead? Just put them in a space. In their house, put a chair down, and let them think about what they did. Okay, so we're going to put them in time out, but inside their house. This is humane. We have that in Europe. They literally do that in Europe. (laughs) Yes, they do that in Europe. Yeah. How else would you take care of people? What would you do? Would you give people candy? Would you give them food? Would you give them ponies? I'll give them ponies to ride. Mm -hmm. I'll give them money to have a house. Mm -hmm. I'll give them everything they would want. Yeah. How would you pay for it? Give them $10. You would give them $10. <laughs> Yang <Yeah>, gang. <laughs> oh, $100 million. Okay. Oh, okay. What do you think about inflation? Yeah, I feel like, where are you going to get the, can you just get the money from Rachel? Yeah, why don't I have $10 million? I have piggy banks. Oh, you have a piggy bank? That'll totally cover everybody. I'll cover it. That's the way to go. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, hey, Ellie, we are actually recording for our 100th episode. That's right. Oh, what? M-G. 100th episode. Can you believe that we've been doing that so long? She is typing in OMG to the keyboard right now. She's on your computer? She's sitting next to me in front of my computer, yes. Okay, and then you hit the return button. Okay, Ellie says OMG. Oh, in the ready room? Okay, yeah, I love it. In the ready room. You know, but she's a guest. She's It's appropriate. Yes, that's completely Ellie, are you happy for us for doing our 100th episode? Yeah. Yeah? And can you make the 100th episode the special guest one? That is. That's what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's we're having... Who's your favorite member of the show? Who's your favorite person on Not Safe for Walks? There's me. There's Brandon. There's Ren. There's Kennedy. I think John. John's not on the show, but John is very cool. He's nice. enough. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, I love it. she's mom because she's a good person, too. And she's... That's true. I am on the show. And I like to think I'm a good person. All right, so Ellie, can you say thanks for listening to Not Safe for Wonks? Thanks for listening to Not Safe for Wonks. And... And peace here's, out. Yeah, peace out. Here's to 100 more episodes. I think we can name the other one The Rainbow Kingdom. Oh, the next show will be The Rainbow Kingdom. So keep an eye out for that. It's going to be mine and Ellie's show. It'll be Rainbow Kingdom, a sister show to Not Safe for Wonks. 
I love Rainbow Kingdom is a much better uh, name. Not safe for long. It's equally as gay as our show is too, which I think is very important. Yeah, I, I actually think we should change our name, Rainbow Kingdom. Fabulous. All right. Well, thank you, Ellie, for joining us on the show. I hope you enjoy that key lime pie that you're about to eat and making lots of noise while you open it. Uh, here's to 100 more episodes.